listening to the bomb hole. Bomb hole podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the bomb going to slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. All right. It's a beautiful day here at the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now let's start this thing off right. And first things first, Stony Buds, how are we doing? So good, my dog. <laughs> Love to hear it. Woo. To my left, we got Josh Dirksen in the booth. Josh, how are we doing? I'm doing great. Love, love being here. I'm very excited. I'm even excited to hear so good my dog. <laughs> what if I forgot my line? Dude? Yeah. Like, well, I, could, I could help you out. Yeah. <laughs> love it. So for our listeners that are unfamiliar with uh, Josh Dirksen and who he is, Josh has a seemingly lifelong career in snowboarding. He filmed parts in the golden era of snowboard videos from the Kingpin videos, Mac Dog, and Robot Food movies. He is also a full-blown product tech guru and has extremely thoughtful insights on product development. Whether it's his slew of Baker Bank slalom podiums, bringing the snowboard community together via his Dirksen Derby event, meeting with senators to help protect our winners, or making a simple heelside turn, Josh is a true Hall of Famer in snowboarding. So we're going to get inside the mind of Josh Dirksen today. Here we go. And we're going to start this thing off right. Um, I'm asking this question for a friend now, Josh. Uh, how do you turn? What goes, in, what goes into a good turn, Josh? Um, what goes into a good turn? I'd say the track you leave. makes uh, You can kind of tell if it's a good turn. You know, it, sh- it should be a, a nice, clean edge mark and uh, not fading, scratching, uh, scratching out or whatnot. And um, so that's the start of a good turn. But what makes a good turn? coming out of it faster than you went in you know maybe that's a something i mean that's a pretty broad question well yeah, can, you, powder, can you narrow is this hard packed is i this, want to i want you to talking? narrow down hard pack okay, on hard your pack. On, we'll just we'll we'll even get more specific with the heel side turn how do you initiate and execute a proper heel side turn what's your technique um i'll get back to that i guess but to start out with i think a hard pack and a power turn is kind of the same you know it's uh you're kind of doing the same and on hard, hard pack, you can kind of shush out and spray some snow, and you can do that on a power turn, too. But the best power turns are just you're turning so fast that the snow's flying, you know, and you're making a clean turn. And um, and that's the same on a hard pack or in a Baker Bank slalom race or in the derby race. Maybe not the derby race. We're a little slower. But but um, but a good, clean, good turn. Let's see. Uh, having the right board. I mean, I can make much better turns on a good board than a bad board. And, uh, and I don't know. Am I still warming up here? Yeah. You're warming kinda, up. <laughs> I mean, I got questions. Like, what size foot do you have? I have a nine and a half, luckily. Right. Kind of standard male foot yeah. right there. But you, you're into riding wider boards. What's up with the wide board? Yeah. So I'm a nine and a half foot, which is lucky. It's a Solomon sample size. And so all the new boots that come out, I can, I can get them earlier than normal and, uh, and it's a good size for, I mean, back in the day, if you had a bigger foot, there was hard to find boards. I mean, there was the fat bob that came out that kind of changed things, but, uh, but it was really convenient having a smaller foot. And when I snowboarded 20 years ago, I had a size 8 boot. I even, uh, I'd pack my feet in there and, uh, and um, just so that there would be less heel drag and, and just kind of a tighter fit. Maybe like a climber would pack their foot into a, you know, it just felt more responsive and, um, and that's what snowboarding was back then was trying to you know be responsive be quick be edgy 
And um, it still is, but uh, but I've given my foot a little more room to spare now. And uh, and so, yeah, the... Well, for size. the audience, you're trying to not have toe or heel drag, correct? Um, I hate toe and heel drag, for sure. Drives me crazy. And um, my boards, I don't really buy, ride a board narrower than 26.5 wide waist width. And uh, that's just what uh, fits on, like, the, my boot size. And, and I don't have negative heel drag, but... Uh, I don't really have heel drag. Like I can, like go over total horizontal, and it's still not really touching. And, um, and that's something I really appreciate. I hate heel drag. I think it's a failure of snowboarding. And, and I kind of when I think about like where snowboard's going to go in the future, it, I hope they solve the problem of heel drag and you know, where you can still have that head edge pressure, but you're not hanging over the edge. Especially when I see my friends with bigger feet, it's like oh. But um, but luckily there's boards that that fit bigger feet now and there's options and and um, but a good heel side turn, I guess uh, coming out of it faster than you went in. You know that's a goal I think for ripping around and uh, that's something that comes in handy at Bachelor. You know if you are going to turn a different direction, you don't want to slow down because it's going to get flat probably sometime soon. And um, and. I don't know. I guess I just don't know where to start. For well, what about weight? And th- what about weight and things like that? Like you know, how you weight do, your. Do you, do you have? I think about this. This is this is a little bit of, of might not correlate, but let's say you're on a, a bicycle, a BMX bike, a mountain bike, a, a motocross bike. In cornering, you want to come in and put your weight on the front over the front tire, so you that's because that's where all your traction is to yeah. to carve. And then kind of and and exit how you exit. But do you think about coming in with your weight on your front foot and then exiting on your back? Kind of. Imagine right I don't think about that. I guess, but um, but that is the common knowledge that you kind of dive into your turns. You come in on your your front foot and then you leave on the back foot. But uh, I think the challenging part of a, a turn, uh, especially heel side turn, is putting that weight onto your back foot, especially when you're coming out of the turn. And so, if I was thinking about it when I'm turning around the mountain, the thing I'm thinking about is getting onto my back foot. And, uh, and kind of something that happens a lot is loading up your board and then flying over the handlebars. And uh, so really thinking about getting your weight on the back is, is a way to avoid that. You know, whatever comes up, you know, your front foot's just kind of up there taking the suspension, uh, taking the shock. And, and then uh, your back foot's kind of the power and where you're going to whip out of your turns. And that's kind of where you get more speed, you know, whipping out. And I imagine it's the same on uh, motocross bikes, but... Uh, but the things I think about are just putting my weight on my back foot, especially if I'm in a race uh, like the Baker Bank Slalom. If I do crash at Baker, it's because I had too, ma- too much weight on my front foot and I went over the handlebars on my heel side edge. And uh, I would say that's like one of the only ways I crashed up there, which has happened multiple times. And uh, so at Baker specifically, I just try to get in the back seat and put all the weight on that back foot so there's no surprises. And then you kind of whip out of it and and uh, it's a little bit of a balancing act sitting on the back foot there, but uh, but it makes for a nice turn. We're we're what a couple of minutes in. I'm already learning. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm got my even notebook out. About that when I'm turning, like to, to try to get speed out of my turn, and that's why you go so fast in those courses. Yeah. So what yeah. if I'm and holding you know, an edge? Yeah, too. I have a size ten and a half foot, and I've never really thought about should I be in a wider board so I can turn better. Yeah, because I do have a little bit of heel drag. You probably do with your size. I think everybody does. Yeah, except for like me, because I'm like, oh my god. You I think hate about you. it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just wonder think if I could improve my riding. Yeah. If I was on a wider board with no with no heel drag. 
Yeah, or you can uh, pick your boots out well, too. Like, every boot has a different footprint, and I uh, think about, like, how long my one. foot is, and, and uh, some boots are really edgy, especially on the heels. You know, the heels will be shaped like that, and a boot that's round is going to drag less. Yeah. And uh, so even uh, in the Solomon boot line, I, I pick out my boots specifically based on the size of that footprint and how they're curved in the right spots. And, uh, and yeah, all, all these things make you a turn god, huh? That is what goes. Yeah. That's the recipe <laughs> for a turn god, buds. That's right the recipe. Here. We're getting the secrets of knowledge. This is like ancient knowledge passed well, hand we're down gonna, to us. We're going to get into a lot more uh, product tech talk. I had one more question for you. He said you had a slew of Baker awards, duct tape wins. Yeah. Would you say you had a Baker's dozen? No, I got more than a Baker's dozen. <laughs> more oh. than a Baker's dozen. <laughs> that, that's it. That was my hard question. <laughs> Baker's dozen's 13, 13, right? Okay, just making sure. Just making sure. But I, but I might have. I, uh, if I thought about it for a second, I could count it up probably. But uh, I had a lot of podiums. Yeah, and, uh, we'll probably get to the whole story. A Mount, yeah, a Mount later. Baker's dozen could be different even, too. I don't mm. know. We could even come up with that, I guess. Maybe Dirksen's <laughs> amount of duct tape is truly a Mount Baker's a dozen. A Mount Baker's dozen. <laughs> all right. We'll get into Baker Banks. We're going to talk more product stuff. But before we do all that, let's go back to the roots and where you grew up and how you found skateboarding and snowboarding. All right. Yeah, I guess I'll start with, uh, I was born in Canada to uh, American parents, and I was born in Ottawa, Ontario, and um, my dad was a swimmer, and then when my sister was born, he became a swim coach, and then he went up to Canada to be a swim coach, and then I was born, and I lived up there just two years, so I do have a Canadian passport, but uh, but uh, I don't claim that I'm Canadian, but I do got a little something going on, but uh, two years after I was born, we moved back to Oregon, and uh, that's where I'm from where I feel like I'm still from, no matter what changes happen in my life. And, uh, and we moved to Crestwell, Oregon, which was a little town south of Eugene. So we had the big town 10 miles north of Eugene with the University of Oregon Ducks and, uh, and uh, all the kind of culture and hippies. It's kind of known for hippies. But uh, I technically grew up south of Eugene and, uh, in Crestwell, Oregon, and it had, I think, about 1,700 people when I grew up. And uh, my... my uh, like high school class was maybe 90 people, I think. It was uh, like a tiny little school, and uh, definitely everybody knew everyone, and um, and it was a uh, small, well, my dad worked at a swim pool that uh, was in Codger Grove, Oregon, and that was a lot of my life when I was young was a swim pool, and I ended up uh, like working at the cash register when I was too young to work, I think even. Maybe when I was 11 or 12, I started uh, working at the cash, re- cash register, and uh, and then... Then, let's see, growing up was a lot of camping. My dad, especially, and then the rest of the family. I have a sister, my sister Bryn, two years older, and my mom, Patrice. And, um, and then my dad, Mike. And my dad kind of ran the show, I'd say, and he was uh, very outdoorsy. Loves fresh air, slept outside, like still does the majority of the year. Unless it's uh, pouring down rain, he might sleep inside. But uh, if he does sleep inside, he opens the windows. But uh, our childhood was kind of sleeping outside, going to hikes, and on any vacation we would go backpacking for like 12 days. And, um, and then there was a lot of cross-country skiing, snow camping, which is always amusing seeing where I ended up later in life with camping out with Jones and the TGR guys up in Alaska, you know, and how it's like what, I, what my childhood was. But, uh, and it was fun, and it's fun to look back on, but when it's going down, it was kind of, oh, it was a little, little bit odd, you know, when your friends are going to Disneyland for vacation, and we're going to uh, drive 10 hours to 
camp for 12 days with all our food <laughs> on our back. But um, but it definitely set me up for like, the kids where I think ended you're up. weird when you came into school and they were like, we went to Disneyland. I guess so. We had a lot of weird kids though in a small little town, a oh, lot of hippies, true. a lot of farmers, and uh, everybody had something weird going on. You're all and we all knew each other so well. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they didn't see me on uh, any vacation times. And uh, summer vacations, we were gone camping, and uh, and then winters snow camping. wasn't really weather dependent. None of our trips, we'd uh, go out, uh, rain jackets if it was raining, and. Uh, and but it's fun, and it kind of set me up for where I am now, I guess. And I enjoy snow camping these days, and and it's a result of my childhood. But so I grew up and went out. Kind of what you did in that town was sports, and and uh, I was a tiny little kid, and um, and a little younger too. Just how my birthday ended up. Uh, the whole school year is always kind of like a year younger than most kids, which. Uh, makes a difference in sports. Uh, basketball wasn't really an option or football. And, um, and I did go out for cross country. I think I was forced to go out cross country even, uh, which coming up how I got in skateboarding. But after I got in skateboarding, my dad, uh, told me that I either had to go out for cross country or I had to come home and do yard work. And I couldn't just, uh, focus on skateboarding only. And, um, which is kind of funny, but it's kind of good. It's good to be, you know, have, even when I go snowboarding or I mean, splitboarding, it's, it's nice uh, that I cross-country skied in my childhood. It's like, oh, that's the exact same thing. You know, it's uh, fun being diverse. But um, so I went out for sports. Uh, but I'll get uh, straight to skateboarding, I yeah, guess. Did your dad just not think it was a sport? Uh, skateboarding? Yeah, so that's no, why he... No, they totally did. But uh, I think uh, it was kind of just more of uh, doing everything. You know, he wanted, like... And kind of he wanted me to do everything. And, um, and my mom was part of all this, too. But my dad was pretty um, athletic and... And kind of the only sport he didn't want me to do was uh, swimming. It was, uh, everything was either I did it or I was almost forced to, but uh, not in a harsh way. But, um, but kind of swimming was the one I think he had too much of. And he even told a story about how he knew how many tiles were on the bottom of, uh, of the 25-meter swim pool. You know, and the tiles were this big and that he swam so many laps. And I, I think it's a pretty challenging sport, just the dedication you have to do for just repetition. And so he... Uh, like, put me and my sister in the position to, uh, you know, do a lot of every sport. And I did gymnastics. That was something, too, and, uh, that I had fun. And uh, wrestling came up later. And wrestling, I was, uh, that was in high school. And I was the smallest kid in the school, pretty much. And so wrestling just meant I'd show up and win because there's no one to wrestle in my weight group. And I was the smallest weight group. And, and everybody's trying to uh, lose weight to get the right weight for the wrestling, and uh, I was 10 pounds off even. But, uh, and pole vaulted, I think, was a while there. I could barely bend the pole. But uh, it's fun sport to be lounging on the mats while everybody else is training on the field. But um, So I did a lot of sports growing up, but uh, the one that really stuck was skateboarding. And uh, my neighbor, I remember one day going outside, and he had a skateboard, and and uh, my neighbor Justin Stafford, we should give him a little little horn. And um, and I remember just being amazed that you could pop up a curb, not ollie up a curb, but just lift your front wheels up and and get up. And uh, and it was pretty. I was probably 11 years old when I first did it on a skateboard. And then I think that Christmas, I even have a photo of it of uh, my first skateboard, the Ninja. I think I got it at Toys R Us, or I, I requested it for a birthday present. And got it from Toys R Us, and, uh, and that was a good day. And that, from that moment on, it was skateboarding, and um, loved skateboarding. And my neighbor was right on track with me too. And uh, 
And we got into skateboarding. We built ramps and uh, kind of cheaty ramps at the start and then got better. And we built a half pipe in, in the backyard and, uh, and watched the movie Thrashing. We'd rent that thing every other day in the summer. You guys know that movie? Thrashing? Dude, was, I, uh, I was actually revisiting some old videos the other day. And not that video, but, man, The Search for Animal Chin. What a masterpiece that movie is. Yeah, yeah. What, whatever happened to launch ramps? Did you have launch ramps going Oh, on? yeah. Yeah, we had a lot, a lot Dude, of launch ramps. Those guys were yeah. throwing down the sickest tricks, man. That's, yeah. Is it just too hard on the body? Is judos people, and all that? Is that why? Yeah, judos and... Just no, the launch ramp needs moves. to come back, though. It needs to come back, yeah. man. And they're yeah. out, like, hanging with a crew in the middle of, like, a city with a launch ramp. Yeah. It's just so sick. Yeah. But yeah I know we have skate parks, though, where you can find some landings. That's a good even. point. That's yeah. true. Yeah. You but can fly out at a skate park even, and that's kind of technically launch ramp. But, uh, but, but the back launch, then, we didn't have... sick, though, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You I were probably doing that, right? Building little quarter pipes. and We were, for sure. And we'd find a skate mag, and we'd go to the back of the mag and find the ramp plans. Oh, that's right. We'd either order them or we'd dream of having the money to order them, I guess. But uh, and stuff would come in the mail. And um, plywood was cheaper. Yep, plywood was cheaper. Yeah, and we'd uh, reuse the plywood. I'd say, yeah, we had a set amount of wood that we used for multiple ramps. You know, you kind of tear stuff down and b- try to build them better. And uh, but we just skate all summer long. And then, and then back then, I mean, times have changed a little bit now in Oregon and Eugene with uh, rainfall. But back then, there was so much rain. It'd, like once uh, the fall would come, and maybe it's just me looking at it, uh, just frothing to skate and not being able to. But um, we'd skate in my garage when it rained, but uh, that's kind of what led to snowboarding. You know, seeing uh, there was one ad, I think it was a uh, Thrasher Mag riding 88 Burton. And um, yeah, kind of a funny thing to add in here too. Uh, for the last 30 years, I claimed I started snowboarding in 1988. And then uh, recently, I was kind of doing the math, and it was actually 1987. Nice. And so I've uh, answered incorrectly for many, many years. But uh, I think it was because that ad, that one, riding 88 Burton, and um, well, they were advertising for the next season. Maybe I don't know huh? how they did it, but uh, yeah, like um, it was Christmas Day of 1987. Maybe that's kind of part of it because yeah. it's only five days away from 88 too. But uh, that's what it was. Yeah. It was the ad cycle. Yeah, but um, yeah, we started. Uh, so up until that moment in the winter, we were going up cross-country skiing, and I was getting dragged up there. We all were with my parents and and uh, my dad and sister and going skiing. And then uh, we saw that ad for snowboarding, me and my neighbor, and we're like, that's what we want to do. And so we rented uh, boards, and the board was taller than me. And um, and we went up Christmas Day. It was the free day at Willamette Pass. That was, uh, that was my home resort that I grew up at. And um, so Christmas Day, 1987, started snowboarding. Me and my neighbor, Justin, and uh, from that moment, just like skateboarding, is hooked. Like, those were the two things, and everything else was part of my life, like other sports and school and stuff, but it was only skateboarding. And that e- even goes to this day. I don't, I don't skate as much as I used to. I kind of go from point A to point B nowadays, but, uh, but my whole life has been as much skateboarding as snowboarding. It was uh, all summer long, and that was uh, pro snowboarding back in the day was um, every snowboarder I rode with was a skateboarder and a ripping skateboarder, mm-hmm. Todd Richards, for example. But um, Do you remember oh, yeah. what that first board was you rented? Yeah, it was a, and I actually have one, but um, it's not the exact not the one, exact. but it was a Burton Elite 150 nice. with uh, the big bucket bindings yep. on there. And um, and it was maybe a, probably a year older or a year earlier than most people would imagine. It was... Um, yeah, it said Elite on the bottom. Yeah, the Elite 150. No. Yeah, yeah. That one was maybe yellow or blue. No, it was the year before the yellow one. Oh, the one. red one? Yeah, yeah, I think Sick. it's more red. Yeah, and I actually uh, 
yeah, maybe we're here to tell stories. So I have that board, uh, Aggie. Marcus Aggie used to be my roommate, and yep, Aggie. <laughs> and uh, Aggie just texted me this morning that he's coming to the Derby for his first time, first team, 15 years in. Um, but uh, Aggie had that in his garage. He, I don't know how he got his hands on it, but I'm like, oh, that's the first board I rode. And this was just maybe uh, 15 years ago. No, not. And, um, and then he's like, yeah, cool. And it was sitting in his garage. And then uh, I moved out and out of his house and got my own house. And, and I came back and I walked around the back of the house where you rarely ever go as a random spot. And the board was in the back of the house under an eave, but outside. And I'm like, oh, that's a shame. You know, it's such an awesome <laughs> board to be out you know, out in the elements. And um, so I gave it another uh, year. And I peeked back there and it's still back there, kind of forgotten. And uh, maybe I gave it another couple months, but then there's one day I just took it, didn't ask. Put it in a nice spot in my garage, nice dry, uh, no moisture. And um, Did you and know then, you took it? Five years later. Five <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah, even like a long time later, he's like, oh, I have one of those. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> Maybe if you would have found out uh, like a year or a couple months later. But, uh, he that he probably long... saw it and was all stoked. Like, oh, dude, I got one of those. That's sick. No, it has a bad boy club sticker on it even. <laughs> oh, that's so, so weird. Fire. The stickers are on the same places. Yeah, and it has a metal fin in the middle. That was really? last year, yeah, the, the, last the metal year of the fins. Fin, huh? Yeah, but I think it's removable, but we didn't remove it. Yeah, those things but, were harsh. Uh, yep, so I have one thanks to Eggie. Thanks, Eggie. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> tight. That was yeah. really cool. Upon uh, doing my research, I heard a little bit of interesting information that you, uh, since you grew up in a small town, you're kind of in a, a small vacuum, if you will, of of your skate scene. For sure. And your skate tricks were kind of different or maybe bizarre compared to other people's uh, at the time. Like you had a different kind of bag of tricks. Does, does yeah, that sound familiar? I mean, familiar? for sure we were in a bubble. And uh, I mean, it's just by luck that I didn't push Mongo, you know, stuff yep. like that. I didn't know uh, things were like what was forbidden and what were cool tricks or, yeah, you know. The and, unwritten uh, laws. Yeah. And I even remember, so... Uh, pushing with your keeping your back foot on is the forbidden way, yep. and uh, keeping your front foot on is the. But I remember like a kid in town skated um, with his back foot on, and I totally wanted to skate like that. And I'm like, I can't do it though. And uh, but luckily, but uh, but things like that we just didn't know. And we had we were in touch with something, but it was kind of the movie Thrashing, for example. You know, that's where we got our reality what skateboarding was, and. There was a skate contest that came into Eugene that I remember going to that was pretty influential called the Willamette Damn It. And uh, it had like all the kind of top Tommy Guerrero was there, for example. And uh, so it was just little moments that we would find out what skateboarding really was. But um, but a lot of times it was the one mag and a lot of movies I didn't see, you know, that we had the Bones Brigade movie. I mean, as far as snowboarding goes, the Juicy Fruit commercial, that nice. was something <laughs> like that I, that we taped like sat around waiting for it to come up and like, it's coming. And, uh, and I mean, that's, that was a uh, influential, you know, a 15 second commercial. <laughs> so dope. It's your favorite video part. Juicy <laughs> fruit commercial actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then we, maybe a Mountain Dew commercial on the side. They had some sick ones back then. Um, <laughs> didn't make it to your bubble. I don't think Mountain Dew was around at that moment. You know, this, this would be the 1988. Dude, I swear 90. they work. I saw one. Yeah, on one of those old on that Bones Brigade, uh, the it Search for Animal Chin before it was a Mountain Dew commercial was snowboarding, wakeboarding, and skateboarding, and I was like, holy shit, it was it was actually really sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm sure it was, notes. but uh, like some stuff, like we didn't have cable TV. You know, I think I had in two or three stations, and kind of a rule of our household was a hour of TV a day maximum. 
You know, and so maybe I, the commercial will come on and I wouldn't see that. Props but, uh, to your parents for doing that. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, but I definitely had really cool parents. And as far as uh, my snowboarding career, there was never a doubt that snowboarding wasn't something legit. And, you know, it wasn't uh, those stories like, oh, no, skateboarding doesn't count. It was uh, like fully, like when I told my parents that I'm going to become pro snowboarders, like, oh, yeah, that's like totally. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk about one of our sponsors, Buds. Yes, for this winter, we're partnering with a travel brand, DB, designed in Scandinavia, built for the journey. DB products feature the hookup system, meaning you can carry your board bag, wheelie, and backpack with a single hand. They also feature rib cage technology, ensuring all your gear is protected. DB is the brand for award-winning snow travel gear, backed by the best. Sage Kotzenberg, Kevin Backstrom, Estelle Pensiero, Gimbal God, and many more. To find out more, follow us on IG at dbjourney or dbjourney.com and sign up for the DB Black membership to be the first to know when their new Sage Kotzenberg line drops this winter. Best hooked up luggage ride this winter wins a full Sage Kotzenberg edition travel collection. Be sure to check out DB. They make some quality luggage and bags. If I could be using the same luggage the Colonel uses, whew, you know I'm going to be good. Sage's gear, let's go. All right, Dirksen. I want to know how you went from being kind of a beginner snowboarder, just getting into it, and how did that evolve into becoming a, a sponsored snowboarder? What did that look like? Um, well, I guess, I don't know, as far as sponsored snowboarder or skateboarder, I think it's kind of the same in my head. Like, I, I kind of remember when I was young, maybe like 13, I kind of realized that you could be a professional skateboarder. And I, I kind of remember telling my mom, like, oh, I want to become a professional skateboarder. That sounds like an awesome job. And um, there was no problems with that that uh, dream, I guess. And But um, I don't know if it was ever a difference between skateboard and snowboard and it's just kind of what I wanted to do. And, and maybe it wasn't as much pro skateboarding as just like, well, this is an opportunity to skateboard, snowboard all the time. You know, that was kind of the, the dream. And, um, you know, it wasn't really, what should I do for work? This is going to be that. But uh, my dad does have a funny story. I don't have memory of it. But um, I guess there was a teacher. I had to write a essay or something in school. And it sounds like it was maybe seventh, eighth grade. And I said I wanted to become a professional skateboarder, maybe a snowboarder. I don't remember what I said. But um, and the teacher kind of responded that that's not possible, and you know, kind of the classic uh, what you'd expect a teacher to tell a kid, like, no, 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 you gotta re not redo career. the essay. <laughs> and um, and then years later, I uh, signed a poster for maybe 10, 15 years after I became a professional snowboarder, and she has it hanging in her classroom. Kind of an example that like anything's possible. I guess. How she or, was wrong and anything's <laughs> yeah. possible. Yeah, that's great. Or, yeah, yeah, that's a good story. yeah. But uh, my dad loves that story, and uh, I've heard it from him, and I actually have no recollection of it besides signing the poster 15 years later. But um, but I realized that it could be a job, and that was something. Or not a job, but an opportunity to snowboard, skate all the time. And, um, and then, I don't know, that's just uh, where things led, I guess. I started skateboarding in Cresswell, started snowboarding with my neighbor, and then we got season passes every year, and then we had rides up to the mountain with my parents who were going up there anyways to go cross-country skiing, and we'd ride 9 to 4 every weekend day for sure, and not uh, too many weekdays. But, um, 
And then when I, I went to school in Crestwell, small town, until I got my driver's license in 11th grade. And then 11th grade, I moved up to South Eugene, or to Eugene and South Eugene High School. And uh, that was a big shock, I guess. Um, all of a sudden, there was 100 skateboarders instead of growing up. Uh, it was me, my neighbor, and possibly like one or two others. Jeff Glass would come into town. And, and kind of as far as, yeah, Jeff Glass. I still uh, follow him on Instagram. We talk every once in a while. But, um, you know, that was a influence, too, to throw that in from earlier is uh, just people who had moved to our town that came from California. Like, whoa, what's going on with skateboarding and other places? And, uh, you know, that was a way that we'd be influenced and find out what's going on. But uh, moving up to South Eugene, and all of a sudden there was a huge school. I went from the school was at least 500 people. Maybe even just my graduating class was 500 people up there. And uh, just being, I was only there for 11th and 12th grade before I graduated. I didn't meet too many people, but uh, one of the people I did meet was Jason McAllister. A little air horn from McAllister. And uh, we became great buds snowboarding and uh, with license. He had a driver's license, too, and that's when we really started uh, making it over to Bachelor. And um, that was probably 90, let's see, 93. And uh, we'd take trips over there and um, and just snowboarding a lot. And that then uh, and it kind of started to be the moment, like, what are you going to do after school, like after you graduate? And, and um, I was pretty like a good student just by default because like nothing else to do in Crestwell besides just get A's and B's and or like a few B's even is like pretty easy to study when there wasn't too much going on. But uh, once I got up to South Eugene, um, there was some distractions with just awesome fun times and uh, opportunities to go snowboarding, not just on the weekends with my parents, but we all of a sudden we had a license. So we started making it over to Bachelor and mean more riders that uh that's what they did is snowboard all the time and i don't know if that was a moment or i don't know if there's ever a moment that uh or maybe we'll get to there later that i like i want to become a pro snowboarder is more of i just want to snowboard a lot and and uh, i mean that's still the case i guess uh mm -hmm. you know i just want to set it up that it, there's a lot of snowboarding and that seemed like the best option were you showing some skills like did you feel you're pretty good yeah, I mean, in Crestwell, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, but, but when um, you got out to just, the mountain and saw other people. And yeah, 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 and I was pretty driven. I don't, I don't know if I'm competitive. I was kind of thinking about this, like what I would say, and I don't think I'm the most competitive person, but I'm a, kind of more of a show-off, I guess, like which uh, gets you to the same place, you know. Yeah. But, um, but I've never been super good at contests, and uh, the moments that I do have in snowboarding that were spectacular – where I think I was kind of more showing off, and um, I think I do my best when things are unexpected, like something expects like uh, me to ride really good. That kind of puts me the other way. But um, but yeah, I think uh, I felt like I was a strong snowboarder, and that I was as good as, or could be as good as what I saw in the magazines. Not as good, but I could be as good if I kept snowboarding all the time. And and I had support from my friends, like uh, telling me good job and and. Uh, yeah, I definitely thought that that was a good possibility that I could become a, a professional uh, person who got to skateboard and snowboard a lot. And how, did you, how did you end up getting sponsored then? Um, I guess that comes a little later, like uh, or no, little bits. But um, so before, when I was still living in Crestwell, there was two times I went up to High Cascade Snowboard Camp, and so that's on Mount Hood, and um, and that was a three-hour drive from our house, and. Uh, Back then, snowboard camps were 500 bucks, which was you know, pretty reasonable. I remember I had a deal with my parents 
that uh, if I could make half the money that they would pay the other half and uh, make it possible. And that was kind of always a deal with my season passes, too. But when I... 500 bucks, it's like a day at a camp now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's even 495 I remember yeah, the brochure just drooling over it like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the first camp I went to, I think, was a high cascade snowboard camp. And uh, and it is so fun. And, uh, I mean, that's... I'd say Mount Hood and summertime is a big part of the opportunities I've gotten snowboarding. You know, going up there, and that's where everybody heads. And at the same time, and where you meet the the people who also want to snowboard a lot, and for that to be their job and and or their life. And uh, and so I went up to High Cascade first, and the next year USSTC. And uh, USSTC, I met Tom Nordwall, and uh, he's a he was a, and I think that was the first person to kind of say, uh, "You're ripping." Here's a snowboard, and he gave me a Joyride snowboard, 148, Ooh. and uh, I was so so stoked. Yeah, and he's uh, he's he's such a cool dude, and uh, yeah, somebody that gave me a lot of confidence at that at a good moment, and um, and so I got that joyride, and uh, that felt like a free snowboard was something big. I mean, that was uh, accomplishing the goal of snowboard more when I didn't have to work at the swim pool as much, and um, so yeah, those opportunities up at Hood were something that got me in that direction, and then I went up to. Eugene moved up or moved to the school in Eugene, still lived in Crestwall, just grow, drove every day. Met McAllister, then we graduated and uh, I went to college, just community college in Eugene and in Bend. I think over three years I accomplished three terms and um, it was always fall term, going strong, doing this and then snowboarding come up and, and it was easier the first year and then the second year uh, opportunities came up and um, and so, yeah, I left college technically with a I'll be back and um, went on a, I think it was a Moro snowboards trip. Not to bounce around, but we'll get there too. Um, it's okay to bounce around on the show. Yeah, we yeah, bounce around. A little, oh, cool. Yeah, I bounce around too. But I came in here today uh, saying I need to keep a little bit of a timeline going. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Yep. Yeah. But um, so, but I always kind of joke about that uh, for the last, I've been a snowboarder, pro snowboarder for 25 years maybe. And uh, the common question for the last 25 years was, uh, what are you going to do when it's all done? And my answer is, uh, from the moment I left school, is like, I'll be back. And uh, <laughs> and uh, that's still kind of my plan. If it ever does end, which uh, I don't I don't plan on it ending. And, you know, and uh, maybe the pro snowboarding part, but uh, just the lifestyle of wanting to snowboard a lot. And and uh, I don't think that'll quite change. You know, I've, I've accepted that that's what I am. That's what I do. That's what makes me happy. And and uh, snowboarding. And um, and you know, that's where all my friends are. And so that, that's what I'm doing. But, uh, but I do, uh, plan on going back to school and, uh, yeah, making it back there. Cause I left pretty quick didn't, uh, finish the finals and took off running. And then all of a sudden it was the pro snowboarding life. What were you going to school for? Um, drafting back when drafting was drawing like, uh, and so maybe looking back, it was pretty, pretty lucky. Cause I, I think I would have learned to draw, the and way. then all of a sudden it was uh, CAD computers. And, yeah, if uh, you go back, it might be like starting <laughs> fresh on yeah. computers. It might, you might be starting from day one. Yeah, but uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I had the, that class in school, high school, and uh, like drawing blueprints and stuff, and, and uh, I kind of like those details. I kind of see it in my daughter, too, just uh, like the details of making things and making things look clean, and, and um, yeah, and that probably shows my snowboarding, too, I guess, or like video parts and stuff. I want things to be nice and perfect, but, uh, yeah, it probably would have been a good job for me. I would have uh, enjoyed it. Maybe I'll be back and yeah, catch up with the technology, <laughs> but, um, 
let's see. Then we graduated, moved to Bend, and uh, snowboarding, and then then we got a job up at Mount Hood. McAllister and I digging half pipes. And, uh, back when half pipes, when diggers were used shovels, not rakes, and and uh, before pipe dragons, and uh, and we got a job up there. And I'd say that's the moment when snowboarding. I became pro snowboarding right around there. And there's more moments I can mention that was like, that was the exact moment when I started getting paid, for example, cheddar biscuits. Yeah. Let's talk (coughs) about that. Um, Yeah. So I, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Let's keep to the timeline a little bit. But uh, first year up at Hood was amazing. It was so, so fun. Um, We lived in a place called The Shack. There was just this rundown place uh, right in government camp and the Skate ramps were, there's a vert ramp, and I skated vert with Todd Richards every day. A little horn for Todd. Did we give what him a year? horn already? What Let's year are we looking horn. at? That was 1995. Nice. So I graduated in 94, and um, when I was 17, so I was a little younger. Like I said, it was, yeah. I was like kind of always the young kid. And then moved to Bend in 94, and then summer of 95 went up to uh, Mount Hood. And uh, because Mount Hood's uh, nearby, like a lot of people who ran the camp were in Bend during the summer, so the opportunity came up to go up there. And I think there was even a, a half pipe that High Cascade built a bachelor in the spring, and then we started digging, and that kind of led to the the job up there. But but uh, it was a dream job. I went up there, and, and I wasn't sponsored. By that time, the, the one joyride board was broken and gone and too small. And, um, and I went up to Hood, and I was... I was riding uh, the Burton rep, and Ben gave me a board that I had, uh, one of those old Terrier balance boards, and that was when Terrier was, was like, I mean, he was always at the top, still is. But um, that's when Subject Hawking, that winter before, was a, uh, um, that was a movie. Like, when I, we didn't have every movie, but Subject Hawking we had in the garden, and um, in those movies, maybe it was the garden was 95, maybe Subject Hawking was a year or two later, but... But uh, what movies I did get my hands on, or we did get our hands on, were the the ones that we watched a hundred thousand times, and and um, so went up to Hood, rode every day of the summer, made uh, for a ten day session, made seventy dollars, <laughs> which is for pretty ten funny. Days. Like, ten days working, uh, waking Woo. up early. Kind of the standard schedule was uh, waking up and uh, eating free breath breakfast which I think was I spent incredible. 70 dollars at 711 yesterday <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah and, I, that, and that's the, how life's changed yeah, yeah maybe yeah. not 70 but geez yeah yeah it was uh but when I mean we had a place to stay the shack and uh the shack yeah <laughs> and um then we'd wake up eat a free breakfast get up to up on the mountain early uh, dig the half pipe was if it was a down day or if snow blew in or wind or or the something melted it and then uh dig ride maintain dig come come down skate vert eat eat dinner getting paid like seven dollars a day seven dollars a day but no expenses absolutely nothing besides i had a fake id too now at that time i think i was 18 no facial hair at all had an id that said i was 26 (laughs) and uh that didn't work it totally worked there's no no cops and gubby pretty much yeah, there was none at that time for sure. <laughs> yeah. And it worked for a good couple years, like three years maybe, and uh, finally got taken away when um, they asked me, what's my sign? Like, jeez. Uh, um, oh, yeah, and I actually knew it, and it was uh, right you in my did? head, but I thought the smoother answer was like, I don't know my sign, man. And the guy's like, everybody knows their sign. Everybody does know their sign. I'm like, yeah, sign. it's like Sagittarius or something. And I even remember my, my birthday was 12-12-70. 
And uh, I'm like, it's like Sagittarius. And he's like, nope. And they took it, and they and then little piece of pride was is hanging in the rat skeller for nice. another couple of years on the the wall to. to so say. you gave him the wrong answer. No, I didn't give him the wrong answer, but I. Uh, Yep, I didn't give him the quickest answer. Oh. Yeah. So I, it was Sagittarius, but uh, but I kind of started out saying, like, eh, yeah. man, I, like, I don't do signs. That's yeah. Not. But uh, he wasn't buying it, and he was correct. He probably yeah. wasn't buying it from the start. Yeah. But while it lasted, it was uh, awesome. So my days were working, digging half pipes, eating free food, skating a lot. A lot of vert with Todd and, uh, like, a bun- awesome vert ramp there and government camp. And, uh, and then being the one who could buy the beer at the village store and uh, – and partying, and then going to the Rat Skeller. And I think kind of a nap was in there somewhere, too, you know, because uh, it was late, late nights, early mornings. and um, But it was uh, dreamy at that time. It was so fun. And then the set $70 a session was uh, if we had a rain day and we'd go down to the mall in Portland, that's where we'd spend the 70 bucks. <laughs> and um, and then uh, did a summer. You call that living a good life. Huh? That was a good life. Yeah, even uh, the other day, kind of leading up to this bomb hole, I saw – like a best day ever. I think it was an old, maybe a old snowboard mag, like an older mag that I uh, had to write like best day ever. And, um, and I wrote about like a day at Mount Hood during that time. And nice. Yeah. <laughs> and there's uh, like, no worries, no problems. And, uh, and everybody was, I mean, it was the moment that everybody around me was living for the same things, like for snowboarding and skateboarding and having fun and, and, uh, enjoying. And so, did that first summer up there and uh, and met a lot of people, but uh, the most, I mean, person who changed my life was Todd Richards. And uh, he was riding for Moro at that time, and he came out with his, I think his first year of his Moro pro model. And Moro started out in Salem, Robbie Moro and uh, Salem, Oregon, and that was really close to my house in Bend. Robbie? Yeah. Yeah, he's a great influence and, yeah, yeah, support and... Well, and, uh, I'm going to sidebar for a second here. Yeah. We happen to have a guest question from none other than Todd Richards. Oh, yeah. Here we go. biggest fan. Hey, Bombhole. This is Todd Richards with a question from my good buddy, Josh Dirksen. Josh, we have known each other for a very, very long time. I've watched your career blossom into what you are today. And I'd like you to kind of tell the viewers a little bit about how you used to only eat candy. <laughs> you had a diet that was based solely on candy and somehow... Being the freak of nature that you are, you turn that into a viable fuel source for your snowboarding. Let's let's talk about an average breakfast for Josh Dirksen <laughs> back in the heyday, say around 1996. All right, we'll see you later. I hope everyone realizes Josh Dirksen's commitment to the progression of style in snowboarding. He's one of the best to ever do it and will ever be one of the best to ever do it. High five. Love you guys. Bye. Sounds like he misses us. Yeah, I love you too, Todd. Thanks for the question. And uh, yeah, Todd is uh, is my career. I mean, he was there at the start, and every highlight I've had in my career over the last 25 or whatever years, is I've thought of Todd, you know, like, oh, he's going to love when he sees this, you <laughs> know. And uh, But uh, he gave me so much, which will come up in our conversation here. And um, But directly to the candy question, um, for sure, I ate a lot of candy. And it started um, when I was younger. There was a cookie jar, and, and it was... Uh, available to eat eat the cookies and sweets and um and like when I was living up at High Cascade that was uh I'd eat a normal breakfast and uh but during the winters when I didn't have that um I know Marcus Aggie has a funny story about 
how we'd uh, be driving up the mountain, getting ready to drive up the mountain, hopping in his truck, and we'd stop at a big old bagel, and they'd get a bagel, and uh, I'd stop at the uh, the convenience store and get those little orange slices, those little candy gummy things, and uh, that was kind of the diet I lived on. And there was McDonald's. It was just kind of shitty food in general, you know, and uh, I, I didn't eat much McDonald's when we were growing up. It was kind of expensive, and we didn't really do restaurants, and uh, we did camp food or food at home. But uh, when I moved out of the house, it was uh, it was go time and a lot of McDonald's. And uh, I even had a little, kept track of how many countries I ate McDonald's in for a long time. And I, <laughs> I got up to quite a bit and I'd see McDonald's and I'm like, we're going. And, uh, but uh, yeah, it was a very, like I had a very big sweet tooth and a very poor diet and, and it worked out, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know, burning calories, skating and snowboarding and, and uh and then these days, I, I eat healthier. Like, I haven't eaten McDonald's rarely, like uh, maybe once a year, once every two years, I'd say. But uh, candy, I eat a lot of still. And it's uh, like I'm married a Swiss woman and Fabian, and uh, yeah, we give her, we'll probably give her a few horns <laughs> along the ways. But um, yeah, I can eat a metal, incredible amounts of chocolate. And I know it's not good for me, but uh, yeah, I should figure it out one of these days. But uh, the rest of my diet's good. Like uh, I eat uh, healthy foods and and uh, lots of vegetables and salad. I remember McAllister. We go down to Deschutes and Bend to eat dinner. That's an eggy, and uh, he'd order a salad for a side. And I'm like, that is crazy. Like how how uh, you, you can order fries and you're ordering a salad. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but these days I enjoy vegetables and and enjoy just feeling good. But uh, but I enjoy chocolate too, and I have uh, a lot of Swiss chocolate available. And I brought you guys some Swiss chocolate. Nice. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, let's hammer that. You want it right now? Yeah. yeah. Let's hammer Bud's that. actually has some Swiss chocolate in his pantalones, I think, right now. <laughs> True. It's yeah. packed, packed comes the straight from the source. Wow. This yeah. is legit, huh? Oh, wow. Look at these boxes. Wow. Right? Yeah, who wants the pink one? What's the Buds, diff? Bud's, you take your choice. Are they the same? Uh, yep, they're exactly the same. I just get fine. the fancy pink? Wow. Uh, yep. So the Lint Chocolate Factory. Pack? Yeah. That's uh, 20 packs about to be a zero pack. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're, the little piece of chocolate are super tiny. <laughs> you could fit five of them in there if you wanted. But the Lint Chocolate Factory is close to our house. Dude, and, thank uh, you so much. Thank you for this yeah. gift. Appreciate yep. it. Yeah. And uh, that, yeah, that came fresh from Switzerland. Woo. So I flew in here. I'm flying back home to Oregon and uh, from Switzerland. We'll get to that too. But uh, this is kind of just a long layover. And I packed that in my carry on for you guys. Display. This is unbelievable. Yeah. It's a whole experience. Yeah. Yeah, we like gifts at the bomb hall. This nice. is really nice. Yep. Yeah, I like giving you guys gifts. Cool what you do. It's really nice of you. You know, you just mentioned that you're flying back to Bend, and I, I didn't make a note of this, but I do want to ask you uh, to just kind of take this thing, derail for a second. Uh, pretty much unanimously, when we have Bend people on the show, we ask, who's who's the king of Bend? Mm. Pretty much unanimously, their answer is Josh Dirksen. Now, I want to know who your who you think the mayor, the king, the the leader, the president, uh, the dicta- the dictator, dictator, the dictator maybe? <laughs> no, who's the who's the who's the top dog in Ben? Well, uh, as far as the king, I'm definitely not saying myself. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Do you, I think as, you should. As far as the mayor, I think the official mayor is Chris Lazier. Mm. He's uh, the mayor of Bend. And um, also an accountant, I believe. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a ripping snowboarder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and then King of Bend, I guess um, Peter Butch. That would be uh, the. I mean, he's the guy who sets the style for Bend. I think you can kind of 
find a little piece of his riding in every rider that rides around Bend. And uh, he's got Alistair Schultz style or Alistair, you know, that's just kind of that crew, the Whit- Whitware crew, I think you could kind of call him. And, um, and he's been around there forever and he knows all the jumps and uh, how to ride the mountain. And uh, I think for sure, from my perspective, uh, Peter Butch is the king. And, what about uh, the new kids? Who's the new kid on the block that's coming in hot? Yeah, ben. new kids on the block. Um, next gen. Well, yeah, Ben Ferguson's not the next gen, but he's the, I mean, the top rider, the one that uh, we're the most proud of. And the, he's a pride and joy. Yeah, pride. and I mean, uh, many, many moments to uh, watching his video to be proud and like, yeah, we're from Ben, Batchy, and, and uh, <laughs> but the up and comers are, um, I mean, Big Air Jerry was, and then now he's a, he's official and. Um, uh, Mason Jar, mm-hmm. uh, Mason Lem- yeah. Lemery. What's his? Uh, you call him Mason Jar. Yeah, yeah Mason jar. jar with a five instead of an S. Yep. But uh, yeah, I think he's a for sure our up and comer rider. And I took a run with him last year, and it was a bit of everything: awesomeness, uh, backside one eighties, launching the cornice, uh, kind of some wild style. Just uh, kind of had his sunscreen all smeared like war paint over his face and uh yeah just everything about him was very entertaining and uh fun to watch and i'm sure he'll uh be a superstar and maybe even sitting in this this chair here soon absolutely uh while we're talking bend i got one other guest question and this is from trevor graves here we go hey josh it's uh trevor graves calling in congrats on getting on the bomb hole i anticipate this will be an excellent interview uh, my question for you today is about the surf style at Mount Bachelor. I've watched you, McAllister, Yamada, Alistair over the years, and you guys have a real uh, regional surf style to how you approach snowboarding. Do you think that's a direct result of Jerry Lopez living in the area, or do you take it further back to people like Rob Morrow? Just curious see what you got to say. Hope to see you guys soon in the snow. All right, buddy. Late. Yeah. Thanks, Trevor. Love you too, man. Yeah, and those two guys are very, like Todd Richards and Trevor Graves, we'll get to it, but they came into my snowboard life at the exact same moment, and they, they offered me so much advice in their own respect. Like Todd was from the athlete side of things, and Trevor was from the business, artistic, uh, you know, the other side of snowboarding, which, you know, you can't just be a good snowboarder, be a pro snowboarder. You got to kind of have the business and the work ethic and the the no, and it's not just about you. It's about the photographer getting the shot, for example, you know, about working together as a team. And, uh, yeah, I'm very, very thankful for both those, both those guys and Trevor. And we'll get into more Trevor stories. But uh, the surf style and bend, I wouldn't say it's Jerry Lopez. I mean, maybe the style of bend got labeled more surfy style with Jerry's influence. And, and there's a lot of surfers who come from Hawaii. It's pretty quick to get over and uh, enjoy Bachelor because it's really surfy. And that's always how the mountain's been labeled. But uh, I think the style that is the surf style comes from the train. I mean, Bachelor is one of a kind. Even uh, Mount Hood, like all the other mountains are are different. Bachelor is, there's no other real place in the world like it. And uh, and it's just really flat to start out with. I think it's a volcano, and that means 30 degrees-ish, you know, terrain. And, uh, you know, and so you got to kind of flow, you know, which is surfing. And you're getting your speed from those transitions, not just getting it from going downhill because it's steep and um you know and so that kind of relates with surfing and um and then just how the wind blows so bachelor's set up and uh the wind's coming all the storms are coming off the ocean the pacific out there and uh it's blowing bachelor's a perfect cone and so in some spots it's all right-handed wind lips like kind of skate parky wave 
and uh, other sides of the mountain, it's all rights. And, uh, you know, so it's uh, the easiest way to talk about it in the style uh, is uh, through surfing, I guess. You know, you can really talk about that. But um, but for me, it's a skate park style, too. You know, we grew up in with Burnside nearby, the original cement skate park. Maybe Marseille, France could be the two originals. But uh, And then pretty early on, all those skate, cement skate parks went wild through Oregon. There's so many choices. And, uh, and that uh, is a huge part of bachelor style, I think, too, is, you know, getting the speed from those transitions and um, slashing and airing and little airs and... And, uh, you know, not big, huge jumps exactly, but making almost little lines. And uh, and so I think a lot of people have had influence in the surfing. Probably just comes, like, how do you describe Bachelor? And it's like, oh, that's something that everybody can understand. And Jerry has a huge history of Bachelor, and, uh, but but it's not the only only one. It's, uh, you know, a lot of influences and, and uh, yeah, very, very special mountain. And I'm so thankful that I grew up riding Bachelor and uh, moved there and that that you know, in snowboarding or pro snowboarding, you try to be unique. You try to offer something different. And I think Bachelor kind of gave me that opportunity to be a different rider, you know, than if I grew up at Jackson or Baker or something. And uh, and then to be proud of that, you know, it's uh, really fun when people come there and they say, oh, Bachelor sucks. It's so flat. And you're like, oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's all something that really makes us smile. You know, it's something that not everybody appreciates right away, especially in that, uh, and that as time goes on, that you you learn how special it is, and and so uh, yeah, very surfy style, but uh, not the only influence that we have there. I'd say the mountains, the the biggest. We are going to uh, pop on this little segment from Volcom while I go take a fit. I mean, it's a segment about fits. Cue the Volcom. How's it going, bomb hole? This is Lenny Mazzotti. I'm here with Volcom to talk about my fit. So my fit is the Seth Raw jacket and the Arthur Longo pants. I'm in the off-white Seth Raw daily in Southern California, so you know this thing's lightweight and breathable. It has a nice loose fit, but it doesn't feel like you're swimming in it. And I complement the off-white with the dark teak Arthur Longo pants. They're the most comfortable pants you'll ever get in, and they have the right type of bagginess. Not the type of baggy that you could jump out of an airplane and be fine with, but the good-looking type. And simplicity is key. Arthur knew exactly what he was doing when he was designing these. So do yourself a favor, get down to your local shop, buy yourself some Volcom gear, and stop asking yourself what you're going to wear that day, because you already know it's going to be Volcom. And I agree with the phrase, style over everything, but at least this fits functional too. Hey, what's up? I'm Aaron Bittner. I got to test out the Burton Step-On system. Right away, felt like this was a super comfortable setup, extremely convenient for anybody that is sick of tying their boots and having to bend over or sit down to strap in. This is an awesome setup. You can just tighten down your boots with the BOA system and step right into the binding and you're good to go. Easy in and out, really comfortable, super convenient setup. If you want to check out the full review I did with these boots and bindings, head on over to the Bombholes YouTube channel. All right, where were we? We were at Mount Hood. Pick us back up. Um, so the first year at Mount Hood is kind of when it all started. I say pro snowboarding. Before then, I was uh, snowboarding a lot, but uh, Mount Hood's when I was able to like meet all the people who were had the same goals in life. And uh, and then one of those people was Todd Richards. And um, so once the season ended up in summer camp, the Todd offered or Morrow offered the opportunity to start riding for them. And just being Salem, Oregon, I'm from Oregon, you know, they were located nearby. It uh, was a easy choice to make, I'd say, and it was a really fun, cool choice. And uh, I'm always thankful I made that choice, you know, that, uh, 
know that it was something like hometown. And, uh, and so that fall I started riding for Moro snowboards. And I think the first contract I signed was, uh, just getting free boards, which was something like big time. I was very, very stoked and, uh, and bindings and boots and, uh, and then the opportunity to go over there and meet the board designers, you know, that's kind of what started, uh, my interest in how a snowboard's made and designed. And, um, and that's kind of carried through my whole career, but that started with, uh, Sanders Nye, I guess, at Moral Snowboards was a board designer back then. And, yep. And, uh, thank you, Sanders. But uh, he kind of broke it down into simple terms of he kind of came from a racing background and, uh, like how a snowboard functions. And, and, um, it was just really fun seeing how the boards are built. But, uh, and at that time, it was Todd Richards, kind of from the pro snowboard side of things. And starting that, that winter after the first summer at High Cascade, uh, camp up there. Um, I started traveling for half pipe contests and that was kind of what you did at that time. It wasn't, uh, there wasn't any big airs really yet or, or stuff like that. And so I started traveling around and Todd was kind of the athlete inspiration and guidance and you guys were me teammates, right? Total teammates. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, traveling everywhere. Him and, uh, Christine Sperber, that was his girlfriend at the time who also offered a lot at a really influential time about how things should work and, she was kind of like an agent kind of, uh, you know, like you only get what you ask for kind of stuff and, you know, what's possible. And, uh, and then at that time, Moro Salem was, uh, Trevor Graves and they had a marketing department and, uh, it was Trevor Graves, uh, Jeff Bartell and, uh, Chris Holtz. And, uh, they le- eventually went on to start Nemo, which is a huge brand, uh, marketing or I don't know, don't know what you call them, creative design people. firm or something, yeah, marketing firm up in Portland. And, uh, but, uh, you know, riding for more, I just had all the perfect people to look up to and give me guidance on how snowboarding works. And Todd kind of the snowboard and the athlete side of things. And Trevor, you know, let me know that you like, you're working together with a photographer, you know, you can't, can't just do your thing and expect the photographer to, to, uh, get the perfect shot of you. You know, you're kind of like uh, talking about it and, um, and it's a team effort and, and, uh, and then the graphic design, you know, kind of the making ads, that was a big part that, um, you know, you're trying to sell snowboarding and promote it as a, the funnest thing to do in the world. And, and, um, so that Moro, those Moro years, I think there's probably four or five years that I wrote for him that, uh, that's kind of just what set the rest of my career up until now. And, uh, I'm very thankful and, Robbie Morrow just being so creative and awesome just in his head and his designs of snowboards and everybody there was so cool and so just close by that I could visit him and they gave me a lot of opportunities and really cool team. Mm-hmm. Crawford and Andrew Crawford was on there and mm-hmm. Terry Dakitas. Crafts, he's working down at Google now. I went to his wedding, just to throw that in there. He's working at he's Google. A, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. And uh, kind of the... Divisions of Google that you can't talk about. <laughs> yeah, he's that guy so, listening to us all the time, knowing what ads to put on our computers. Yeah, well, uh, one uh, example was the uh, electric car or self-driving cars. Oh. You know, they can talk about that now, but for a while it was it was uh, top secret projects. And, and uh, but yeah, it's interesting. I went to his wedding. Yeah, I'm bouncing around. Sorry, but uh, it's good. Crofts, uh, I saw him recently, and it was his wedding. So he had his groups of friends. It was me and Jake Price. Jake. And, uh, and, um, from the snowboard side of things, and then he had his going back to school side of things and all those kids were younger. And then he had his, uh, Google and he worked at NASA, interned at NASA for a while. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was interesting seeing the different groups and the, the ages that they were and the creativity 
Everybody had something going on. But uh, Genius. Yeah, crafts. Yeah. yeah. One, one sidebar I just kind of want to highlight is thinking about snowboard brands. We talk about snowboarding on the show all the time. And, you know, we always talk about Forum and maybe Old Burton or maybe M3 occasionally. But Moro doesn't get brought up yeah. enough. I was thinking about it as you talk. And, and my first snowboard was a Moro Model T. Uh, I was a, I loved Moro as a kid, and they had the Moro spoon. Dude, the spoon oh, was yeah. huge the original. When that thing you, came out. And think about yeah. and it's, I guess it was kind of a short-lived brand, though. Yeah. Was that, was yeah. that why, maybe? Yeah, I, they were. So I started riding for them after the spoon, even. like uh, I started riding for them in, uh, what would that be, 95, 96? And uh, I think the spoon was probably 94. Yeah, that was right after the yeah. spoon, huh? Yeah, it was kind of the era of... Uh, Double barrel, triple barrel, uh, kind of the designs where there's uh, cap construction that kind of went through the boards. And um, and uh, they, let's see, where was I going from? From Moro Influential. Yeah, they, they had a bunch of good years. And then, I don't know, if I was to make conversation story interesting, I'd say it was all the step-in that uh, was kind really? of led to things changing. They, it was the years that the step-in were getting popular and everybody had to have a step-in. And uh, Moro started heading that direction, designing it, and it took a lot of uh, financial resources. And then in the end, it uh, didn't quite uh, work out, which every step in didn't. Yeah, none of them panned <laughs> yeah. out from that time. But uh, yeah, I think that put them in a different financial situation that led to K2 buying Moro. And so I rode for Moro, and uh, incredibly awesome years, everybody involved, and set me on the right path and started me filming with Fall Line. That was kind of the first... Uh, first film companies that were official and that I started filming with. And um, and they gave me my first paycheck. I remember that specifically, too. Uh, what are we talking? What are we talking? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought about first the Cheddar Biscuits, paycheck. and I thought this is something that uh, I could throw out there. And the, I, I remember the exact moment driving with Christine Sperber, and uh, we were going up to a contest in Tahoe somewhere, and, um, and I had signed a contract that was just for snowboards and stuff uh, maybe months before, and uh, my bank account at that time, I remember the moment that I had a thousand bucks in my bank account for the first time and making 70 bucks at uh, Mount Hood, you know, it takes a while to get to that point. And, and I'm like, whoa, a thousand bucks. And uh, and then uh, I remember driving with Christine Sperber and she's like, yeah, I talked tomorrow for you. And, like she helped me out with that. And, uh, and they're offering a thousand bucks a month. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> you, you're now making this seven might dollars work. a day. <laughs> yeah, <prior. laughs> like that changes everything, you know. And uh, and it wasn't just travel, but you know, they were helping me or paying for travel to go to the contest with Todd. And but uh, that was just money that I could use to pay rent and uh, get a car that runs. And um, and that was the moment uh, that I turned pro. I would think it's when a boy became a man. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'll always remember exact moment we were on uh, on the road, and and uh, yeah, and thankful for Christine for helping me out, and and um, but uh, yeah, that was that moment. The cheddar biscuits. Cheddar yeah. biscuits. I got a oh, Patreon no. question for you. Yeah. First, back to that moral level talk. After uh, K two picked them up, you know what happened is Jamie Salters bought them and got them out to every big box store. And that then, was a uh, yeah, and then they yeah. kind of. That's why we don't talk about them anymore. I think because they became that brand that was just put yeah. to the ringer. Yeah, which so kind of how it went. I, I got on there. They're awesome, and I, I guess there was four years there, five years, and then the step in, and uh, it didn't succeed, and took financial resources. They got bought, and then then a few of us, Crawford, went in, to Rosignol, but uh, Todd, myself, uh, went up to K two Moro Moro K two. 
and uh, in Bastion Island, and um, and the board designs changed. And uh, there's some really good boards. That's where I got my first board with uh, my name on it, which could be called a pro model. But uh, Todd and I had a line, and his was a 56. Mine was the 62. No, maybe mine was a 59. That sounds like a pro model. Yeah, yeah, it was a yeah. I kind of saw it as a pro model. But back in uh, that moment in time, like pro models weren't that cool. And then uh, kind of mm. my it was like, no, you don't want pro models. And uh, kind of the thing was, uh, yeah, like um, like Dave Downing, like was no pro model. You know, it was kind of a. Uh, and then Eggy, uh, who I lived with, was good buddies, which is kind of the Burton and. And so it was a pro model, but I don't know if I called it a pro model at that time. That's crazy. I didn't realize there was a stigma on pro models for a Yeah, it wasn't uh, something that we really saw as something, like, cool. Yeah. Well, It wasn't wasn't uncool, but but it wasn't uh, a status symbol or something. It it wasn't something you brought up. There was no parties like there is now type of thing. Yeah. Well, I have a Patreon question because you talked about getting into filming. And uh, Who's it from? Stuck in Ohio. Shout out to Stuck in Ohio. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, Stuck in Ohio actually delivers uh, uh, consistently some good questions. So nice. I'm sorry that you're stuck in Ohio, but thank you for these questions. <laughs> thank you, Stuck in Ohio. <laughs> you filmed with a bunch of legendary crews during your career. Which crew are you the most proud of being part of? Um, I'm proud of all of them, I guess. And I, maybe that's the answer is I'm proud that I was able to film with so many amazing crews. You know, not just one and... and uh, and that's something that I really appreciate that I was like able to move at the different times in the new crews and be part of them. And, um, and for myself, uh, I don't think I would have rode as well or rode the same if I was just with one film company, the same crew, trying to find different jumps, but always at the same jumps. You know, that was something that kept me motivated was moving on to those crews and especially at the right time, which uh, like going to MacDog for a decade, that was the right time, going to Robot Food for Lame. And uh, going to TGR for the Jones movies, you know, there's like it was such a motivation to be showing up, um, like at the cruise with the right time and the film parts, and and so I'm not a, I wouldn't pick one over the other, you know. I appreciate so you them had all. A gun to the head, you had to pick one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know I think I mean? that's what we. I don't want a Louis Vito it, right? But I mean, the one that uh, I guess I'm most proud of, the video part I'm most proud of, would be my part in Lame. You that's know, actually that robot the, food that's year. the correct answer. Correct answer. That's actually the yeah. correct answer. And that's the one uh, as time goes on. The and I, if I'm at like a snowboard party or premiere or something, that's the one that people come up and say, "I love that part." And you know that I think the public appreciated the most too. And and the one that I most that I feel is most complete. And uh, and just how that season went, it was just tons of smiles. You know, some seasons are frustrating, of course, like show up the wrong place. But that season, it seemed like everything was dialed and and. Uh, um, I started Robot Food. Robot Food came out with the first movie, and I was a big fan. And then uh, that was After Bang, and then I came on for Lame. So I wasn't there the first year, but I came on for Lame, and they kind of had already had the ball rolling. And the and we went to jumps that they hit the year before that were new to me. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it was just everything about that season was really motivating and fun. And rode to Travis Parker a bunch that year. That's the year where he did that. Amazing yeah. snowboard. Yeah, the the best. You could easily say the most creative and yeah, going back and looking at his parts is yeah, so awesome. And you know, the simplicity, how he, you know, he's not doing the hardest tricks, but he's doing the best tricks. You know, it's a, uh, and a backside rodeo 1080 was the hardest trick at that time, but I mean, he could even spin on a little ball in the snow and, uh, and it's like, Oh my gosh, that's incredible. But, uh, yeah, that was a very inspirational. It's and- interesting to hear you take that point about doing the different crews, being at the right spot, the right time. 
yeah. the different uh, areas you get to shred and hit new jumps. That must have been just invigorating for you. Yeah, yeah. And Instead that is of the... 10 years at the same. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's go back to the big uh, perfect jump or whatever, yeah, you know. Totally. Like, yeah, everything really cool. was new and fresh, but already set up. Yeah. You know, it's uh, like last time we built it here and I think it's supposed to be here. And it's like, yeah. okay, let's build it better. <laughs> you were like, uh, just that's perfect. It explains why you're probably able to have such a long career. Yeah, it's uh, definitely motivating. Yeah. And uh, yeah, being with uh, different people and seeing how different people work and, you know, and uh, taking from that. And uh, yeah. Definitely appreciate it for every film company I filmed with. Yeah, going back, going on. back to film companies. So you had FLF, Fallen Films, Steak and Lobster. You had one shot in, and then Ticket to Ride, and then Kapow, and then uh, I mean, filming for decade was a major. You know, that that was a, one of the most influential videos in our entire snowboard history. Uh, uh, Buds, I think we got a Patreon question in regards to him filming for decade. You should queue up. It's I at the top. This is from. Chuck Nacho, and he asked, what would you say has been a key to longevity in snowboarding for you? The front three you do in the beginning of your part in Decade is possibly the best ever performed on a snowboard. Woo! Thank you. (laughs) Some heavy props right there. Yeah, that is heavy. Thank you very much. Yeah, Nacho? That is a yeah, Charles. Charles. Chuck. Chuck Nacho. Nacho. <laughs> Charles. Chuck. Yeah, I used to live with him. I used to live with him back in the day. I'm going to give him an air horn. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while. Hope you're doing good, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, and thanks for the compliment. Those are some props yeah. right there. Best yeah. front three ever. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and I uh, very much enjoyed the front side three over my, my history of snowboarding. And, and uh, you know, it's a simple trick that can show so much style, you know, that you can do so uniquely. And, and, uh, yeah, that was a go-to trick many times. And uh, big airs, warm-ups, and, and um, what was the question, though? Key to longevity in snowboarding. Oh, key to longevity. I'd say changing it up, you know, uh, keeping things fresh. And I'm definitely lucky in my career that fresh things came at the right time. You know, the different film companies and splitboarding is a perfect example. You know, splitboarding became really popular when uh, – when we made a movie, My Own Two Feet, with Chris Esmonds, and that's kind of when Jones discovered, uh, Big Mountain Jones discovered splitboarding too, and a, a lot of us did. You know, and there was uh, Dave Downing with a part many years earlier, like a full film part, but uh, that was kind of a moment when, like, whoa, this is something that can really get us places and and uh, to new places that, that were forbidden to go to before. And uh, so just, like, so many fresh things you know, not always being the same snowboarder, doing the same frontside threes or something, you know, like evolving or doing them in different places. And that's motivating for me, but also motivating for inspiring people to know that, uh, you know, there is places to go in snowboarding and, you know, you can evolve with uh, time and age and, and style and, and uh, that it is something. I mean, you have been pro for a long time. Yeah, I'd say 96 or 95 was kind of when it, like, when that those cheddar biscuits started yeah, to that's, come in. That's and, impressive right there. Yeah, it, it is so surprising. I'm, I'm so, so thankful. You know, and uh, so thankful all the sponsors that have provided me those opportunities and and uh, the fans who tell me I have nice frontside threes. And, you know, that means a lot, and it's very motivating. And and uh, it's not a job that just happens. You know, you kind of got to be motivated and inspired, and, and uh, that comes from new experiences, but just people telling you, like, good job and – you know, like with Todd Richards, that's uh, super motivating through my career, too, and how he's still a big part of snowboarding and and uh, how he's still there to try to impress and 
you know, show off to him. <laughs> and, uh, but it's also the the fans and, the, you know, all the people that are making this possible for myself. Stoking mm-hmm. out Todd is basically the key to the longevity yeah. of his career. <laughs> Keeping him happy. Yeah. Love it. So going back to video parts, so you, you did FLF, Decade, you had a couple clips in Tech Diff, I believe. And then you, then it kind of seems like things really escalated with revival, and I think maybe brainstorm was around that era. Whitey stuff, right? The Whitey, like when you started filming, yeah. And Destroyer was the one I grew up on. Mm -hmm. Um, First things first, I just want to get right to the chase. We're going to jump ahead with Destroyer. (laughs) The one thing that sticks out to me is you did a one-footed backflip and you grabbed Melon uh, in Destroyer. Are you the first person to do a one-footed backflip? I don't know. I mean, I'm the first person I ever saw do. Like, when I think about, did I ever invent any tricks? Like, uh, in my mind, like, it's like the first thing that I never saw anybody do that that uh, that I did. And I'm like, oh, cool. But uh, but I wouldn't think so. And I think um, when I did do it at the X Games, I think uh, there was a comment, like, I did one, uh, like, somebody somebody else uh, did one earlier. So you never know. I mean, that's every... There's always that That's guy. most tricks. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some that could be definitely claimed. Uh, by certain writers, but uh, maybe somebody's foot fell out on a backflip. <laughs> but um, but I hadn't seen it before. Yeah, and and also just curious about why you know in Destroyer you also hit a hip and it's a backside hip and you do like a like an air to fakie or pop tart or whatever you'd call that and kick your foot out and come down fakie in yep. Destroyer as well. What was the reason uh, for you to to let that hoof out of the binding? Um, I mean that's always been. Like, I, I purposely tried not to do one-footers too much because I didn't want to become the one-footer guy, almost. And uh, But it was so fun to pull it out at big air contests or something, and it was uh, such a crowd-pleaser. Wah! And, um, but uh, I don't know. I guess maybe you could go back to Lamp Pass. We had a chairlift, and then a chairlift that went all the way to the top, and they're kind of staggered, and you had to ride maybe 30, 40 seconds in between the two, and you didn't buckle in. You were just one foot. And there was a couple little jumps in between there and then you had your foot out you know and then maybe that's kind of the the start of the uh, one footing and mm-hmm. stuff like that and then i enjoyed the shock value you know the kind of the when you do it uh the response you get from from people or judges it's and, a crowd uh, pleaser it actually uh kind of the judges maybe um i did it at the x games uh one-footed backflip and i did a bronze medal but it wasn't for the one-footed backflip i I did the one foot of backflip landed and I got eighth and uh, placed eighth and I'm like oh geez and then I went out for the went back for the old faithful backside nine which was old faithful at that time like uh, kind of took a tip from the book of Jones Kevin Jones and uh, just get one f- trick that you can do on any jump and at that time jumps didn't have any standard you'd show up and everything was different and so it was kind of like learn one good trick and uh, that's how you can be successful at big airs but uh, yeah I was super surprised that uh, that it didn't impress him more. But um, but the but back it, nine got them. They weren't yeah, ready back for nine it. got a uh, third place, and that was my one X Games gold medal. Or sorry, not gold, bronze. Speaking of one footers, yes. we have an amazing photo Andy Wright sent us that's going to be available. Hopefully, he's going to be kind enough to autograph some for us. Yes, it's going to be available on bombhole.com. And you're uh, not going a couple feet in the air. You were going what, like twenty feet he's in the air? Richter scale. Richter scale on a hip. It was a cover too. Yeah, it was a cover. Transworld magazine, two covers. Yeah. There was a method. Two covers at the same month though. Yes, yeah. um, and we're going to have that shot. Um, Julian will pop it on the screen right now, but we'll have it on the bombhole.com. But that is a big one-footer right there. Actually, the uh, funny thing is I felt like a one- small one-footer, I guess, like uh, how that day went down on that big old 
hip at June Mountain, Kurt Heine. Thank you, Kurt Heine, for building awesome jumps many times over. But uh, that was one of the, the best I've ever hit. But um, I was hitting it with my feet buckled in the whole time and, uh, and doing backside airs, and it was so, so fun. Such a awesome day of snowboarding. And, um, and then at the end, I'm like, and I'm done. And, uh, Brad Kramer's like, Hey, how about, uh, maybe going up and doing a, like a one footer. And I'm like, yeah, all right. All right. Uh, and, uh, went up and started way lower and did a one footer and it didn't feel very big because the jump, all the jumps before were double as high. And so it didn't feel like a one foot, big one footer, but, uh, the photo makes it look like a big one. Andy writes a master at the craft, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think master. it was just because your method was Richter scale big. Yeah, yeah, the method. Uh, and that uh, that hip was uh, something from the future, too. That was, like, so well made, just how it balanced out with the run-in and the flat bottom and just the takeoff. Yeah, everything about it was really friendly. But uh, maybe I look back on it friendly. I kind of remembered, yeah, I think somebody got hurt that day. Maybe it was Arnie. So he oh, doesn't really? look back at it as a friendliest uh, hip I jump. I think you were just in the the zone. Backside yeah. though for goofy foots. Mm. Yep, that was a lucky uh, lucky day of snowboarding. Well, awesome, so, awesome. Go, shots. Going back to uh, maybe we, another quick little fun fact. That was yeah. the first Digi cover too. Digital. Photo. Oh no oh, yeah. way! Andy yeah. Wright said that first yeah. digital cover. Yeah, that, that was great right when it switched from film to digital. Yeah, That's incredible. Yeah. During that time, we would actually roll with both in our pack, almost oh, yeah. confused. Like, <laughs> what do I do? What should I shoot? Oh, do I shoot this or that? And you'd you'd almost shoot for like half the day mm. with the film, and then the other half on the digi, not knowing knowing. Yeah, and then you just. After he got that cover, he probably just left his uh, film camera on the table and just proceeded to go all digi. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's actually a – that's history right yeah. there. Yeah, and I enjoy those parts of – being part of those parts of history. Yeah. Yeah. That is a fun fact. So going back, keeping her on, on the rails chronological a little bit here, you were filming for Whitey, and in those videos, you know, you have Revival, Destroyer, Brainstorm, et cetera. And there's skits and things like that. Uh, yeah. How was your experience filming for those Whitey movies? And do you have a favorite Whitey movie part? Uh, Whitey movie part, I, guess, I think probably the one with Backside Nine. Brainstorm. Brainstorm, was yep. it? Yeah, that was probably my favorite Whitey part. But there's a Whitey teaser that we came out with one year, too, that, I, that was just part of the teaser. But uh, I was super proud of that teaser. You know, it came out and it got me so stoked to... Uh, to focus on trying to get a full video part, and um, and uh, that was when teasers came out at the trade shows in January, and it, so it was kind of perfectly timed to continue on from there. I think that was the Destroyer teaser. I remember mm-hmm. it was to Metallica. That's sick and, uh, that your favorite yeah. part's a teaser. <laughs> <laughs> in Destroyer, him and, him and Chad Otterstrom are driving the van, the the mini, it's it, a mini bus, right? Yeah. And you guys are like getting baked in there, and it's like- In uh, like, New York, yeah, New we York. were the, the hippie stoners. <laughs> Get in, man, or something. Yeah. Yeah. LeBlanc was the uh, the the policeman. Oh, yeah. The uh, Twos. Twos was yep. the bum. He came yeah, up. Yeah, bum. Beat it, bum. Yeah. <laughs> LeBlanc should get some sort of Emmy or something for his acting. Yeah, he, yep. times. Yeah, he was good. The rest <laughs> yeah. of us weren't. But, uh, <laughs> you, were, you were all good, but he was great. Yeah. But that was kind of the fun of it. <laughs> well, you mentioned... Putting us in uncomfortable uh, positions. I think skits should make a comeback, yes. personally. Uh, going back to uh, Brainstorm, you mentioned that part, and that one, I went and revisited it, and incredible all-around part. Uh, you also, you backside 900 pyramid gap in that part, and Ooh. that 
today. Fun fact, sidebar, I had the, po- it was a DC ad, right? Was, yeah. And I had the, I grew up with a poster of Dirksen on my wall. It was wow. a back nine on Pyramid, which is actually pretty cool now that we're sitting next to each yeah. other having a little moment. It's cool. Um, but uh, that that today could could still, would still be an ender. I love a trick like that. You know, however many years later, that same trick would end anybody's video part. Uh, talk us through the back nine on Pyramid Gap. Uh, well, I guess the whole day we hiked up Grizzly Gulch, me and Crofts, and uh, we hit another jump. And it was a pretty fun little powder step down. And uh, the day was a success. We kind of hit a fun jump, landed, and then uh, from across the valley we could hit, see the Pyramid Gap there. And uh, we went over there and uh, some skiers had built it, and we're hitting it, and we showed up and like, whoa, cool. And we were just kind of, I think Twos was there too. And um, so we were kind of sitting around, and Crawford's like, I'm going to go ask him if we can hit it. And uh, he went up and asked them, and uh, they said, yeah, we're going to hit it like one or two more times, and then it's all your guys's, which I always look back on and think that's so nice and kind of them. You know, there's so many uh, moments that you're like, no way, this is our jump. And, uh, like, we used to, uh, as a group, destroy, like, uh, takeoffs and stuff so that uh, they wouldn't be there and and, uh, for somebody else to just walk up and hit, you know. But it's kind of if you spend two days building a jump, then – but uh, but it was super nice and genuine that they they let us hit it and so went up there Crawford hit it first and uh, and it was just really perfect setup and uh, take off run in and and uh, I think I backside sevened it and um, the whole session was kind of awesome and backside nine which I was super stoked on and that was a time when when uh, I did a lot of backside nines and could kind of pull them out at any moment and and backside seven even more that was uh, kind of my go to trick and with filming it was the trick if the if I didn't get a land, if I didn't land after ten times, like just go for the backside seven, pull it out. But um, but uh, just great jump. It didn't seem as big as the photos made it look. You know, it's so well built and put together. And uh, I was super stoked, and uh, that was really fun seeing the DC ad. You know, the single frame sequence. That was a uh, kind of a the times, uh, and then was a with that kind of style with skateboard and DC skate ads and stuff. Morphed sequence, are <laughs> you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, did J two hit the pyramid gap? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. No, just uh, I only remember being Crofts. But I mean, it was a long time ago. I don't, I don't quite I don't remember it all to... clearly. Like if you told me to go up and uh, go find the pyramid gap, I don't know if I'd quite find, find it. it. I probably would. You just go up the valley until yeah, you go to the top of the valley. There. But uh, but um, yeah, that uh, maybe a little something about myself. I guess when I see that that ad or. That shot, I always think about. Um, I landed, and then that gap always has that wind lip that's uh, maybe 100 feet down, you think? And I landed and I flipped around before the uh, that little wind lip so I could go over it without getting bucked crazy. And that always kind of drives me crazy. When I look back, uh, the <laughs> nine was nice, but I'm like, ah, I shouldn't have flipped around and. Should have, uh, yeah. You still but, think about it all these years later. Losing I, sleep. He's losing yeah, I think sleep if, I, if I see uh, that sequence, yeah. that's what's going to come to mind is that wind lip after. That night you'll wake Not up Not the only thing that comes to mind, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So going back to the 900, uh, obviously you have your most famous quote from Robot Food, something along the lines of, I could care less <laughs> if I ever do a 900 again, but the sponsors like it, something along those lines. Yeah, you had to like have that. been approached by so many people for saying that and ask if you still do 900s and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and so that was, uh, what was that, After Bang movie? Yeah. That was interviews, and uh, 
And that movie, I also said that I didn't like jibbing, which I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather jib on my skateboard. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the record, I, I, I don't hate jibbing or something. And uh, I don't you're, hate 900s either. Hater. But uh, what's up? You're a jib hater, huh? Uh, no, no, I'm not a jib hater, but, uh, on the streets. He, he, he but just I mean, says he chooses not to, really. oh. but, uh, but both those things were kind of true. Like, um, for the nine hundreds, like, I, you know, it was kind of at a time when I, I, I appreciated front side threes more than nine hundreds and nine hundreds seemed like the, the trick that I got on lock so I could, uh, do well at a snowboard big air contest and, or I could show up at a big jump and get an awesome shot, you know, and, uh, and, uh, but it was, it wasn't like my favorite trick or. You know, I like the simple kind of the front side threes. And so there was truth in that. And then uh, the jibbin comment, too. I, it wasn't that I didn't hate jibbin. It was uh, it was just kind of from our, like, bachelor, like, we didn't have handrails there. and We didn't have a park forever. And when I worked up at Hood, there was no rails. Like, uh, the only time we had set up a rail was when Kevin Jones came into town. <laughs> and he was the only one who would hit it. Like, all the campers, no one would hit it. And Really? You it just, just got there solo? Yeah, it just wasn't our... Uh, our like style of snowboarding was no part and it didn't and I did try to hit rails a few times and um and it was maybe one out of ten I would crash viciously and uh which kind of makes it like I don't know if I like rails you know <laughs> were these well, park got, rails uh, or street rails you know he's got uh, razor sharp street, edges yeah I bet yeah. he's sharp he probably sharpens I mean, them every night yeah, I didn't uh, understand or just think about detuning my edges or stuff like that. But I also had Kevin Jones going, "Nah, I don't detune my edges." Like he would, uh, <laughs> he would uh, just out of whatever, he would uh, just hit a rail without touching his edges. Just he was so talented and good. <laughs> but um, but for uh, for me and uh, like many of our friends and and for many bachelor riders, like just rails isn't part of our riding and like uh, and a lot of my history of snowboarding, rails weren't a thing like even anywhere. And uh, there was snow that in bend sometimes but it wasn't really that you could go hit street rails so much and uh so just for the record i, I don't and never did hate rails and i appreciate people doing awesome stuff on it but it was just kind of never and same thing with 900s but uh those quotes uh those came out i'm like oh man <laughs> and uh you know i try not to be i try to have an opinion on things and um but i try not to be a shit talker you know and that seemed like when those quotes that i was shit talking but but I uh, might as well have something to say. And uh, there was, it wasn't that they're totally false, you know. But, um, but uh, that was a time. I don't know if I did too many 900s after that. And uh, these days, for sure, no. Like, uh, I think there was one time maybe a year or two ago that I hucked off a tiny little Winlip Bachelor 700. No grab and, like, whipping it around. And it felt so awkward and forced. And, and, uh, but uh, it's pretty rare that I even grab my board these days, you know. And... Uh, but but to go back to like turning and stuff too, I think you know I've always always enjoyed tricks and trying to do them perfect and uh, as perfect as possible. And um, and then after a while, you know, as you get older, you can't you know focus on those. And I think that's where turning turning something that's timeless that so you can always uh, try to improve. You know, and that's what uh, turning kind of brings my snowboarding. It's something that you can practice and improve at without without a uh, making your knees hurt and you, you don't know. grab your board either Nah, <laughs> i wouldn't think so no that's yeah. tight dude you can be a pro yeah. and not grab your board yeah but have and you uh, seen, seen him lay down a hillside oh, though dude yeah it's, it's amazing it's but like i'll a, uh, like i'll try to art. do like shifties or something it's not that i'm going in the air and don't care about anything but uh as far as grabbing the board it's like no i don't 
don't uh, see really. Dude, I agree. As it. age goes, you can like for me. The turn is just something you can just. It's there. Yeah, and that will always be there until yeah. I'm. I mean, you can be seventy years old, and it's still something like I. I want to work on this turn, get a little yeah. cleaner, and it yeah. feels awesome. And in the yeah. powder, it's like such a thing, and it's so different with spinning yeah. and. Yeah. If you look at the era of your career, it's just not sustainable to be doing huge airs on hips and yeah. and wild tricks. It, it has an expiration date, and and thank God that you found the the kind of perfect like phase. Splitboarding came around right at that right time, and you were able to just transition beautifully from freestyle snowboarding into kind of naturally human-powered snowboarding and whacking turns and bank slaloms and all that stuff. Yeah. It, it's all the key to the longevity. Yeah. Yeah, and keeping inspired with new things. And, and uh, I mean, with the, the tricks, it's uh, there's a point in any rider's career where you got to pass the torch, you know, that uh, you want to see other people do it, and they're going to do it how, I, how I'd want to do it, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's no longer me doing it how I want to do it. It's like, oh, that's how I want to, and... And um, so yeah, I don't uh, I don't miss like the the big tricks, but I but I had a lot of fun doing them when when during those times. When and yours was the backside and, nine, just imagine these kids today. Yeah, yeah, twenty yeah. ones and all that. How, yeah. would, you, so, how would you be so, feeling about that? Um, yeah, if about, you were, if you were feeling like a nine hundred was too yeah, much spinning, how are you feeling about an eighteen hundred? <laughs> yeah, but I watched uh, Ben Ferguson's new movie and he did some awesome back nines and uh, I I really uh, enjoyed watching them more than any other trick in that in that movie, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it got a little special place in my heart the nine hundreds and or the backside nines to be exact, and uh, that one during those days you needed a nine, and then uh, Kevin Jones was a frontside nine, UC was a switch backside nine. And so it was kind of like, which nine am I going to choose? And uh, backside nine seemed like the the one that wasn't as popular as the rest. Nice. And, uh, I had a lot of fun cap nines too, but yeah, those times. I got a tricked nerd question. When you watch your old parts, I think you do a few of them, but uh, I always loved you would do Wildcat late back when 80s. They weren't yeah. quite a back rodeo. We, yeah. we, I think at one point, you know, Terrier kind of had a similar deal where he'd yeah. grab Melon and do it, but I think you grab Indy, if I remember correct, or I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. And so what, uh, I just want to know your thought process on, on the Wildcat late 180. Um, yeah, I was listening to Peter Lyons' bomb hole recently too, and there was some good conversation on that. But uh, I mean, to start out with, it was just what made sense in my head. You know, and uh, I didn't do backflips for quite a while. There was, or, or get even upside down, like, uh, for many years. And then there was one year I remember I'm, uh, I'm learning to backflip. And I, I backflipped definitely once a day whenever I go snowboarding off every, anything, everything. And I, I got him to where it was almost easier than a, a straight jump. And so, so when backside rodeos came around, it was, it just, the backflip part was what I kind of knew and, um, yeah, I, I just couldn't do a backside rodeo like Peter Lyon or something for sure. And that's just how my backside rodeos happened. And they were a little loose. They weren't super consistent, my back flip backside 180. But uh, but I was also a big fan of Hawken. You know, maybe that was some something too. And and uh, Subject Hawkinson, I think he had some, some mm-hmm. of those in there. But I'd imagine it was uh, my riding was spinning, flat spinning, and then it came straight backflip. And then it was combining those two, you know, and so, so it was like the backflip and the spin, you know, and uh, so yeah, that's just Love how the it breakdown. happened. Love the breakdown. So I, I kind of we just talked nine hundred. I want to know if you have an opinion on watching a slope style contest on seeing kids doing eighteen hundreds. Um, 
I'm impressed, but uh, but I'm more impressed on a 900 or different tricks. A 900 is you know, more impressive. Uh, for me, or done, more just relatable, right. yeah. relatable, understandable, and uh, and yeah, I mean, eighteen hundred. I don't understand it. So no, you do I'm, a nine hundred, and then <laughs> you do a whole nother nine hundred. <laughs> That's what yes. it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm impressed. I thought in there a, was something wrong with like the footage, <laughs> and it was playing too fast, or so. I, I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, yeah. For myself, just because I'm old, I appreciate the simpler stuff, and. And that was always uh, what I strive for in snowboarding, and and uh, I have a lot of respect for those tricks and the, how dangerous and crazy they are. But uh, but yeah, they yeah in my brain they don't quite compute. And, uh, See, I'm old and I love to watch them just because it's so amazing, you know. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed the Danny Davis Peace Park last year. I judged that with uh, oh, Yuri right. Renier. Yeah, we were judging. Uh, that was perfect, you know, and it had a little. Little dash of uh, some like double corks and stuff, yep. some uh, nothing too impressive far, tricks, though, huh? but uh, but it was a mix of absolutely every everything that I understand, and uh, that was the perfect contest you for know, me to enjoy. You know what was so special about that contest was it, the 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 park day that we judged, where they were just riding park. It was red, and all these guys and ladies just ripping, and they were doing run after run. I don't know, maybe they did twenty runs. We'll say for the sake of this conversation, but you got to see how deep people's bags of tricks were yeah that was really they fun weren't, to the see jumps they jumps weren't huge they, either. they weren't huge and they were mixing it up every time they came down yeah. i thought it and was they weren't stock they're were maybe a little yeah. bit of a hip put Tricky. into yeah. a uh, straight jump and everything had a uh, little dip something different in you it. could see what these guys are made of mm-hmm. out there huh yeah 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 a little jib a thrown there. in there too in the middle a couple jibs so yeah going back to robot food here yeah. uh you know I would say that for almost anybody that's a snowboard nerd, uh, most most people are in agreement. Not all, but most are in agreement that that robot food. I mean, and you also film for Mac Dog, and you also, but but particularly robot food was kind of like the golden era of snowboard videos, in my opinion. Uh, and it had such a huge impact on everybody. Almost anybody that comes in, you ask them their favorite movie, Lame or something, After Bang, all these things. A lot of people tend to trend that direction. Did you feel the effects these videos were having on the snowboard culture when you guys were making them? Um, yeah, I guess before Robot Food, it seemed like we were all trying to be badass, tough, you know, serious. And uh, and Robot Food was kind of a moment when it was like, oh, we're having fun. It's like you're trying to be goofy. And and uh, and I mean, that's what you want snowboarding to be. And that's what we're, we're trying to do when we go snowboarding is have fun and, and uh, be funny and have fun with your friends and... And uh, that seemed like a like a good direction that it took snowboarding that it still shows today. And uh, yeah, before that, did you yeah. go whitey to robot food? Uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yep, yep, yeah. And Brad Kramer uh, was on shooting for both, or no? Uh, no, maybe not. No, do you have no, a list Jess. there? <laughs> happy Jess hour to lame. Oh so. yeah, happy and happy hour is a random year. I didn't have a uh, too solid of a season uh, that year, like. I'm just wondering if, like, the Whitey movies was more of a tough and serious. But it was uh, Whitey movies, and then Brad Kramer filmed Happy Hour. Oh, Brad Kramer yeah. did. Yeah, he was kind of in charge more than Whitey. I think he was in charge of the movie. Yeah, I think he was. And then Robot Food, went to Robot Food, and that was perfect timing. And, um, yeah, a lot of, uh, if you look at kind of my snowboard history and movie parts, I, I kind of had good years, bad years, good years, bad years. I think with I think a long career, that's just going to happen, huh? Yeah, but also I think 
after a bad year, I was really motivated to have a good, good year. year. And after a good year, I was not as motivated. Yeah, you're you know? kicking and, back a little bit. I just that's a little bit of uh, laziness, or not laziness, but uh, chilling. No, it was really motivating to have a bad year and like, no, that's not uh, the part that I wanted to mm-hmm. have, and that would lead to good years. And then when it matched up with film, like linking up with a good crew, like a fresh, awesome, like motivated crew, like Robot Food that one year, you know, is perfect for good things New to happen. And exciting. Yeah. Or you were signing two year contracts. And yeah, that's yeah. True. Have some the team first managers. year you're relaxing. <laughs> contract and you're year. like, oh, I got to get, get yeah. a part out of this contract year. But I've, I had a lot of luck with that, too. Like, uh, I mean, it was two year contracts, and I'm sure a lot of my old team managers would be like, oh, Dirksen. Uh, <laughs> like, but maybe that came into my mentality, too. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't mean it to be like that. But, uh, you know, when your career is on the line and you think you can do better than you did the last year, you know, things come together. And it's not all planned by myself you know weather comes into it and uh but yeah it's a lot of lucky breaks but i had lucky breaks with contracts too now those fell into place a career as long as yours is a lot more than luck though huh uh yeah but uh (laughs) i mean there's a lot of luck in there for sure but uh and a lot of luck that just gives me motivation which makes for a long career but um yeah i like how it uh, all fell into place and how it wasn't always easy or every year perfect and i like the the storyline keeps you along. motivated, huh? Yeah. Now, yeah. still one more thing on robot food I wanted to cue in on because these videos had such a huge impact on the culture. And in my opinion, I think like you you mentioned it earlier, but to rearticulate it, I think snowboard videos were in a place where it was like, we want to make the best video with the best tricks and the biggest tricks and the biggest pros. And there was this kind of balance of A-grade hammers with spinning around on top of a freaking trash can. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. you guys are having fun, and, you know, Benedict's board sliding a box with an 80-inch stance, and, like, <laughs> you guys are being dipshits. And so what I'm curious about is did you guys go into those projects when you were filming Lame? Did you have, like, an ethos, like, we're, we're attempting to make this movie that's going to be relatable to, it's going to humanize us to the audience. Are we going to tactfully try to get this fun footage or did it just all happen naturally? Uh, well, to start out with, I was just along for the ride, you know, with Robot Food. And I mean, with many of the projects I worked with, um, I hop on and um, just enjoy being around the crew. And I mean, that was the crew and that's what they did. And and maybe uh, robot food movies were so influential because they gave people something relatable, you know, as a moment when tricks were getting so complicated. And, um, you know, if you throw in stuff that's like, oh, it's not all about those complicated tricks, about everything included. But um, and maybe that was my style of writing, too. But uh, it wasn't my plan. It was me showing up and just fitting in well with the robot food crew and them um, being on such an awesome plan. And, and it was the writers, but it was also the filmers. And the, I mean, even the photographers who are influencing the sessions that we get into. And uh, I mean, if you have your filmer like, nope, that's not good enough, then that's not very motivating. But, but uh, if it's something simple and then it makes a movie and, and uh, I mean, it just uh, makes snowboarding relatable at that moment when it was maybe getting a little out of control. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about some socks. Jed Anderson rides them, Jill Perkins ride them, and I ride them. Of course, you know I'm talking about Stance. If you've ever seen a pair of socks with the Icon logo on the ankle, then you know about Stance. Stance has been making some of the most comfortable and creatively designed socks and underwear for the snowboarding community for a while. They also make Celtics, Boston Red Sox gear. I got all kinds of collaborative 
gear from them. But lately, their designers have been bringing in the same winning formula to clothing. We're talking joggers, hoodies, hats, and tees. They even got a Wu-Tang collab. Things kind of fire. Toe-to-head comfort and creativity. Head on over to stance.com and use promo code THEBOMBHOLE to save 20% off. Again, stance.com, promo code THEBOMBHOLE. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, all this video talk, buds, you know what it's time for. I think it's time for the <laughs> name that video part. Name That Video Part is presented by our friends over at Mammoth Mountain Buds. Mammoth's got something for everybody, even Stony Buds. It's a heck of a mountain, and you know, they put that little pipe in, and wow, good times over there, man. I was thinking about this when I was driving the other day, and and this is important with mountains. If you go to a, a resort that has bad park jumps, it's like my myself personally, I feel like I'm, I have a hard time. I'm like, am I bad at snowboarding no, you but, actually think it reflects on you it does when you, but you go to mammoth the jumps shout out to the park crew i mean it's been known forever that their their park jumps are just unbelievably good you go ride those jumps they make you feel like a better snowboarder. is that why you guys all look so good from the lift when yeah. i'm going over <laughs> and they have little jumps for guys like me and yeah they, i feel good too so i know what you're talking about they got about. everything and if you just want to rip turns like dirksen and rip some fat toe sides some heel sides this is a giant mountain with endless terrain. So if you're interested in a nice little snowboard vacation, check out Mammoth Mountain. They support the show. You should support them. With that being said, let's get right into Name That Video Part. Uh, Dirksen, earlier you mentioned you have a you have a strategy, and I don't know what that is, but I want to <laughs> hear about it. He said he has a strategy. <laughs> well, I guess uh, I thought about it, and I, my confidence level wouldn't be too high, but I think you kind of give people... Parts or that uh, they might know, and so I think you're going to be nice. And so, you know, I thought I maybe would have be able to guess before you even give me the video part. Wow! Wow! All right, he's going to he's going to pre guess. I would love the pre guess. Guess. Um. All righty. He's the pre guess. This this is really exciting. (laughs) Oh man! Yeah. I almost would think we should give him like two or three. I don't think he's going to get it, but let's give him three tries. I'll give you three. We'll give you three. Maybe that'll even come into my strategy if you don't think I'm going to get it. But, I mean, you've been talking about robot food a lot, and you're a big fan. And uh, and so maybe robot food, but maybe not the one that I was in. And so I'd, I'd go for maybe it's going to be something in robot food after Bang, the first one. Or maybe a Subject Hawken movie. I don't know how you'd uh, get to that. But... Um, let me think. Sometimes you'll so, ask one more. people close you got one to one more. You. The first two, I'll, I'll tell, say right right now, incorrect. He'll, so sometimes you, he'll call someone close to you and ask them. No, no, I did. You I did a deep dive. I actually pulled a robot food. I pulled a robot food song, and I said, you know what? This is too much of a low hanging fruit. The one time. <laughs> so you're then not throwing meatballs. Yeah, I've been putting a little more thought into it. So people give me shit for going too easy. So the so one it's, time it's not. We had it's, it's hopefully, not robot food. hopefully you give or me subject easy. Hawkinson. Yeah. And especially if it's uh, something from over the last ten years, I think he's I would giving fail you miserably. a lot of a lot of uh, information here. So, what's your third guess? Uh, third guess will be uh, Mikey LeBlanc in Kingpin uh, when he launches off the uh, the Brighton brainstorm. Drop. Um, brainstorm. 
Uh, you got a bomb hole prize pack. It is Mikey LeBlanc and Brainstorm. Dude. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing. Holy smokes, Dirksen. Uh, I can't believe you pre-guessed I, that. I can't believe yeah, I'm a little video. surprised, too. But I <laughs> Dude, he went video and writer. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the first two he movies. He says Mikey LeBlanc. I'm like, okay. And he says Kingpin. I'm like, oh. And he says Brighton Dam. I'm like, he did it. He did it. The first two, he didn't even throw out writers. That's what's crazy. <laughs> he just said videos. Yeah, yeah, that is. And that's uh, one that of my is. favorite video parts of all time. <laughs> it so is. Even yeah. I knew that one. Yeah, I figured, high degree. Double you, song, even. Yeah. Yep. You're Two in, songs. I thought it was a good pick. You're in Brainstorm, but it was a, a while pick. ago. But it's kind of it, the obvious one's Robot Food. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm I'm kind of riding high off of this. Yeah, I'm kind of riding high, too. Now, I almost dude. gave you this one, too. This is for the listeners. This if is you, not to say. You can you can yeah, try to guess it if you'd like. We'll beep it out. But for those who don't know, we pick our winner on Instagram when when his episode comes out. <laughs> the photo of Dirksen. That's where you leave your comment on the Bombholes Instagram. You get that's a prize pack. Winner. And this this is actually a meatball for the listeners. Everybody's gonna know this one, but here we go. Great song. All right, thank you to our listeners for participating. Should you give them the prize pack. Name oh, that yeah. video part. Yeah, yeah. give them oh, the prize pack. Yeah, we're what, do you, riding, what do you got in the prize pack? So high. Um, well, I got a Yeti cooler there, and I got Yeti some bomb hole. That looks like my style. Listen to the bomb hole. Got a like nice hat. Caps. All this stuff hole. is stickers available at yeah, Todd Richards be jealous of that one? Yeah, he would be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, coffee mug. That's With what the I do. Oh, it's the oh, you got coffee the, mug I got here. You got the E-Nome. Yeah. You can drink. Is that a bomb hole coffee mug? Yeah, that's me on there. All right. A bunch of bomb hole swag. Dirksen, thank you for playing and winning. Name that video yeah. part. <laughs> <laughs> that was Unreal. A, that was history of our show right there. Yeah, that was you great. just that was you great. just blew, you just broke the internet with yeah. that. That was like you were psychic. <laughs> yeah, that was psychic. That, that was, was a funny look on your face when Dude. I guessed it. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew you were right when I looked at his face. Like, <laughs> I thought I, I thought I had a good one there. <laughs> you wow. did have a good one. All right, uh, let you know what it's a good time for. The crowd went wild. It's a good time for to get in. We got a we got a freaking basically a bored scientist on our hands here. Oh snap! So we got to talk tech talk here. Dude, when you and Nils hang out, it must just be like they got they actually have graphs and they got uh, they got like they got like what are those pie charts? They got charts going. What's the thing that you use in geometry where you draw your angles? Protractors. protractors. They got protractors going Compass and everything. Could have come in handy. Yeah, they got a compass. <laughs> some side cuts. I can just imagine you guys. You guys are like they're on the ground looking at the well, side. They're cut. not even on the ground. They're on belay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With protractors talking about board graphics. So let's Chopped talk up. snowboards here. You have a lot of input in the design of snowboards, and you know you test boards. You're a big part of R and D. You know, I know you've d- developed some boards with Solomon. Uh, I'm just curious, like, what are you doing when you're testing a snowboard, and and what makes a good snowboard, in your opinion? Um, yeah, I really enjoy designing snowboards and uh, understanding them, and that was from the time I started riding for Moro until now. That's a big part of my life. But with Solomon these days, I, I guess I like they kind of know the snowboards that I like, even or like what 
Like they designed snowboards, the Super 8 to be uh, specific. Uh, I didn't design that board, but uh, I think they designed it for for me. And um, like it came out and they're like, this is the board you're going to like. And uh, I've been on Solomon now for 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they definitely, I've commented over those 20 years and they definitely know what kind of snowboard and the style of snowboards I like. And, um, and I mean, I like clean side cuts, nothing uh, wobbly or crazy in there. I like a radius. And, um, and then I like wider boards. Like I said earlier, 26.5 is kind of my standard for my nine and a half foot that uh, I can't really ride something less than that. It's not only the, the width isn't only the, the, uh, like heel drag or whatnot, but it's also just how a wider board flexes. I like it. There's just more there. Torsionally. Yeah. And, um, yeah, maybe not just torsionally. I think torsional would be kind of that. It's kind of just how it rides under your feet. Uh, if a board gets too narrow, even if it's a stiff, narrow board, it doesn't ride right for my preference. And, um, the sidewall thickness. Like if you look at a sidewall, I can kind of tell if, uh, I'm going to like a board in front of my front foot. I hate boards that uh, fold on my heels. Um, so just kind of kink at a moment. So having that sidewall that extends past where my front foot is set, that's something that's kind of important to me and uh, that the boards I ride on Solomon are all going to be kind of free ride boards with a kind of a thicker core profile that extends out towards the nose. And uh, having a nose that's not too soft, that's uh, something that drives me crazy. Why? And, uh, cause it just folds or yeah, just like it fold if the, the board's too thin, gets too thin after my foot. But, uh, just if the nose folds over and going over the handlebars, that's the, the main way that I crash in snowboarding and, uh, flying over. And so having a board that can start to prevent that and is, uh, something. And I like all, I mean, these days I like all Volley's boards, Volley's got the hillside project on Solomon and so Volley, Nevelt. Uh, makes Asmos, spectacular Volemon. pow surfer, and um, and he has a little factory by his home that he makes the Asmo boards and uh, and presses them. And then over the last couple of years, Solomon started paying him per board, and so he'll he can design any board that he wants, any shape, flex, anything, and uh, he just makes boards that he wants and that uh, that we talk about and that other uh, riders on the team talk about. And then he just hands them off to the riders, but to Solomon, and then everybody rides them. And if it's a good board, then it ends up in the line. And so you'll see the, the boards in the Solomon line with the little H hillside. Those are the ones that uh, Volley designed and that everybody had input in. And um, every, every board on Solomon has input, but, uh, but especially like the, the Volley designs. And, um, and those are, like when I say like a board, there's boards that I like. Like if I picked a standard board, it's going to be the Solomon Super 8. But I, I'm very glad that I don't ride the Solomon Super 8 every day of the year. You know, last year I probably rode 15 different boards, I think. Wow, you know, uh, 15. Yeah, I think, I think so. You know, I have a board if I'm riding around with my nine-year-old daughter, Alana. Then I have a smaller board that kind of turns quick and more fun and more nimble. And uh, Bodie's boards, I love getting those things. He always has – Solomon makes his boards like 170s. And uh, some years they don't even sell them because there's maybe – six people in the world who want to buy a 170, but, but Bodie's one of them who needs them. And, uh, so Bodie's pro model sales are not too well, big. Well, he has a huh? different size boards, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Some smart, smaller size. Smart, yeah. smart guy. But, uh, but I, I really like those boards that he makes. And, uh, but all the boards I get from Solomon are stiffer. And not uh, Stiffer I mean, than production? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, for sure, that's a pretty standard thing. And they used for to sure. be like twice as stiff a projection. And that was just back in the days when the only thing that matters is landing off a, a kicker. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in those moments, if you have a nice stiff board to rally over the bomb holes and bomb holes. <laughs> All right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Then, but uh, my boards have got a little more friendly and normal. But um, but my boards are all stiffer. I'm kind of uh, at Solomon. When they prototype, they come out with the flex that they think is going to be production, and then they come out with uh, one stiffer, one softer. So they kind of know which boards to send me or which boards to pick up. And oh, like the tolerance, it didn't yeah. make to- pro- uh, production tolerance. Yeah, like so uh, what's going to be the perfect uh, the flex for the normal person, and and the one they choose is not the one for Dirksen. They That's send me sick, the, and then yeah. you're like, I'll take these. Yeah, and so uh, I, I write a lot of product or uh, prototype boards these days because graphics don't quite matter as much. And if I have a choice, I'll just have a board with a black base or something, and that's what a lot of prototypes come out with too. And uh, yeah, this year they I just went into the prototype room and like handpicked the boards. Grab what you like. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm definitely specific, which is almost uh, it's annoying, you know, that uh, all boards aren't perfect. But luckily, there's a lot of boards to choose from, and uh, I can find them all. And and it's fun having an opinion on something, and and having Volley design even more. And and uh, but I'm not just happy with one board, but I definitely have. Uh, one kind of board that's the standard, and then everything kind of comes off from there. And mm-hmm. <coughs> but I've, I've ridden those hillside projects, and they're, they're nice boards. They're, yeah, yeah, they're so well-designed. And Solomon has a lot of – I mean, Volley, of course, influences the boards that he doesn't design at Solomon, too. You know, that Solomon listens to their writers really well. And, and so he'll make those at his house? Yeah. That's yeah, really at, cool. at, at his factory by his house. He has a factory yeah. by his house, and he'll And press. he'll make anything. Like, any possible change you can make on a snowboard, he can do – and then Solomon provides them with the materials, the bases, the top sheets, the sidewalls, and and uh, and the programs to make it all. Like, and uh, yeah, it's a really that's really, really cool. Yeah, it's a really cool opportunity I, and, I, uh, for myself. I mean, um, staying inspired is uh, how I keep snowboarding going, and uh, having different boards to inspire me is a big thing too. You know, not just the people I hang you got around. Got fifteen but the boards. boards mounted up at your crib. Uh, not mounted up. No. But, I was going to uh, say, I can mount it up pretty impressive. quick. I mean, if I have a board I like, I'll kind of trace my stance on there and uh, so I can throw I it back on there pretty quick. That. But, uh, there, there's some cool things thinking about product <coughs> testing, too, because I think a lot of pro athletes offer criticism on the board. Yes. But you, I think a big part of research and development is not only offering criticism, but a solution to the problem. Yeah. That's a huge part of R&D. And one example of you doing that is designing the backseat camber. That was your uh, camber profile that you kind of conjured yeah. up, correct? Do you want to explain what that is for the listeners? Um, well, camber is uh, when the middle of the board has, has uh, is higher off the ground. Of course, everybody knows that. And then there's kind of banana that's uh, like what everybody hated for a bunch of years. And and um, everybody said, we need to go back to camber. That's but reverse I, camber? Yeah. yeah, reverse camber, exactly. But I think um, we didn't go back to camber. We kind of went back. Like, if you look at any board, it's not a cambered board from 1998. You know, it's a blend of all Hybrid. the new ideas. But kind of when a new idea comes out in snowboarding, it goes to the extreme. Like when Magnet Traction first came out, it was wow, 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 wow. And then you'll see boards with it just subtle. And that's the the solution that was, like, in the end what was needed. But, um, but with uh, the backseat camber, I guess the camber is centered over the middle. And then if you ride your board set back an inch and a half, then you could kind of think in your head that the camber should be set back an inch and a half. And then the backseat camber is even... Backseat camber technically is uh, 
it's kind of flat until the back foot, and then it kind of drops into some camber. And uh, so when you put it on a table, it just looks like camber. So the camber starts at the back foot to the yeah, tail? Yeah, it kind of starts to, like, the middle back foot and then goes from there, and then the, the front of the board is flat. When you put it, it just looks like camber. But, uh, but yeah, it has uh, some thought put into it. And But uh, maybe it goes back at the beginning of the show when you asked me about turning and, and I said putting weight on that back foot. It, that's kind of, you know, where I want my camber and where I want the resistance so I don't, you can like you know, load it's a little bit of a balancing. Foot. Yeah, and you can kind of balance on it a little better when there's some resistance. Ah. And, uh, yeah, like a, a uh, uh, banana board, reverse camber. Those drive me absolutely crazy. You know, they, they just seem so slippery and wrong. Yeah, and you try uh, to ollie on one for the first time. You're just like, wow. Great, great yeah. for a nose press. Yeah. Yeah. Than that. But, uh, but yeah. But, um, yeah, the camber, but even the backseat camber has kind of changed a little bit. You know, everything every year is fine-tuned and and updated. And and uh, just for, not that it was a bad idea, but just, like, moving forward and new ideas and new inspiration and uh, that's kind of what the boards, you know, I don't want to ride the same board. But uh, but I did, last year I rode a bunch of old boards too. Like uh, I don't, and Solomon doesn't really expect me to ride um, like the newest board graphic. And so I kind of just ride, there's boards that didn't quite get their day when I received them and I'll go back and ride those. And, and it's fun revisiting ideas and, um, and then kind of putting them into new thoughts. And so, yeah, I enjoy it. But mm-hmm. I definitely am not satisfied satisfied with just one board. I love it. I love it. Now, this is something, a personal question. I'd like you to debunk, because in my head, you keep talking about <laughs> wider boards. And I've ridden some wide boards, you know, because I got a size 10 foot, and oftentimes, you know, the toe and heel drag on a normal board is a little, it's a little narrow. So I bump up to a wide, and I have a hard time sometimes getting them on edge. It feels like uh, getting a wider board, like going from edge to edge, I kind of have it in my head that a wide board is is not as easy to get up on its edge for, you know, I guess reactiveness, you could say. Yeah. Uh, can you debunk this for me? Because I'd like to understand. Um, well, for a while I said that uh, wider the better. And then I rode, Vole made a, had a pro model that it was 27, and then it was too wide. <laughs> so, you know, there is a width that's too wide. And then, uh, like, reactiveness, that does make sense that uh, wider <laughs> board's not going to be as much pressure. But I think it's also how the board's built, like the whole... If a wide board's built with a lot of side cut, it's going to be pretty quick to get onto that side cut, and uh, and then the actual time is just milliseconds. You know, that's not really something that makes difference. But uh, but a wider board's going to be less pressure on the edge. I think that you could put on there, and and so. But I think it's the whole board design, not just the width. That's why I was saying the width uh, <clears throat> makes me uh, like or hate the flex more differently mm-hmm. too. You know, it's kind of uh, just how the board's all overall put together. And if a board is really wide but has a little bit of taper, that's going to make it more nimble. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, every board's unique, and it's in many ways. It's not just one thing that you can pick out and say, that's the standard. Yeah, so a wide board with no side cut is probably what I've ridden where I've been like, this thing is, is just takes so much effort to get on edge, but a wider board with a, a more aggressive side cut, I'm going to yeah. be able to get that thing up on edge. Either. Yeah, and side cut uh, can also mean where it kind of reaches that contact point at the nose, how catchy that that moment is if it's really catchy, then it's going to get you there really quick, mm-hmm. and uh, and it'll get you really pressure in. And uh, yeah, maybe I like wide boards too. And so, wait, the, you like it catchy? Um, uh, on maybe. the contact point. Yeah, maybe. For rip and turn. I definitely uh, noticed the contact point of a board. Yeah. Now, and that's where how boards have changed with the uh, reverse camber. 
is especially on those contact points, if you just raise them up 0.01 of a millimeter, that's going to make a board friendlier or, or quicker or, you know, di- it'll change things. Mm. And, Which is uh, good for a beginner because it's not as grabby, but yeah. not, not as good for somebody that wants to race Baker Banked in rail corners. Yeah, maybe, but uh, um, sometimes I wonder if I have the problem of uh, things happening too twitchy. You know, I'm mm-hmm. kind of pretty twitchy when I'm snowboarding, like turning, and I kind of almost want a board that's not happening <laughs> as quick. And, and I've kind of played around with uh, big long side cuts on Solomon just so I have a board that things don't happen as fast. You know, I, I kind of do what I do, and I don't want to end up going back uphill all of a sudden. You know, and so boards that don't react as quick is something that, that I enjoy sometimes, too. This is a really interesting thing for listeners and for myself. I've been excited to ask. Now, I saw your setup when you came to Bombhole Cup this year. Also, thank you for coming. That was awesome. Thank you. And you had a small high back in the front, like a mini little high back, and then a full-size high back in the back. Now, why do you ride that setup? Um, well, that question has been asked a million times. I've answered a million times. And I guess in uh, like the first moment, it was just kind of boredom. Like, what can what can I do to make a snowboard feel different? And and uh, the first thing I did was a – well, there's a few things. But um, like I've had a no high back on the back, high back on the front. And I'd say people can make more sense out of that. But um, I guess I filmed for that uh, Insight movie for Transworld, and uh, it was kind of when I started, stopped grabbing my board, and I kind of do shifties, and I'm like, I need looser boots or or something, you know, just something to make it feel more fun and not just going off a jump with uh, straight up legs, and um, and because I do a lot of just kind of the style of bachelors, like a lot of little tiny ollies, and so I kind of thought about changing uh, the front high back. And, uh, and it, maybe everything can be traced back to Mike Rankwit when you're talking about no high backs. He goes none, right? <laughs> yeah, he goes Chico none. He and, used uh, to do that, or just still does that. Yeah, and I definitely know that, and um, I don't go no high backs. I have before, but uh, but there's uh, times you do need a high backs. And, but um, so just kind of looking for something different out of snowboard and trying to make a snowboard feel different. And then, uh, then I started to notice that it works pretty good when I'm turning, that I don't fly over the handlebars. You know, and uh, like I've said a few times during this podcast, like the most common thing when I'm turning on my heels is loading up and then whipping over the front. And uh, with no high back, it just kind of gives me a looser front foot where I'm balanced on the back foot. And then the front foot's kind of just up there, kind of taking compression. And um, and it just kind of feels cool. And uh, But it works really good. Like turning the year I won Baker was with no front high back. And and uh, I haven't had a front high back in years now. With none or with small? It's technically small, but it's just kind of a heel cup. It's just kind of holds in your boot. And uh, Solomon makes them for the Japanese market. Really? They, you can uh, When you buy a certain binding model in Japan, it comes with uh, two extra no-backs. Just kind of, that's the Hokkaido style sur- snow surf, or not all of them, of course. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, it just works really well for me. It feels cool. I've had other people, Yoder rode my board one time, Alex Yoder, and he, uh, he's like, yeah, that totally rides well. And, like, I didn't quite notice but um, my split boards, I have a high back on there, and I just take all my forward lean off. And, um, and there's moments, especially when you get on, like, steep terrain, that uh, all of a sudden you miss your high back, your front high back really quick. Mm. It's like, whoa, 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 that's why you have high backs. And so it's not that I, I see no use for it. Or, but, um, but riding around Bachelor, riding down the Baker Bank Slalom course, it's, it's, uh, I never, ever miss it. It just feels nice and cool. And um, if I do grab my board, like a front side air, nose bone type of thing. It feels super awesome. You know, you're, 
you're not restricted by that high back. You can kind of go more how you'd poke it on a skateboard. And um, But I guess uh, to start out with is just boredom, you know, just kind of looking for new things. And then and then it just kind of became normal, just felt normal. But uh, it is a common question. <laughs> yeah, it's an awesome setup. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, winning Baker Banked, and it was a long road for you to get the uh, top spot at Baker yeah. Bank Slalom. You you were kind of second, third. You were kind of like anywhere. Fourth. fourth. <laughs> yeah, you, you've uh, – how many podiums have you had, and, and – uh, what was it like when you finally won? Um, well, when I finally won, it was a relief. But, I mean, there was frustrations. And that was kind of the funny thing, too. Is so frustrating over the years with uh, how it all went down. But in the end, it was like, that is exactly how I'd want it to happen. You know, I, I like trying to make a good story. And uh, it's a good story. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> I got um, top 10 multiple times. And so it was uh, after 20 years of going to the Baker Bank Slalom racing there, I finally uh, got first. And um, over those 20 years, I got top 10 most of the time. And uh, I got fourth place three times. I got third place four times. I got second place three times. And then first once. And uh, But it's super frustrating. But uh, looking back on it now, I think it was a super good motivation. You know, I think uh, – and a funny thing, too, is um, after I won, I kind of went back and, like, looked at how it all went down and uh, – I think it was the second year I did Baker. I got third place, but I missed first place by 0.03. And it's uh, crazy to think just uh, if I would have been 0.03 faster that year, just how it would have changed my motivation. You know, every year over those 20 years, I had Baker on my mind, like it's coming up, like I need to ride a lot. I need to um, think about things like board design and uh, is really a motivating factor and, and, uh, and super frustrating the whole time. Not super frustrating, but it was a uh, very it was frustrating. You know, getting second, you're like, oh, or getting fourth is the worst that everybody uh, understands that one. <laughs> but um, and then uh, yeah, one year, the first year I got fourth too. I went up there, I'd gotten third two times, and I'm like, I'm going up there, and I I want anything but third. And then I got fourth, and I'm like, no, no, no fourth, <laughs> no fourth, <laughs> anything but fourth. But uh, but uh, but now I really appreciate it, and I think um, my career benefited from it, from that motivation and. And uh, just ri- trying to ride as much as I could, and uh, and I love a good story, you know, and it definitely makes a cool story about trying hard. And and there's other little things, um, maybe that comes up too. Is uh, I guess there's many times I went to Baker, and I said the classic, uh, you know, I'm just want to do my best. You know, I'm I'm not going to get first. I'm just trying to, you know, I want to get a good solid run. And then you get third, and I'm like, fuck, third. And um, and then the year that I did win, I I didn't say it out loud, but I, I told myself in my head or like where no one could hear, like I'm going to Baker to get first. You know, I kind of said like I'm not going to get a good run or get third place. It's like I want to you know get first, and uh, and then it totally worked. And it's kind of the the idea of positive thinking totally does work. You know, and you should set your goals. We're not all. And you know what is another uh, kind of fun? I was watching the Bones Brigade. Uh, um, bio or not biography documentary but documentary and there's a uh, Tommy Guerrero thing in there and he's like when you go to a contest you're going there to win like why else are you going there if you're not going there to win and uh, that was before I won Baker and I'm like yeah that's true you know you know like I have enough history of going up there that I'm I'm not going to get third and uh, you know and I, I totally tell myself in my head like I'm going to do my best and uh, and so the year that I won I told myself that uh, you know I was going to get first and 
And uh, then it happened. It's like, oh, maybe positive thinking does have a place in this mm-hmm. world. So, so that's that's a good footnote yeah, for Bombhole Cup because we're going to be doing yes. some racing, buds. And I've I think I've Go called you before some bank slaloms, and you've told me to to wax wax the board a lot. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's a lot of listeners here that are going to their local bank slaloms, and everybody wants to do well. And you have, I know you do some serious board prep uh, as far as getting ready for Baker Banked. What advice do you, first of all, what do you do to get your board ready for Baker Banked Slalom? And what advice do you have for the uh, the weekend warriors getting ready to go battle it out at their local bank slalom? Uh, well, waxing your board. The more you wax your board, the the slower it dries out. You know, when you see edge burn, mm. that's uh, just your board not having any waxing in there anymore. And the, if you wax your board every day, it just gets lubed up like you would expect. And uh, and so when I'm going to Baker, getting ready for Baker, like the month before, I wax my board every day, scrape it every day, go ride, then come down and wax it. And, and I do that over and over and over. And uh, you can kind of switch up with warms and cold waxes. Cold waxes are more durable and they'll stay in there a little better and you can kind of put cold wax on your edge you know that'll but um but it's really lubing it up and uh when you do lube it up you don't want to use the race wax you kind of want to use the probably the cheapest wax you can find at a ski shop but uh it could be called training wax if you're shopping for toco or swix or i don't know what one ball would call it but uh but it's just uh wax they don't have floral in them there anymore they ban floral you know that mm-hmm. floral carbon used to be a a race wax was with floral but uh it's cancer, toxic, really bad for the water system, fishes, and uh, and so it's uh, not as not uh, you're not going to be buying florals anymore. But those really dry out your base. But even just a uh, technical high speed wax is going to dry out your base. So it's waxing it just with uh, the simple stuff that just like moisturizes. And then when you put on the waste race wax, it accepts it really well. So that's something. And then uh, edges, maybe that's something that people forget about. Uh, if you look at a brand new board. You'll see that uh, it's not shiny, polished. You know, uh, my edges at Baker are gonna look. Uh, I go over with a diamond stone, kind of be every day. I'm just kind of diamond stone to sit there, and uh, they come out just sparkly, shiny. You know, and uh, and after I do that or get used to doing that, uh, I totally notice how my edges. If you're turning on them, you can feel that grip if they're they're not uh, sparkling. And so sparkling them up, but uh, that doesn't mean razor sharp exactly. You know, it just means no nicks, no uh, factory tune kind of stuff. You know, getting rid of just a brand new board kind of feel. And uh, but definitely doesn't mean uh, razor sharp. And uh, but uh, if you don't want razor sharp uh, gummy stones, rubbing them over there can kind of just take the edge off and um, make them friendlier. And detune in the nose and the tail tiny bit on those contact points so they don't catch as quick and go unexpected places. <coughs> and you, you bake your board? Um, maybe I'll, like, uh, some boards, pretty much every board I get from Solomon has a stone grind on it that's the stone grind I want. And and uh, some grinds are, for wet conditions, are deeper, and that's faster, but they feel kind of funny. You can kind of feel underneath there. And so even if uh, that is faster, I don't, choose a grind like that i'll have something that's just a little smoother and feels nicer and uh but if i do I, sometimes i bake my board i wouldn't uh, i would say waxing your board 20 times is the same as baking it once at a ski shop overnight for a day or two and uh baking your board just heats it up slowly with a big blob of wax on the top 
it goes in like a little oven and it gets up to not crazy hot, but just a temperature where the, the pores of the P-Tex just go uh, and open up and kind of accept that wax deep down in the base and so that there's a lot in there. And then it makes uh, accepts all the other wax and kind of, uh, yeah, just works I can get all my boards baked. Waxologist yeah. over here. I get all my boards baked. <laughs> yeah. Not true, actually. Yeah, my wife. Uh, um, I just do this. I put him in the in Bradshaw's basement. You know what I mean? Does he have a, a bacon thing? I just smokes a lot of weed. Uh, <laughs> I also, for the bomb hole cup, I already have it sent out. My board went to McDermott. Oh, you got a McDermott. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I it's mean, already, all that stuff totally there, makes a difference, though. Like you can make and uh, and I totally enjoy that. Like going through that process and having a board on race day that is super fast. It's crazy how how well tuned board uh, feels and how how fast it goes. But just how like the snowboard functions. Yeah, it's, it's like, actually wow. a big difference. And having a uh, good tuned edges, you know, is uh, that's how a board's designed. How it's designed, and if you have funky edges, then it's not going to ride like it was designed to ride uh, he's gonna see this episode and be like what is he talking about but <laughs> 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 that's an interesting point too thinking about you know for the average person this took me a long time to realize when you're when you wax your board you you know you're waxing the whole thing but when you're actually snowboarding you're really on your edge the majority of the time yeah so the edges are crucial for speed and and the edges that contain the wax obviously not just the edges but the edge of your board yeah that, that and that's so many be the people have that point. dead strip that he's talking about too yeah. like you yeah, see that on everybody's boards yeah you know what uh like world cup racers like ski racers they'll uh clean their edges all the time you know if they get a nick in them then they shave off the side and they so it slowly starts when you look at the base it slowly starts making the edge thinner and mm. the fastest skis are the ones with a really thin edge and they almost want them like almost nothing because the metal edge is slow and the wax is fast, or the PTEX wax PTEX is. Oh, because the metal's slow in the snow. Yeah, and so uh, they'll start out like race World Cup skis with uh, thinner edges, and then they'll tune them down, and uh, then they'll really get it to be a special board when they get really tuned down so that there's barely any any edge showing on the base. Crazy. That's because uh, metal's slow. Yeah, and I think uh, if somebody's. Uh, trained to go fast through gates, you're really trying to get back on your base as quick as you can. You know, you're not trying to stay on the edges along, but snowboarders don't think about that. Yeah. We're all about railing. Yep. Interesting. All right, that was a master class in edge technology (laughs) there. We got a guest question from none other than Preston Strout as it uh, pertains to what we're talking about a bit. And uh, saddle up. It's a bit of a long rambler. (laughs) Long rambler. Hey, Dirksen. Preston here. Thanks for being on the Crab Grab team. Uh, it's been a pleasure developing gloves with you all these years. I, oh, Chris, you as well, both of you guys. The, the question I have, first it's more of an observation that, Josh, every year I hit you up for your glove order, and I feel like you ask for two pairs of gloves, maybe one pair. And I'm always surprised for somebody who snowboards as much or more than anybody I know, you require such a minimal amount of just stuff and thought it'd be worth having a discussion you two three whoever the hell's in there right now uh of how you would maybe balance your obligation with your sponsors of helping promote the new line that everyone's trying to sell with only you know using the bare minimum of what what you really need I feel like we live in a time right now where just stuff is so abundant and way too much stuff is getting made. 
everywhere, not just in snowboarding. And Josh, you're such a good role model for, yeah, just making stuff last, using older stuff, getting more mileage out of it. And I don't know. Did it, I feel like I just turned this question into a crab grab commercial. <laughs> I don't uh, even think he's asked a question. Not. If I did, send me an invoice. Either way, please, uh, please discuss. Thanks, guys. Does she uh, even know I'm yeah. here? Uh, you don't. You don't have the trigger mitt. Yours is trigger mitt too. Yeah, grab, grab, right. Mine too. I got the gauntlet. You don't, right? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. ride the gauntlets. The big yeah. He's a big. It at- functions better. Yeah. If he- you put your glove over the top, you don't get snow in your. Oh, that's that's why yeah. you like. And it. when you're dragging your hand on the snow, like turning and stuff, uh, it's uh, annoying getting snow. Oh, and you're your probably jacket. always smooth grooving around, huh? Yeah. Dropping yeah, my that. hands are patting you're, the dog. You're always patting <laughs> the dog. Yeah. Chris doesn't pat the dog much, but he grabs the edge. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like also triggers for snowmobiling because you can grab the brake. Oh, you run the. Um, that's but, why you like the trigger finger. Yeah, that's why I like it. But he he was basically asking why you need such little little yeah. amount of pro- product. I guess uh, I mean there's multiple reasons, and um, I mean to start out with, my sponsor Patagonia kind of promotes that, like like we'll send you what you need, but uh, if you don't need it, and then the just having gear that uh, lasts longer, you know, that's the ultimate goal is to make something durable and. If you need a new jacket every year, that's and because it's wearing out, that's uh, not a good jacket, you know. And uh, but as I get older, I appreciate having you know. I find something. This is the jacket I want. It's black, and uh, there's no reason to change it. Same with the gloves. You know, I want the gloves that. You know, I don't want uh, something new. And I'm like, oh, what are these? Especially in a jacket, having knowing where the pockets are or aren't, and uh, you know, I just like the consistency of using product over like multiple years and um, and snowboards and jackets and everything. And then there's the, so it's uh, just me being old and not wanting to change, you know, finding something and like saying it's perfect. Uh, I don't, I don't need anything else. And um, then it's also using less resources, you know, just with the climate and the earth. And, you know, you realize that like things are getting used up quick and we need to figure something out and using less. That's something. And, uh, and yeah, I just don't need as much. I don't know. Yeah, well, even boards. I you know I, I find a board that I like, and even if I don't ride it every day, I just put it there and I have it ready for when I do when that day does come up. And and uh, yeah, I don't. But it probably all starts with uh, Patagonia's influence. There's been years they're like, let us know if you need it, but uh, they have they don't care if it's a new product, and they actually try to design their clothes to be timeless with colorways and. You know they won't bring out camo or or uh, tie dye because it's going to get trendy and go be- go away quick and uh, and so it's just having you know timeless product that you don't need it and it'll last forever and you know where all the pockets and how it's going to work and and uh, yeah camo and tie dye always come back they'll they're, come back they're but they're not on, always there <laughs> they're always there man because they're always circling back around well they're they're not always there though they'll always come back but. Uh, but uh, you can show up uh, with tie dye at the hill this year, and I don't think you're going to be hip and cool. I'll rock that out. But a black no jacket, problem. for example, is timeless. Um, is it not on trend right now to get new jackets every year? Well, that's I don't know. That's the I think well, the, par- the paradox is basically yeah, you're like using too much material. Well, yeah. If you think about it, you know, it's an interesting deal as as a person that makes a living getting paid by snowboard companies. Your job is to promote snowboard products, but. At the end of the day, the the kind of what I'm hearing, which is is super inspiring, is like, do you really need the new product? Yeah. Your jacket's probably fine. Do you yeah. really need a new, 
You know, which is it's 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 like it, it, obviously. I mean, look at Brock Crouch, dude. He doesn't need a new jacket. <laughs> Oil he just needs to him. wash it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, um, what was I gonna say? I was thinking of something one year in there. That's uh, really tight on budgets too. You don't need a new jacket. You look <laughs> fine out there. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, stuff should. I enjoy being a timeless and knowing what I got. And maybe here's what I was gonna say: is uh, another thing is when I started hanging out with Jeremy Jones. And you go on a month-long camping trip, or for example, in Alaska, you don't want to your companies to send you like, here's your new gloves, and then you get out there and uh. something's odd or weird or unexpected or a jacket or board. You know, you kind of want proven products. It's a sample. And, uh, something's just, wrong. Yeah, just with splitboarding. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, just with splitboarding, you want days. it to be <laughs> like like you know what that how that product's going to function and last and durability. And so when you get something good and correct and that fits right, yeah. you want to you want to be able to trust your life on that yeah. that product that you're yeah. out there with for 20 days yeah. and there's polar bears swarming. Yeah, or if your your board's wrong, you get out there and like, ah, oh, this would be so fun, but I brought a 150 instead of a 60 or yeah. or just something. But um, so it's multiple reasons. I like just, it. Yeah, just caring, but uh, being old, being uh, yeah, opinionated. If I find something, it's that's the one. I don't want to change. <laughs> And, uh, See, I'm, yeah. I'm like driven by rap culture, and I'm just like, no shit. Yeah, he, Buds is the opposite. He snowboards <laughs> twice a year, and he gets about forty jackets. That's actually his technique. Yeah, I've so, always been. Uh, <laughs> he's, my, that's he's laughing because he knows it's true. <laughs> twice a year. Yeah, I think <laughs> my style, times. like style of clothing, is function based. You know, I'll, uh, if something functions, just like uh, putting my gloves over the top of my jacket instead of under. You know, I know it looks cooler having the jacket over, but it's like, that doesn't function as well. And so it's not like I'm trying to make a style statement. It's I'm trying to find, like, what works best, you know, and that's uh, that goes with all the products and that I use. And so... So going back, we're talk. Let's go back video parts for a sec because we talked about Afterbang and... Or you were not in Afterbang. Uh, lame and After Lame, you were in both of those films. Incredible showings in those. And then kind of the end of your freestyle career we'll call it you had from blank with love follow me around and picture this that was kind of your last few years of going big catching air uh things like that hitting big cheese wedges and and i we didn't really talk about the the transition that that like point in your career where you made the shift yeah um so those last three movies movies that you mentioned uh picture this i wasn't in i got cut out of it and uh, i filmed with well, DCP. you filmed, but got clipped. Yep, which I'm okay. I don't, I'm looking for it charity, happens. but uh, it happens. Yeah, right? yeah, but uh, but it was a moment that uh, made me ask myself, like, what am I doing? You know, and uh, and the so I went up uh, early in the season of that year and uh, filming in Tier BC, and that early in the season, it's really dark, and I know the footage doesn't come out looking spectacular, but it was so fun the filming and riding around, around with DC uh, DCP and his his home terrain, just really pillowy stuff, and seeing how you can. Uh, make that terrain really awesome and fun, you know, and so I had that super fun time and then I ended up hurting my knee before kind of halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so, so it was kind of a, I got cut just cause I didn't have a full bit of, uh, uh, shots. And then it was also a year that everything was changing to digital filming too. And, uh, so we started out the year with the footage I got filming 16 and then the kind of movie picture, this was, uh, all digital, like all the footage that went in there was like, Triple angles, digi camera didn't match up. And uh, but at the end of that season was a moment I'm uh, you know asked myself like what am I doing if I'm 
if that's a train I want to be riding and I want to be filming and showing people, and if it's not the footage that like ends up in a movie, then I'm doing something wrong. I need to find a new movie. And uh, so the next year was the year that I hooked up with Chris Edmonds and my own two feet, and we started splitboarding. Yep, Chris Edmonds, responsible for a lot of splitboarders out there. And uh, my own two feet was uh, just all human powered, but it ended up being like a lot of splitboard. And uh, and I got to that, and it's uh, you know that's the the splitboard gets me the train that I want to be riding, gets me the, with the people that uh, that appreciate that style of riding, and, and that was a moment in my career that changed and gave me maybe enthusiastic to film again the next year, and that led to TGR and just really exciting times in Alaska filming deeper, further, not higher, but, uh, those first two movies with, uh, yeah, it was, a, uh, and so that was a good moment, you know, how it all went down and, but it was a moment of a uh, little bitterness, like cut me out, what? <laughs> but, um, but I liked how it all went down and, and, uh, you ended up getting that cover on the split board. Yeah. So it's, it yeah. worked out just seamlessly. Yeah. That was a uh, really cool, that Whitney trip and Chris Wellhausen shot that cover. We'll give Chris a little. Jolly. Yeah. Jolly. And, uh, yeah, that was really fun. And that was a really fun one. It was, uh, his first cover too, you know, that's oh, a, it was his first cover. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. going to be so stoked yeah. on the air horn. Might've been the first splitboard cover, but, uh, maybe, you know, there's probably, uh, more regional magazines that had splitboards on the cover, mm. but it was a time when splitboarding was becoming official, you know, where there is more than just one or two boards offered in, in the whole line of snowboards and, and, uh, but um, yeah, it was really fun, and uh, more fun when it's like a team, like we did this, you yeah. know. And it wasn't just, just I got to cover, is that we got to cover, and and it was even just that my own two feet project was like it was uh we were really close, you know, when you go camping with people that uh, you really get to know them, and and uh, yeah, that was a little cherry on top of a awesome season that changed my direction in snowboarding. Was there any uh, moments when you were like that video part was getting cut and you were unsure how the future of the career was looking? Or were you pretty solid that, okay, I just need to make another move and reinvent myself? Uh, I don't know. Um, I guess I, you know, I have that on my mind, but not really. I mean, any, anybody does to some degree, you know, as you're getting older. Yeah, and- yeah. Like, uh, like when I think about business, it's like that, that's something you think about. But uh but I'm not here for the job. I'm here for the snowboarding, and the snowboarding didn't go away, and, yeah. uh, and the opportunities, and and um, so no, I appreciated that it was a direction that uh, that could keep me in snowboarding and pro snowboarding and keeping this as a job. But uh, but I'm a snowboarder. I'm here for the the snowboarding part, not the your lifer. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm a lifer. And there's a kind of a moment when I accepted that too. That, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do when you're done? And then there's a moment that it's like, it's not done. I'm not, you know, no matter what happens uh, from here, I'm out. I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. And uh, I know people will appreciate it. And, uh, and uh, but if it doesn't pay the bills, that's fine, too. You know, like, yeah, this is what I'm doing in the community I'm part of. And and uh, I'm a lifer. Yeah, that's no changing. That's a great yeah. segue talking about the community and how much of an impact that the Dirks and Derby has had on mm. the community. It's such a strong community event. What was your ethos and reasoning for starting the Dirks and Derby? Uh, starting the Derby was, um, I mean, I'd been doing the Baker Bank slalom, and it was awesome. And, uh, and there was, at that time, there was, I don't know if there was too many other Baker or Bank slaloms. You know, it was kind of Baker was the one and something unique, and we didn't even realize how unique it was. It was just the fun contest. 
And then, uh, and then, I mean, a big reason for the Derby in the beginning was Tyler Eklund. Give Tyler Eklund a little shout out. I'll let him know I'm heading back to Ben tomorrow and I'll let him know that, uh, this will be a fun little thing to listen to. Um, but, uh, he was a up and coming snowboarder in Bend, 13 years old. And he went down to USASA nationals down in Mammoth, I believe, Tahoe, California, somewhere. And, um, he landed, was training for the slope style, landed and was riding down the landing and, uh, caught an edge and just kind of a freak accident, broke his neck and really bad. And, um, he ended up being paralyzed from the neck down and on a breather machine and still is. And, uh, and it was super sad. Um, for many reasons and, uh, that they didn't have health insurance, you know, for the, for like the stress put on his family and, um, no health insurance, such a bit. He was in the hospital for a long, long time, of course. And then when he did get back home, like his house needed to be rebuilt almost just to handle a wheelchair and the, and his needs. And so we knew that he needed money and, uh, that an event was a good way to, to raise money. And, um, and then I'd been interested in doing an event, like, um, so it was kind of all those things together. And, um, and so in the beginning it was, uh, Tyler was our focus with the Derby and, uh, we did a bank slalom and we raised money and raised a little bit of money and raised more. And, uh, it was at a time when you really did, did, uh, need those funds for many years. And then, um, then we're on the 15th Derby now, that's what's coming up. And, uh, and over the years, you know, I started noticing that, uh, like Tyler got health insurance, you know, thanks to changes in the U.S. health healthcare system and, and, uh, um, him growing up and getting on Medicaid. But, uh, so that it became less about the money and that like just keeping them part of our community, you know, making sure it was happening, that everybody was getting together, that there was a space for him to come up and be involved. And, and, uh, we through Oregon Adaptive Sports as a program, a nonprofit in Bend that does incredible stuff for our community and uh, gets everybody out in the mountains onto the snow first, but uh, they've grown so much that they get people out mountain biking and people uh, just that uh, have challenges accessing that the outdoors. And, uh, and so it became um, like the Derby. I enjoy raising the money and that's a big part of it, but now I just really enjoy getting that community, keeping that community together, getting Tyler and everybody who really needs that support. You know, it's been many people over the years. Uh, we get Tyler racing down the course. He races in the Sitski division at the Derby and uh, sees his old friends and his old friends see him. And, you know, in his position, it's easy to to uh, not be forgotten, but just not be involved. And there's just the challenges of going to the bar or something, you know, is different for him and many people. And and so, yeah, the Derby started out as a fundraiser, and it still is. Uh, 100% of the, the registration goes to nonprofits and individuals. We give Tyler and Pat Melandowski, that's another buddy, has a long history in snowboarding, got diagnosed with brain cancer, and uh, we get him a little money, but, but it's kind of just getting everybody together so we can all smile at the same time and have the same kind of fun. And something that's special with the Derby is... It's uh, something that the pros complain about with a, in a funny way, but it's a pretty easy, simple course. Like um, you look at it and you think you're going to be going fast down it, but uh, pretty much your jogging speed, maybe. Like it's really um, like you're going to tip over, and not fall. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's um, but that makes it so everybody's racing down the same thing, and and um, that everybody sits gears, 
70-year-olds. Have we had a 70-year-old? I think the oldest we've had maybe is 67. We've had five-year-olds. We've had uh, people from all aspects of uh, snow sports uh, come up and competing on the same course. And uh, and it's a really special part and the part that I appreciate the most. That's uh, that's really fun. And, and uh, to be honest, like the Derby drives me a little bit crazy every year getting ready for it and trying to manage registration and the popularity of it and the timing of it preseason at Bachelor. Bachelor's pretty well known for early season riding and um, we can have maybe three feet of snow and all of a sudden it gets really good snowboarding. You know, it starts really quick and, and, um, and so, you know, there's special parts of it that uh, bring everybody together and do make it more popular and uh, <clears throat> that are challenges for me, like dealing with the snowfall and, and building a course with small amounts of snow. But um, yeah, in the end, it's uh, after it's done every every single time. It's it's so satisfying for my part and seeing the smiles on everybody's faces and the people that win and the people that come and and uh, yeah, it's really cool. And it's a surprise how it how it happened, how it all uh, fell into place, and how it continues on. And you know, and then these days when when Instagram's getting more popular and a guy my age, like I don't quite care too much about Instagram. I kind of post on Instagram just to let my parents know what I'm up to, for example, you know, <laughs> or friends. And, um, but uh, it feels like something that I really can offer the snowboard community is a face-to-face time at the Derby where it's uh, something special. You know, I know Instagram has its place in, in things that it does bring us, but, uh, but, you know, that bringing us face-to-face, that's something that doesn't happen as often. And, and uh, so, yeah, the Derby, we're on the 15th annual and I say I'm going to make it at least till 20, but but uh, I'll keep it going. But um, but yeah, that's another thing with uh, like when are things going to end in my career? Or like will they end? You know, it's kind of like they can't all end at the same time. You know, it's like things will keep going because I'll still love snowboarding. But um, you know, it's not just about snowboarding or the sponsors or, or the derby. It's just kind of you know everything's just kind of that's the direction it's going. And I don't know if I could escape if I wanted to. <laughs> But uh, but I accept that this is where I'm at, and I do love being where I'm at. And so and snowboarding's grown up, you know. You yeah. hopefully you don't have to uh, have an uh, end, you know. I'm going nowhere. Yeah. I have a couple of Patreon questions for you around the the uh, Derby. Yep. Two of them. I'm gonna go rapid fire on you. This first one is from uh, Jake Rosentreter. He said, "What's the most fun part about the Dirksen Derby for you, and what does the future hold?" Uh, the most fun part of the Derby. I really enjoy building the course. That's what it was in the beginning. Like uh, I was up there every day for a week before building, building the berms, and then now I have a crew. Uh, Corey McDonald and his Bogus Basin guy part crew come out, and uh, they make Secret. it. They make it awesome, and they've been coming out for multiple years, and they know exactly what our style of course is. And uh, but I really enjoy that part, like uh, making a course that's awesome, and and we make it. Uh, like a lot of bank slaloms are turning in the same spot so berms start forming up but uh ours are really manicured and it's a uh, two 30 second courses that are like pretty small 12 berms each and so it's really the opportunity to make a beautiful piece of snow and uh i really enjoy like making that happen and luckily i can just go up there and look at it and go yeah guys doing good <laughs> but uh but i don't have to put in the heavy labor as much anymore but um really enjoy that part uh I enjoy the stories that come out of it, of course, with, uh, you know, people in challenging situations 
and uh, being a really special moment of the year, their year, and where they really felt like like this is that's the first moment I felt like I was really back to where I was before an injury or before something happened in their life, and uh, I really enjoy those stories, you know, and uh, knowing that I helped uh, set up a spot, a space for those for those things to happen, and I like keeping my parents busy, like my dad uh, makes the trophies and. North Drinkware. Matt from North Drinkware helps out a lot. And, uh, you know, just making the cool things, like the details of the Derby. Um, yeah, making it special, unique, and, you know, trophies and course uh, happen with that. And um, what else? Yeah, the part that drives me crazy is registration. If I was yeah, to go to the office side of things, it's a challenge. And you know, I just have, after so many years, I have so many friends in snowboarding. And the Derby does have a limit. Kind of our limit's 500 racers is uh, what we can kind of handle. And with the amount of minutes in a day in the middle of December, it's pretty short days. And uh, we're getting better at, uh, at getting those registered and, and handling that number of people during the day now. But, uh, but of course, I wish I had 2,000 spots. Yeah, homies and, uh, will show up like they yeah. drove into town and they're your buddy and they didn't register. And they're like, yeah. on, dude, just get me in <laughs> Is now. it too late? Can I just take a run? Yeah. Well, the second question... Is uh, from our good friend Johan. Uh, I didn't answer the second question. Of oh, the, the last future, one. future of the Derby is yeah, five, make more, it a, five more years. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, yeah, I'll keep 15. it going, and uh, yeah, that'll be about the time when I'm 50 years old and uh, 20s. You know, I kind of my life kind of goes on checking things off the list and uh, setting little bucket list goals. Coming here on Bombhole, that's yeah. a kind of a fun thing. 50s to like, the new 30, man. You got yeah, turning 50, and I'm actually like with my age, I. I like enjoy getting older, you know, and just seeing, uh, like how I'm still here, you know, just <laughs> that one. and, um, but, uh, with the Derby, I, I, number 20, you know, that's kind of fun to be too. And, uh, and just, uh, having a contest that has been around for so long, you know, a contest come and go. And it's like, no, this one's, uh, will never be as long as Baker. Baker's the longest running contest Where are in they snowboarding. they will be at 35. Wow. Yeah. But the first one was probably in 1985, you know, I think there's been a few years where they didn't have snow and then COVID. Yeah, COVID. But uh, this will be the 35th uh, annual, 35th edition of the Baker Bank. Dude, that's amazing. Yeah, 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 super awesome. I want to be uh, in that position where it's like something that's established and been around forever. And and uh, maybe I can't get everybody in every year, but hopefully everybody can get in at least one one time over the 20 years or more. I got in there. I was there. Have you been? <laughs> Nope, never been. Yeah, guy yeah. hasn't even been there. Man. I can't believe it, man. Yeah, maybe this is your year. Yeah, maybe. Um, Johan Malkowski, our good bud, over my yeah. shoulder. Is he still there? I'm not giving him an he's air there. horn. You know air horn for yeah. him? No, let's give him a gunshot. Oh! <laughs> All right. Yep, he's going. there, and he's a, he's a very special story, too. You know, he's had some uh, health challenges that he went through in the Derby. was, uh, like, moments that it proved, like, I am back, and, you know, and uh, with his kids. His kids are ripping snowboarders. Kids and, rip. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's uh, those are special stories that really keep me motivated with the Derby too. He asks, he says to me, ask about the self-imposed Josh Dirksen contest rule, and how come you don't compete in your own contest? Oh, that's a uh, funny timing, but because uh, funny timing because this year will actually be the first year that I'm officially competing. In You're the Derby. competing. Oh, he's yeah. changing the rules. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh. not a rule. It's just uh, what I happens. I wouldn't go this year. Dude. No, I'm, I might go. I'm about to go take him down. You're gonna go take yeah. him down yeah. in his yeah. own in his own spot. <laughs> yep. Woo. But uh, mop him up, mop him up. Chris. Yeah, and last year I technically raced, but we had a memorial division for uh, Chad Cooksey. Let's give Chad Cooksey uh, the right, biggest dude. air horn of the. Uh, well, you want to give him the super? Let's air horn? give him the yeah, super. The super air horn. Okay, let me get to that. 
Chad Cooksey was uh, the inspiration, the motive, the the guy at Willamette Pass when we were growing up that set the style. You know, he was the one who influenced uh, Alistair Schultz to influence me to, um, you know, he was incredible person and snowboarder and awesome guy. And he passed away from suicide and uh, super, super sad. And uh, so we did more more uh, memorial division for him last year. And so I technically raced last year, but it wasn't quite counted. It was just kind of the group of our friends from that era that uh, rode uh, Willamette Pass during 1994, maybe-ish. And so, uh, so I did compete last year, but it didn't quite count. Like, did your and, numbers uh, go in, and you were timed and got a trophy if you won? Or yeah, oh. I mean, I uh, got the fastest time in my division, but we gave Cooksey the honorary ah. uh, first place title, right. so he'll always be on our our uh, results list. That's uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And so, but it was uh, super fun. And uh, but this year, my daughter's uh, Alana's nine years old, and she's racing in the Derby this year. Jeez. And so I thought it'd be kind of a fun to make it official, and we're racing together, and we're waxing together. But um, at the beginning, I guess I, the, um, I mean, there's plenty of years that it would have been an unfair advantage. Like I personally built the course and there, I mean, there was one year that um, the race, the Derby race was weighed in a two hour line, take one run, no practice. And that was the race. Like that was the. Because there was too many people? Yeah, just too many people. And uh, just how we weren't as organized at that time. And um now, I think there was 179 people, which seems like nothing these days, but uh, for for our race. But um, but yeah, there was a and so you know if I would have raced that year, it would have been I would have I had intimate knowledge of every piece of berm snow on that course, and so in the beginning it was kind of like I don't want to win my own event, and um, and then I also wanted to focus on making the event awesome, and uh, and I mean I don't love competing. You know, I, I enjoy going up to Baker, but every time I go to Baker, I'm like, once a year, that's that's good for me. And it's a little different these these days because I, I don't have as high as hopes or I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be the best snowboarder on the best day. And, um, but, but, but back then it was, you know, I kind of thought I was offering everybody else something and that, that uh, yeah, I was on the sidelines and it was kind of, it's kind of fun being in that position with all my friends, pro snowboarders and, and seeing them nervous and like, ah, you're nervous, huh? And, uh, you know, and then not be nervous or be nervous for different reasons, running the race. And so, but this will be the first year yeah, that I'll officially race and, uh, and, uh, my daughter will be in there. My wife's still, still, uh, just socializing during the event, but, uh, we have father daughter little thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Incredible. We have a guest question from none other than Nils Mindich. Here we go. What's up, bomb haulers. Hope you guys are having fun. Nils here and Josh, I got a two-parter for you. First part is how many more years do you think it'll be until Alana starts beating you at bank slaloms? <laughs> There's uh, going to have to be a changing of the guard at some point, I imagine. And the second part is, would you mind enlightening the guys on how Tokyo Starfish got its name? <laughs> I remember it being a fun story. Bye. I've actually always wondered that. Oh, I know that, but I don't know if it's an appropriate oh, it's story. Not appropriate. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know how I'll tell that story, but I'll answer the other question first. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, when will a lot of you faster than me? It's a uh, tough thing, like, wait. Yeah, you I know, mean, she's a- she's nine. She's a ripper. I don't know. If she's like, somebody asked her the other day, are you going to be a pro snowboarder like your dad? And she's like, no, I don't think so, no. You know, like, she has her own thing in life, but uh, snowboarding is the, the family thing. You know, that's what we do, and uh, she gets a lot of it. And, and so... I'd imagine she's nine now. I bet. 
Well, maybe I need to do my math too. It's gonna I mean, be like when you're 75 or something. No, when she's 21. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be faster. Or oh no, that's not definitely. But when I, in a, just a couple years, when I'm 50 and she's what's that? will be four, 13. She's not trying to be pro. That's gonna be a tough go. Yeah, but if she's snowboarding a lot, then uh, yeah, because she totally snowboards a and lot. And you're gonna be declining steadily. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. I thought I was declining. <laughs> that was declining already, and then I won a bank slalom at Lost Locks last year that a lot of won too in her division. Wow! You guys both won. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. it was awesome. <laughs> and he, she had a stacked field. I did too, but uh, but uh, she had. They have a kids program at uh, Locks with all these ripping young young boys and girls, and uh, it was uh, I think like thirteen or fourteen kids in her division. So and, she's uh, good. Yeah, yeah, she's good. Yeah, she rips for sure. Yep, uh, proud dad yeah. right there. Yeah, it was a it was a very proud dad. Yeah, that must have been a really cool thing seeing her. Yeah, yeah, mop she was up uh, the competition over there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, being in it together and uh, yeah, that was uh, it was super super awesome. It's cool. And uh, yeah, it's funny how I was having the same nerves that I get. Like, is my stand set up correctly? For, like for hers, or, like I'm looking at her board and doing like a last second tune. And <laughs> like, come on, dad. soccer dad up there. <laughs> yeah. Let me fix your shin guards and tie your tie your shoes. That's but cool. uh, yeah, I don't know when it'll end up. But I imagine I got another five years at least before Easy. she's yeah. faster. And uh, but um, part two was uh, Tokyo Tokyo Starfish. Starfish. Yeah. Uh, He's ner- he looks all nervous about. I totally am nervous. <laughs> I don't know uh, how or. I mean, that's the name of the local weed store. Yeah, right. It's, uh, so it turns out, uh, all my good old buddies from Bachelor, they uh, grew weed forever. You know, that was kind of the Bachelor um, thing. You, you know, the border of Northern California and Oregon is kind of a prime location for farmland, and and um, and then growing in the summer and then snowboarding all winter is a is a perfect you know kind of lifestyle too and then uh when oregon legalized weed they all became entrepreneurs <laughs> <laughs> smart businessmen uh, all of a sudden yeah yeah it was awesome and uh it's just really cool to see you know yeah just them become entrepreneurs and businessmen yeah. and not like a secret thing you don't talk about and um and uh and then a group of my buddies uh started tokyo starfish and um and uh that was super cool too how that all fell into place and uh and as far as the Tokyo Starfish... I mean, I go there and I'm always seeing it. I'm like, where did they get the name? What a yeah. name. Yeah, they came up with a name because everybody was coming... Like, it happened in a moment that they legalized marijuana in Oregon. And uh, then then everybody started dispensaries. And uh, and all the dispensaries came out being uh, Central Oregon Organics. You know, something that was very uh, weed-sounding, you know, and uh, but organic-y sounding. And they wanted to go something that was like out there and um and then i don't know if i can you can say well, it's a family but, show. you know it's a yeah teach your own like how you live your life uh with uh drugs or alcohol you know and then i'm no saint in life either but um but i i guess i'm hesitating now because i don't want to just throw it out there to promote you know like things or you know i want everybody to make their own decisions and uh you know with different drugs to know that you know everybody's unique just because you see somebody smoking marijuana that doesn't mean that that's like the cool thing to do or that's what you need to do everybody should make their own decisions and and um but uh the tokyo starfish was a a crosswalk that we were on a skyscraper hotel in uh, the middle of tokyo looking down on this crosswalk that was a 
uh, starfish pattern, like guiding the traffic. And uh, there's more to the story, but I don't know if we're going to get to it <laughs> here. Right. I can uh, tell you guys after. Is that after. the like, super famous one that everyone walks across? No, no not, not even. It was a super oh, random one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, but there is more to the story. But, so um, we'll leave it vague. Yeah. We'll yeah. leave it vague. Yeah. I, I got to. The yeah. mystery is yeah. just... All right, that's yeah. Their I'm listeners and myself tonight. are also uh, I'm definitely not be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> curious about that. Also, yeah. sidebar: Nils is kind of a junior bacon Dirksen. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> Even dude. the way he articulated yeah. his question, dude, for real. That's why the two will hang out. It must just be like I gotta leave the room. Dude. These guys, they're all talking crazy stuff about their dude, waste speaking, wits. Speaking and... of Japan, we gotta. I want to hijack this conversation for a second because me and Dirksen got to go to Japan together. Nice. And it was really special. It was my first ever time going to Japan. Oh, wow, that is I special. I was green, just starting to freaking sharpen the teeth. And I asked Dirksen, I said, Dirksen, how many times have you been to Japan? He said, well, well, uh, I think this ought to be 14 times. <laughs> how long ago was this? Uh, 2006, yeah, seven. Well, you're at like 25 times. No, now, my current right? answer, though, is I lost track at around 14. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Yeah, but there's a... Yeah, a couple. Dude, I haven't been in forever, though. I miss it now. Yeah, I mean, there was times in the '90s, 2000s that we went twice a year. Yeah, you know, there was a uh, shop tours in the in the fall that we go over there, and then uh, you go in the winter and uh, to contests, events, and went to the Tokyo X Trail. That was a awesome, like fifty thousand person spectator in a oh, baseball yeah. field dome, and. Um, but I had so many. Yeah, Japan is the the perfect country to visit if anybody's doing that. It's a so foreign and awesome and nice and uh, uh, beautiful snowboard. And I heard they have more re- ski resorts than anywhere, any other yes. country in the world, like mm-hmm. a denser population of them. And uh, there's so many, there's the Japanese Alps in the south that are kind of big mountain terrain. And then They're there's incredible. the volcanoes on Hokkaido that are powdery. and So uh, special. Dude, I yeah. want to go to the half indoor half People. pipe. That's yeah, yeah I've been there before. In Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The yeah, one awesome. where you bonk the ceiling? I didn't bonk the I mean, ceiling. I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. think anybody bonked the ceiling until this year in Ben Ferguson's movie. Oh, really? That was yeah. A, that's a really high, and that's a tiny little pipe. Yeah, it's like a Dude. not a full size half pipe. I would love to watch yeah. that go down. It was full size. I, I wrote it with Todd and Billy Anderson years and ago. Years and years. I mean, even like twenty years. <laughs> we almost went there like one time. And yeah, it just never yeah. worked out. Yeah, yeah. Back then, it was a normal size pipe, and uh, almost weird how it was so perfect. You know, as a the transitions were. The circular, and you're like, "Whoa, that's a uh, hot." Uh, you know, our, we're fun. used to like kinks, and uh, but um, yeah, Japan. But uh, yeah, I lost track. But we used to go, and kind of another funny thing um, in high school, I went to Crestwall and didn't take a foreign language for the first ten years, and then uh, to graduate from high school, you need to take two years of foreign language. And I got up to South Eugene, and uh, they're like, "Well, you're registering late, so uh, the only two possibilities are Russian or Japanese." And wow. like doesn't make a difference, I guess. Sign me up for either because I, don't, I don't, can't imagine myself going to Russia or Japan. And then uh, so I ended up uh, getting signed up for Japanese, and it took two years of Japanese. And then I went to Japan a lot. Mushy, uh, mushy. Yeah. That's dope. Awesome, yeah. got you. And I, I can't speak <laughs> Japanese, but I can make people laugh. All right. Talking Japan, there's a couple stories that come to mind from when we were there. And one in particular was when Luif Paradis – Young Luif, not the Luif we know now, but a young, <laughs> starry-eyed, green Luif parody asked to borrow a board, and I remember it was pretty funny what ended up happening. 
Do you want to tell a story? Do you want me to tell it? <laughs> uh, you can start telling it. I think you remembered it better than me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I only remember it well because I think Luif, like remembers it well, and he's he's articulated it to me before. But essentially, uh, we were riding we were, we were riding some some kind of pillow lines off the freeway under those barriers. Mm. You know, they load up those those pow fields doing the laps. Yep, and uh, basically. They're they're like metal barriers that that support the snow that create these these pillows. And Lewis like, hey, can I borrow your board? You're like, yeah, just don't mess it up. This is my one of one board. It's really important to me. Or the best one of ten or the, something. Yeah, you know, whatever. It's like, it was, I brought this board for a reason. The, the board was <laughs> in particular special. special to you. I remember that. And I think I don't know if it's his first drop or what, but basically he drops in. And he cases one of the pillows and lands on the metal, <laughs> and his back binding rips completely no. off the snowboard and like fucked the whole thing up. And like I think the inserts ripped out or something. It, basically, it was total. The board was done. Bar. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and how I did that make you feel? Yeah. How'd that make you feel, Josh? Um, I I definitely love my snowboards. <laughs> I, I, I get a tear in my eye if they get a scratch or a ding, or I know I know it happens, and. Um, yeah, and I know he felt bad. Yeah, he was too <laughs> bad. so bummed. Young, he was all young. You're the dog. And, <laughs> and there's another one, real quick. I got to bring up too because I remember you were doing the the. You know how it works in snowboarding when you're dropping in. A lot of times you need a three, two, one for the photographer. The old countdown. And, and I dropped in and I went to like basically nose slide and then pop over this railing and like it was like a pretty big drop off of like almost like a freeway overpass into a snowfield. And I came in and something went haywire and I slipped out and I back tacoed the rail and flipped over the railing. And Dirksen was doing the countdown. He goes, three, two, one, abort. <laughs> I'll never forget the clip. And you're all back tacoing. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that, was, those what was my, he doing on a jib trip? It was a hybrid, huh? It was kind of yeah, a hybrid. It was Hokkaido. Trip. And it was That's actually my first thing trip about, to Hokkaido. Yeah, Hokkaido's yeah. special. Yeah. First trip to Hokkaido, and uh, I think that was the one. Was that the one where we went uh, snow pow surfing Asmo the first day? Potentially, my mind is just such a piece of shit. I can't always remember. Mine too. Yeah, yeah, they kind of fade together. But I think it was one of my first Hokkaido trips after twelve times in Japan and uh, to the South Island. And Hokkaido is like the powdery island, the one you would expect that. Yeah, that you'd that be at all the time. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, that was super fun and eye opening and just meeting the future of snowboarding. Pretty much, yeah, Bodie was there. Yeah, Bodie, Grenier, Louis. Yeah. Big Lou. So we were riding Pow. Was and then, Harrison uh, Gordon there just hanging out too? Or? Yeah, there's more Hava people there. was probably there. Hava was there Hava. for sure. And uh, LNP. Uh, oh, yeah, Laurent was there. Yeah, yeah just talking dirty call. the whole time. Yep. Have yep. you seen this kind of porn? I'm like, oh, jeez. Have <laughs> <laughs> you seen this kind of porn? I got it in a vending machine over there. <laughs> Laurent was riding what powder and like trip. cotton. And like, <laughs> I, bet, I can only a imagine flannel. how appalled uh, Dirksen was in his non technical performance gear. Not all you guys, because <laughs> everyone, you're all probably wearing cotton. Yeah, we went uh, riding Pow first, and then we went down to the city, stayed in a hotel, and we showed up uh, to go snowboarding down below and i kind of ran like okay i'll put on my snowboard gear i'm going snowboarding too and i show up and everybody's in like just normal civilian street Street clothes i'm like aren't we going snowboarding they're like that's our snowboard stuff man (laughs) 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 don't wear gore-tex here (laughs) (laughs) what is going on here (laughs) i I do know this is where dirksen showed his deep love for shabu shabu he's like we must go to shabu shabu i had shabu shabu i think every time i went to japan on the first night Every shabu time. shabu is like a thin sliced beef, and then they bring out a broth, and you drop it in there, yeah. and it boils. And there's 
It sounds simple, but there's uh, spices and stuff that make it really, really They bring it out raw, correct? Yeah. 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 Drop yeah. it in raw, pull it out and with some chopsticks. I've been there with vegetarians that are like, today's the day. Really? <laughs> yeah. They go for it. <laughs> yeah, they just, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. The, man, yeah. the, only the taste of Japan, man. So <laughs> yeah. Place has some food. All right, I'm gonna pivot here. I'm gonna change gears. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk uh, fatherhood for a second. You mentioned Alana, <coughs> and your father instilled some cool life lessons, experiences, if you will, growing up camping. And he seems like he really shared his love for the great outdoors with you. Yeah. What type of experiences? And maybe character traits are you trying to show Alana in raising her? Um, well, my daughter Alana. Let's give Alana an air let's horn. Give the, let's give her the super air horn. Yes. <laughs> did you throw in a little cash register machine? I did a cash <laughs> register, yeah. The future's bright for this one, huh? Yep. Well, of course, I'm trying to instill the good qualities that I have and not the bad ones. And uh, I'm always thankful that I have my wife, Fabian. Let's throw Fabian. Sorry, we're throwing. She gets a super air horn. She's got it. The family. Yeah. Beautiful. But uh, yeah, I very much appreciate uh, that we're doing this together, my wife and I, and that I'm not responsible for raising a a good, awesome kid that uh, we can both add our best qualities or hopefully. But um, yeah, she snowboards, of course. I had her on a snowboard at 18 months. Wow. And uh, I've told her a few times over the years that. You know, you don't technically have to love it. It's just kind of what you got to do. You know, we're going, the whole family's going to the mountains, and, uh, you know, you got to get from point A to point B. And uh, you can be on skis if you want, but uh, snowboarding's the things that we get for free. And <laughs> 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 and, uh, and she's a goofy footer. I kind of planned that out from an early age, too. And uh, <laughs> Forced and, goofy footing? Forced, well, not forced, but uh, planned. Planned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She actually learned back nines. Is that at, Planned uh, Parenthood? Is that yeah, she, the she, actual she, definition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... She learned back nines at uh, 17 months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so she uh, snowboards and uh, that's super nice. Uh, and it, she really appreciates it. You know, uh, when you start at 18 months old, of course, uh, you're going to be really comfortable in the mountains and in those positions. And it's fun being able to provide her that and, and have uh, just such knowledge of snowboarding. Isn't and, that when you can walk? 18 months, yeah, but it's when the boots are so stiff that they keep you upright. <laughs> <laughs> That's so rad. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, started young and started her skateboarding between my legs, and, and she uh, rips at skateboard, or no, maybe rips not the word. She doesn't do tricks or anything, but uh, she skateboards, goes places, and rides her skateboard, and uh, early on I had a scooter band in our house, which uh, scooters in Switzerland. So uh, to throw out there, I live in Switzerland, too. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, from Oregon. talked about that. Yeah, and so... Uh, Still the king of yeah, bachelor, though. My wife is uh, <laughs> my wife Fabian's Swiss, and um, when we uh, when I started riding for Solomon twenty years ago, she was a professional rider for Solomon, uh, professional half pipe, and uh, she won a medal in the Olympics here in Salt Lake, a bronze medal in half pipe, and um, wow, yeah, yeah, totally wow, and even more wow as time goes on, you just see what a Olympic medal means to people yeah. and the inspiration that it brings them, and uh, it never goes away. Yeah, when yeah, you're an Olympian a, medalist, yeah. you are a medalist. And at the time she won that medal, um, it probably changed right about that time too. But uh, for me and uh, my friends, were snow or the Olympics were like, no way, man, that is that's uh, not cool. And uh, and the Salt Lake Olympics changed everything. The, just the quality of the half pipe that Pat Melandowski built and. And uh, Ross Powers doing that big old backside air. 
But uh, yeah, really cool. And we're very proud of her for winning an Olympic medal. But um, I started riding for Solomon. The first uh, team trip I went on, I met Fabian, and uh, we've been together uh, since then, 20 years. And we snowboarded together professionally for a couple years, like team trips and stuff. And then she retired and went back to school. And and then uh, we got married 12 years ago in Switzerland. And then, uh, and then, but the whole time, like the last 20 years, I'm almost up until now, we split our time pretty evenly, six months. Uh, kind of the derby is what brought us back. Um, always like the derby got to be back in Bend. And then we'd stay through the winter riding bachelor and then go back to Switzerland in the summer and be in the summer all Switzerland long. And then in 2013, our uh, daughter was born, Helena, in Switzerland, and um, and we kind of kept her on the same schedule too. She kind of she wasn't in school yet, and she was kind of six months in Oregon uh, at my house, and then going back to Oregon or to Switzerland, and six months there, and that kind of went on for kindergarten, first grade, second grade, like she was going half and half, and uh, worked out super awesome. And then COVID hit, and that kind of changed plans. And then now she's uh, older in fourth grade and has friends in school. And, and uh, my wife's job is over in Switzerland, and we have an amazing home to live in. And so now, technically, I live in Switzerland. And, you uh, have a passport? Yep. Yep. Wow. So I have three passports. I got a Canadian, uh, U.S., and uh, Swiss. That is a, that's yeah. some good stuff right yeah. there. Some Jason yeah, Bourne shit right there. <laughs> but, um, but I think I'm all, I always feel like I'm American. Born identity right here. <laughs> totally. <laughs> James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> and your daughter you, must have you mentioned two passports. Scooter Band, though. I, yeah, I'm really band. interested yeah. in the Scooter Back Band. Back to the Scooter Band. So uh, they're popular. Every kid in Switzerland had a, has a scooter, had a scooter. Up until like 17 years old, they scoot around. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, being a skateboarder at skate parks, uh, I'm not a big fan of scooters. And so I had a Scooter Band that there's no scooters, and she kind of wanted one, and I give her a skateboard. And, uh, and, um, and then finally, I was talking to Vole in the Velt. And he's like, oh, dude, like, just imagine if, like, your parents, uh, when you were young, said skateboards weren't a real thing. And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so I finally got her a scooter, bought her one. <laughs> and uh, But it was kind of too late. She already uh, kind of got used to a skateboard, and skateboards kind of became cooler. Like, at her school, there's a handful of especially girls. I think Olympics is kind of changing things, too. Like, uh, skateboards are, yeah, definitely a cool thing. And yeah, she cruises, uh, skates off to school in the morning as they wave her by. She's one of the cool kids now because she's yeah. not on a scooter. Yeah, she's got the cool uh, skateboards too, of course. Nice. Got her that Andy Anderson with like a purple skull on the bottom. <laughs> scooter yeah. band. Yeah, but she has a scooter, but it hasn't left the garage in a year at least. Have you tried one of those digi scooters? Those things are fun. Like an electric scooter or yeah. something? <laughs> Cruising around the city, they have them like Oh, yeah. Quiet. Yeah, you got to take those. things are kind of fun. It was yeah. actually uh, his first Uber ride on the way oh, here. Oh, yeah, that's right. He hasn't <laughs> tried a digi scooter yet. <laughs> <laughs> first Uber. So, um, bi- yeah, what's the a, what's a question or the direction we're heading here? <laughs> I, got, I got a big topic here. Heavy topic. This is a big topic. Saddle up. We're going to talk about the Rancho Relaxo. That's my house in Bend, Rancho Relaxo. <laughs> That's right. my house in Bend. <laughs> Sounds like a great Very place. Very prestigious. Yeah. And there, there's this is a big question too. Is there a sign? Th- there's a oh yeah, and a goose. Yep. Oh, so we can put up photos of these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a mini ramp there. Uh, awesome one. And but how I, much uh, did you awesome purchase one. it for? One dollar. Yeah, there wow. it is. And I in today's uh, day and age. So the mini ramp is getting old. Just uh, just like myself, and uh, <laughs> so I, 
<laughs> had to uh, reshe. I was gonna say just like all of us, but I don't know if you're getting old yet. Uh, well, he's getting old, man. But um, I re- he's younger than us, but he's still getting old. It's skate light on the top, but uh, the bottom plies, of course, wear out over the years. And so I decided to pull up the skate light, resheet it, and uh, relayer it. And I finished that the day before COVID hit. Ooh. And so for the whole uh, COVID quarantine, the three months when it was really on lockdown, I had my own personal mini ramp. Wow, just <laughs> yeah. you. Just me and, <laughs> and I'd your skate. Daughter. I would skate for like 30, 30 minutes of just fakey rock, rock and roll. Fakey rock, rock and roll. What are talking? Talk, talk, like talk, a little talk, two-footer? Uh, whatever feet? it is, it is perfect. Just but, perfect. Uh, yeah, it is perfect. Like everybody... It's not too mellow. It's not yeah. too steep. It's a uh, dude. But uh, no, it's not a two footer. It's I mean, probably like, it's probably five foot. Is it five? I think. Dude, I would that think sounds so. awesome. Yeah, it is two awesome. Like Guaranteed. Uh, anybody who rides it says it has a little escalator too, and uh, you'll high cascade mini. Like, yeah. This is probably three, so it's five. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's hard to remember exactly or say exactly because it's uh, lifted off the blunt ground on cinder blocks. And, uh, sounds and, uh, amazing. Has a, it is amazing. It's a awesome. Like so many people. But it's a standard high cascade. Uh, back in the day, high cascade had all the mini ramps and the spine that uh, probably a lot of people remember. And it's uh, the same tran- transition and height as those. And uh, but uh, and I bought it from High Cascade for one dollar. And uh, and then I had a roommate who who uh, Dude, they Mahler. made up. They made up for that seven dollars a day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle. <laughs> the retirement package. Yeah. Um, yeah, Thane Mahler was my roommate for a long time when I got the ramp and he uh, assembled it, knew how it all goes together. He was kind of the ramp builder for High Cascade. And and then he uh, started working for the Dew Tour. And whenever they get a little chip of skate light, he'd uh, bring back. He's like, can't use it anymore. And he'd bring it back in his uh, truck. And, and so that's how we got it fully sheeted in skate light. And, uh, and it's just perfect coping and really locked on it's a super awesome one you had it installed by a professional too yeah huh? yeah now he works at red bull and and uh he doesn't even build anymore he just tells the people what to build and uh, like when they need a, a hundred foot step up or something he uh he's kind of the guy who's tells like all right guys do. here's how we're gonna make it happen for you need a hundred foot step up or a mini ramp for rancho relaxo <laughs> <laughs> either way rancho relaxo. we got a guest question from I'm going to say Trevor Graves is a guest question extraordinaire, okay? Yeah. <laughs> he sent me four, and they were all bangers, so we, we, t- we took four. two. We took two. All great questions. Here we go. What does a perfect day look like? Money's not an object. Time is infinite. What would you do? I'm curious. All right, hope to see you in the snow. Talk to you in a bit. Peace. Later, buddy. Good question. All right, perfect day. I mean, that would uh, change. I mean, like I was saying earlier, the perfect day that I wrote in the magazine was a day at the shack in Mount Hood and skating the vert wow. ramp and ended up the rat scaler in the end of the night. But uh, perfect day now. If I had to pick something, I'd I'd guess I'd go for the trifecta, like a oh, day of snowboarding, snap. skateboarding, and uh, and if money was no option, then maybe I'd uh, make the travel in between more comfortable. I don't know how that would be, um, but with just a a big comfortable van. Wife and daughter cool. out the window. I'm going no, to no. try <laughs> No, no, I'd bring them along. <laughs> I could bring them along. They, they all they uh, come watch. <laughs> yeah, my wife uh, surfs and snowboards, and my daughter does it all. True. And um, all right. yeah, so I bring them along. And uh, I guess that was just a given that they were with yeah. you. You didn't mention it, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, maybe some good food. At the moment, I'm coming shabu, uh, shabu, coming from Switzerland. Oh, shabu, shabu, I've been miss, missing Mexican food. Mm. So maybe uh, at the moment, I'll have a maybe a Mexican food buffet. And 
Maybe not a trifecta in Oregon. I've done that one one time. Maybe a Chilean trifecta. Ooh, yeah. ooh baby. Maybe uh, maybe I don't quite skate the same as I did maybe ten years ago. You know, I used to skate every day, skate parks. So maybe the skate part, the skating part, would be a big long downhill type of thing. Nice. Just cruising <laughs> with some big soft wheels. Little high speed wobble, just hit the pavement. <laughs> no, no, not high speed wobble. The perfect, uh, the perfect pitch. So from uh, snowboarding the mountains, uh, big long, maybe a few uh, transitions to have fun on or I was thinking the, the steepest street in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> nice <Nah>. speed. <laughs> you know what? A uh, quick little thing to add in here. Do you guys know that there's another Josh Dirksen? No, that, I didn't. Uh, pro skateboarder. Really? And, uh, a ripping pro skateboarder wow. who just had a. Give me yeah. Horn. Yeah. You know, there's people that probably think you guys are the same person. It out comes there. up a lot. Uh, yeah. Just maybe three months ago, he Dude, came out with a part. Scared, man. Yeah, he came up with a part on the barracks that came out on the barracks. Oh, I think I saw it. Yeah, yeah. and he, he's bombing down uh, the water drain dam, like a big long uh, dam uh, drainage. Yeah, and um, yeah, Ripper skates uh, goofy footed, kind of brown hair, kind of looks similar to me. But um, last really couple months, turn, <laughs> like in Switzerland, uh, it's a challenge, like explaining what my job is, because like to like my daughter's uh, friends of my daughter's parents, the yeah. parents of what? school teacher, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, people in general. It's like, what do you like? Do you do World Cup contests or do you, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. Even in my mind, it's like, what is my job? You know, it's not trying to be the best snowboarder anymore. Exactly. But uh, so they go on and Google and uh like some Dirksen stuff comes up, and then uh, in there, pretty high up, is uh, his video part, is a uh, skate video part. Sick. And they're like, wow, you're a good skateboarder. And like the first time it happened, I'm like, well, no, I, I, I kind of skate a lot. I skate a long time. I don't <laughs> skate as much as I used to. But, but, uh, but then That's it quickly awesome. became obvious that uh, it's the other Josh Dirksen. <laughs> so I think it's uh, Josh underscore Dirksen, maybe. Ah. But uh, yeah, check him out. He's a ripper. That's so good funny. stuff. Uh, you know what I think it's time for? Buds, it's uh, maybe the pub beer crap It's that time? Yeah, you going to crack some can? I think I will. All right. <laughs> Cue the music. I don't actually have the music. I just oh. looked through the soundboard. Okay. But it's something like... Clackety-clackety. Uh, Clackety-clackety-clackety-clack. <laughs> something like that. And uh, <laughs> pub beer supports the show. If you're going to have a responsible beverage, cho- choose a pub beer. And... Uh, Maybe you're going to have 15 to 20. Call an Uber if you do. Responsible. Yeah, call an Uber. Don't ask Dirksen how to do that because <laughs> yeah. he's only done it once. He doesn't even have the app on his phone. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, cheap. It's fun. It's pub beer. It's delicious. Right. You're going to roll some dice, oh. my friend. Two Can dice. I, Can I move away from the mic? Yeah. Yeah. Two dice, and Chris will tell you what you're going to do. The Goon Gear is a six. Seven? So, no, we got a uh, six and a three. We got a nine. We got a nine. Oh, this is a good one. Name one thing still on your career bucket list. Oh, for the oh. man who's done it all. Yeah. For many, many years. Uh, Not wow. another 900. We know that. <laughs> Not the trifecta in Chile. <laughs> uh, or I guess that could be. Was it snowboarding bucket list? or Any, uh, any bucket whatever. list. Any bucket Take, list. Choose your own adventure. Uh, I mean. It could be snowboarding, though. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try to come up with a second answer, but raising a good kid, that's on my bucket list. You know, a nice, responsible young lady. I have a feeling and, uh, you'll do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, with my wife involved, I think we can work together and yeah. make it happen. She's a super good kid. And, uh, I mean, that one's, I mean, that is a full part of, like, everything is being a parent and, uh, you know, for myself and trying to make sure my kid 
doesn't come out as weird as I am, maybe. <laughs> I think it's easy to fail. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or feel like you fail, yeah, for sure. It seems yeah. like it. Yeah, but um, yeah, I hope uh, that's something I check off on my bucket list, and I'm, I'm sure it will be. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, should I give another answer? Yeah, that you snowboarding do snowboard wise? related, yeah. sure. Uh, snowboard related. Uh, <sighs> I don't know, maybe jump the gun on the who would you take heli skiing question, but uh, maybe a bucket list is go heli skiing with my wife and daughter. That's a pretty awesome one. Jumping Still one more seat in that heli. Oh, yeah? Is Isn't there? It? Take three. You take three, yeah. Yeah. Remember, right. you can take celebrities as well. But uh, I'm three. No, but so is there four? There's four, technically, total. Okay. We leaving the guide behind? Well, you don't have a yeah, photographer. Yeah, no guide. No guide. This okay. is fun times. We're going low angle. There's no filmer or photog. It's, um, it's you. Yeah, let's see. Who am I going to bring? It's you and three. Yeah. Um, I'll probably bring one of my childhood buddies, like Justin Stafford. I don't think he stepped on a snowboard for a long time. Lucky guy. Yeah. Stafford's getting in the heli. Well, that's a perfect segue into hot takes. If we're talking, if you already jumped the gun on the heli question, might as well start it off with, you know, as we like to ask on this show, the Michael Jordan and or goat greatest of all time, in your opinion, as it pertains to you, both male and female in snowboarding. Um, well, the male, from my perspective, is easy, especially when it's called the Michael Jordan, not the the greatest fall time, but kind of the Jordan is Terrier. I mean, that's the, the person I grew up with that was influential and that everybody was influenced by and kind of changed snowboarding. And uh, But I think it's, you know, of course, all these answers are debatable. Kelly, Craig Kelly could be uh, the greatest fall time, too. But uh, as far as my perspective, the person who was who was the the rider was uh, Hawken, and yeah, and a uh, woman snowboarding is. I kind of thought about this earlier, and I mean, the I'm going to give a few answers. And so you're gonna veto us a little bit here. Right? <laughs> no, you can, you can uh, <laughs> get it down. But uh, maybe my answer is a kind of a consistent one. You know, uh, like uh, I thought, or I think I've heard on there, Victoria Jalouse, and uh, I mean she's such a timeless ripping turning style and for somebody who really appreciates turning you know she was uh really became like a high level of women snowboarding early on and hanging with the the uh tb guy the tb crew and really like hanging together and then uh barrett christie is a uh, one but when i think about barrett christie i think like oh maybe that group of uh barrett christie tina bassett shannon dunn you know that was those were like a group of women that really changed and uh, but that's not the greatest one person of all time. I think Zoe, like, seems like she's on her way to be the greatest of all. The the maybe the, the especially like the Michael Jordan of snowboarding, the person that kind of changes it. And with uh, Zoe's like with the Olympics and stuff, you know, that's kind of what that means. That's what Jordan did. He wasn't the greatest basketball player ever, but he changed basketball player playing the most. You know, and so. Uh, so but he's I'm, gonna keep listing female riders until we hear yeah. all the top females. He's got a good dissection. <laughs> but, uh, I'll give you that. Yeah, I think I'd, I would uh, go with Barrett Christie. You know, if I had to pick Love one, it. final you know, answer. Barrett. She was uh, in all the spots in the the time of influential yeah. snowboarding and at all the top events and uh, riding for the cool companies and and even now uh, with her, she has relationships with uh, Nike and you know she's still in in part of it and. Uh, Good yeah, very yeah, good an incredible She's holding person. it down. Yeah. Okay. Who's the most underrated? Underrated mm. is, uh, I mean, for Bachelor, for sure, it's uh, Drew Bear. Do Bear is Ooh. his Instagram name. It's uh, low key ripper. 
Yeah, does it? Do we all know him? Yeah, I know him. Yeah. I feel Drew like Drew Brownrig. Yeah, yeah. Is Dude, pure he talent. Yeah. Pure yeah. talent. Yeah, but uh, just kind of carefree. Doesn't that doesn't really head in the direction of pro snowboarding, as far as I can tell. And but uh, but rips and rides bachelor, kind of in a dreamy way, like how he launches the wind lips and uh, has a really good style from a photographer point of view too. I think he, you know, I've he tweaks at the right. Bit. When right he used moment. to go to like the launch or back in the day when he was younger. Yeah. And he yeah. very photogenic. And he's uh I mean, I think something is that he's just uh into so many sports too. Yeah. Like he's a med- amazing uh mountain biker, I believe, and uh like motorcycles, yeah, even like little moto, tiny right? motorcycles. And uh I think he's related to is he related to um Carson? I think you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that yeah. is the case. Yeah. Okay. But uh yeah, he's uh, something. the classic underrated at Bachelor. Yeah. Steel or powder? Steel for sure. <laughs> With uh, sharp edges or dull edges? <laughs> Either. I'll go powder. Damn I was it. thinking steel. I was hoping he was going to say steel. I thought Best he was going to go steel. Style ever. Oh. You Best... can't say yourself. No, I wouldn't say <laughs> no, myself. <laughs> you just um, got really good style, dude. Best style ever, Alistair Schultz. Woo, woo, woo. Okay. Uh, in your opinion, best snowboard video ever made? Um, let me think. The Garden. Ooh, good choice. Yeah. Okay. Best snowboard graphic ever. Um, the the not the re-release, the original Mac Cummins mm. LibTech. Sean Donnell did the uh, yep. little surfer ocean scene on the top, and then I don't think it was Donnell, but somebody else did the base graphic, the BMXer. And uh, that's, of course, from my perspective, you know, as a board that, was, that, is, uh, that I appreciated. You know, really colorful and fun. It's a strong and, board. Yeah, and a unique shape, you know, with that kink nose mm-hmm. back in the day. But I don't know if that was really proven to be uh, high performance, that kink in the nose, but it sure was cool when it came out. Yeah. And, uh, and then... Should I say, say some more boards? If you'd like to. Yeah, there was a... When I was riding for Moro, there was um, a skateboard that came out, Moro Salem, mm-hmm. that uh, 159, and they had an artist. And I asked my friend about it the other day, and it was Joe Sorensen, Sor- Sorsen was the artist, and uh, he did a line of graphics. Yeah, I should say his... Yeah, it sounds like that. Sorry if I might have put an extra E in there or something in his last name. But, um, yeah, you had a line of graphics, and there's this 59 that has this little blue gremlin thing on it. And that was uh, kind of my board size of choice at that time was a 59. And, uh, and I really just thought that was cool colors. I've always kind of liked the how blues, like baby blues, kind of glow in, on stormy days. And uh, so that's one of my favorite graphics. And maybe one more, or which technically a couple more, that uh, Hawken Balance when Hawken came out with multiple sizes. And uh, they had the Mike Perillo graphics. It all connected together. That was a uh, amazing graphics, cool. an amazing board, and amazing time when I was like the biggest uh, Hawken fan and and Perillo fan. You know, yeah, that was Perillo's after. Sick. I mean, the Garden. He was part of the Garden too, and and uh, yeah, I could keep going. That's but, uh, solid. For but the- one answer is that MC. Okay, you and already- I believe that's the longest uh, running pro model in snowboarding. Yeah. Oh, it is MC wow. board. Yeah. Hmm. Still going. That's incredible. Yeah. It's All a little right. more powdery than it ri- originally was. <coughs> uh, you already answered the three heliboarding. Mm-hmm. So this is a good one to ask because uh, I think it's going to be contrary to the 
common one, but pants over the high back mm. or under the high back? Um, over. Yeah. That's OG. You know what, though? It's a, it's a little function thing. I just hate having my pants bunched up in between my boot and my high back. So you still run yeah. that? Uh, I run it over. Right now. And then I don't have a front one. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter where it falls. So on your everyday riding driver, well, I guess we'll get to that. It's over. Uh, it's my always, pants are over. A, my if you watch any Dirksen part, his pants are over the over. high backs. Yeah. Wow, dude. Yeah. yeah. But pure function. There's no choice. I just can't stand having it on the inside. It just bunches up. Yeah. yeah. All Interesting. Right. Worst trend. What do you got? Uh, worst trend. I thought about this one. It might sound a little spicy at the start. But um, worst trend in snowboarding, I think, is uh, the top pros not wearing a helmet. Spicy. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be the helmet police. And uh, and I didn't wear a helmet forever until just uh, kind of recently, like the uh, last couple of years. And it was kind of my daughter and telling her, like, she should wear a helmet. But then I think the reasoning for my answer is um, the pros are we're kind of responsible for developing product and making things better. And, um, and helmets, you know, would be so much better if uh, all the pros were influencing them and riding them and... And, uh, you know, not take them off the moment that they could. So you think that would make like so many people are giving feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do as a pro rider. You think they'd be better if everyone was riding them? They would be better. I think it'll slowly change over time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I always think about mountain biking. It's like, that'd be absurd if you saw a rider without a mountain bike. True. That would be absurd. 80s footage of people on mountain bikes, they ain't wearing a helmet, though. That's true. Like original mountain bike stuff. And so maybe the time needs to change, but, uh, yeah, that trend needs to I got an e-bike, and I'm not allowed to leave the house without a helmet. Oh, I got got a photo of Bud's when he got the (laughs) Uh, e-bike. We'll pop it on the screen. It made me so joyous. It's a selfie of Bud's in the helmet. It's so fire. I'm not allowed to leave the house without a helmet, though, like. I get yelled at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I started wearing, like I said, a couple years back, and it totally took a uh, like a year and a half to get used to get it. Used get uh, to it. like I had to change like my whole kit, like pick out different hoods and. I still don't know. Like, layering. are you supposed to wear a beanie under it if it's cold? I don't even know what to yeah, do. Yeah, Patagonia has a, uh, a thin like beanie? a it's a merino air. It's called. They have little balaclavas and they're really fluffy, really? thin things, and they work really good under helmets. And they have a uh, long underwear with a hood. Or you can just get the balaclava. But those work good for stuffing it in there. But it just takes uh, kind of the time to just dial in your helmet, just like yeah. anything else. I just got to figure it out. Pat a gooch, if you got any of those, let me know. Hit me up. Yeah, we can get you one. That would be dope. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it is a challenge. But uh, but now I'm at the point where I just don't like, you know, it's kind of like warm. And even on hot days, it kind of insulates your head like a little cooler. And uh, just everything kind of fits together better. You know, now I... Like, you probably you feel better. Yeah. What, what setup you run, Smith? Yeah. Yeah. Smith uh, Mission Helmet, and then and then we just came out with a dual cert, which uh, means it's certified for uh, snowboarding and uh, mountain climbing. So oh, it's kind wow. of mountain climbing's uh, more have from like above impact, but not mountain and, uh, biking. Uh, no. It's a different style helmet. Yeah, mm. I think that would be a different style helmet. Okay. But um, yeah, they have rules on how big the holes can be and things like that. But, um, yeah, so I just designed, and I thought they were actually going to fire me, Smith, because I was being so vocal about, like, I need this helmet. Like, being out in the backcountry and you're fully around stuff falling down and and uh, not just when you're you're snowboarding. It's yeah. uh, when you're hiking up or when you're getting up to put your buckle bindings in. And so, yeah, I kind of, from the start, I said I'm going to wear a helmet, and then I uh, said I'm not going to carry that thing on my backpack either. And so I... Picked out a helmet that I just wear on my head, and I can kind of shed layers and 
make it nice and cool or warmer if needed. And, uh, and there's been a few times when I get something bonked on my head and I'm like, yeah, that was the moment. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's super nice. So, so it anybody, never goes in your backpack. Never, ever, ever. Tight. Yeah. I kind of started out thinking or saying that, uh, when I put my boots on, I'm going to put my helmet on. And so I'll even like drink a coffee in the lodge with my yeah, helmet I on. Yeah, I up at the house before I leave. So what I got? Oh I'd yeah, to go helmet on. It'd be very safe driving to the hill, right from the house. <laughs> well, not yeah. in those boots. So that's a liability driving yeah. in boots. Man. Boots and a helmet all the way. The helmet <laughs> might save you, but the boots are going to get you in an accident. Yeah, right. but it uh, is super nice. So anybody thinking about like, oh, it's not quite working for me. It's kind of just put the effort out and. And uh, your just kit will change, and all of a sudden, it's kind of doesn't work without it. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's a it's like a why not thing, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, yeah, so not to be the helmet police. Though. Totally do what you want to do, but uh, you have a siren on set somewhere. So yeah, no, I think it's police. good good platform to talk about. But it is uh, last thing in hot takes. Uh, <laughs> we you know we talk beaver slap uh, in the lift line. Are you, what's your what's your take on the beaver slap? You do it? Do you not do it? Um, I guess if I'm going to clean my board off, I reach down there and kind of dust it off. Beaver slap doesn't quite do it. You know, you slap it and it, uh, just kind of packs it on there in the middle. So I clean it off, but I'm also aware of, uh, lifties don't like it when you clean it off in the wrong spot. They don't. And so, uh, yeah, if there's a uh, whacking it off the board, I'm already on the chair. And then if not, it's kind of in the lift line, dusting it off to the side. Let's give yeah. lift, lifties an air horn yeah. out lifties. there getting us loaded up nicely. Unsung heroes right there. Yeah. You got to be careful shaking the snow off on the lift because guys like me are under there shooting photos. Uh-huh. Filling my pack up. Yeah, hopefully you have a helmet on. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. That Smith helmet, you're good to go. Yeah, buds. I'd be good to go. So um, another thing we got to talk about, because we're, we're getting close, um, you know, climate advocacy, and I know you're an advocate for Protect Our Winners, and I'd love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. I mean, it's fully become a big part of my career. You know, when I try to explain to people, like, what is, what is your job? You know, and it's not uh, being the best snowboarder, not a not, – um, like uh, winning all the contests or something, you know, it's promoting snowboarding, promoting the outdoors and uh, promoting the companies that I ride for. And, um, and that's been, I mean, uh, like advocating for the climate, protecting the climate uh, has been a, become a big part of that. And, um, and working with protector winners is uh, I enjoy it. I have fun. And, um, and I know that I'm not a perfect advocate, you know, uh, that I have my faults and that we all do. And that's uh, that's the problem with, uh, climate change right now is that we're all guilty in our own ways. And, uh, but I think the important thing is that doesn't matter, you know, and I think about myself and, and it's kind of frustrating sometimes like going to politicians and being in that position, but I, I accept that, uh, that's what I do. You know, I'm, uh, vocal, you know, I'll talk about what snowboards suck or, or, uh, you know, and, and I don't just take a snowboard and say, that's good. Like I'm either going to ride the snowboard or I'm going to stop snowboarding. And that's the same thing with climate. It's like, I know that I that I fly in airplanes. I married a Swiss woman, which uh, you know is one of the big challenges uh, for myself. And uh, I, as an individual, can try to fly less, can try to change things to be better. But uh, in the end, the individual actions aren't what aren't what we need. They aren't the change that we need. We need group changes, and and that means a bigger group is in like legislative laws, and uh, and that's what we try at Protector Winners is to go to Washington and change laws. We're not trying to, or I should say I'm not, but I, I think it's a uh, protector winners. Uh, we're trying to change legislation. And um, and if when somebody says that, uh, oh, you should just stick with snowboarding and uh, shouldn't speak up, it's kind of like, hey, you know, what, uh, what does that person care? And the uh, person I care about is the politicians in Washington, and I have no problem, like, speaking up to them. And it's like, why should they have a voice? 
of how things should be instead of me. And uh, that's kind of what I've done my whole life, you know, is like with snowboarding. And that's the so I accept that's a position I'm in. And I I realize, you know, it's a constant conversation in in uh, snowboard companies and how to deal with it. You know, is it depressing to bring it up like uh, for a snowboard company to bring up climate change? And like, will we sell less boards just because people are depressed? You know, like, oh, this sucks. Like uh, winners are, you know, and it's uh, I think it's something that we should just you know, accept that we're all that we're all at fault. We're all part of the problem. But uh, that does not mean that you can drive your truck. You shouldn't drive your truck to work and then still speak up about um, having changes happen in politics. And and it is a problem that's not going away. You know, it's um, like the future is not going to be less mileage on or gas mileage on cars. And and it's exciting. You know, that's uh, just like with boards. And, you know, I get excited talking about electric cars and just things that are like moving forward and change and not staying in the same spot. And, you know, and, uh, and I know everybody has their challenges and, uh, and I think protector winners and what we as a group do is try to, to tell everybody that, that, uh, we're not trying to blame each other. It's just an endless cycle that, um, what we need to do is vote and vote, uh, with climate on our mind for the politicians. And if a politician isn't, doesn't have climate on their mind, then something's, not quite right. You know, there's a, it's really hard to avoid the reality of climate change in any circle and all the snowboard companies are trying and, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, it's a inspiration being with Patagonia and seeing how, how they move forward and solve problems. And, uh, and then Solomon's trying to head that direction. They're by no means like as far ahead as Patagonia, but, uh, you know, I also want to, uh, work with my sponsors and like tell them good job and keep them and with just all my friends. And it's like, this is the direction we need to head. And, uh, and, um, I don't know, I enjoy it. And I know it's uh spicy and, and, uh, you know, I kind of think about that sticker, uh, snowboarding was better when you hated us, <laughs> you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know it's kind of like, Oh, you can just start uh, supporting climate change and everybody will hate you. But, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's what we, we grew up like skiers hate us and, you know, you kind of love it. And, you know, so all these things, I, I guess I'm just trying to explain that um, I accept that's what I what I can offer the outdoor industry and the snowboard companies are right for. You know, if if everybody's not sitting around just feeling guilty, thinking they shouldn't drive to the hill, they're not going to buy buy snowboards, which, you know, in, in the end, my job is to promote snowboarding and the snowboard companies are right for. And and uh, that's what gets paid. And uh, and that's make doing a backside nine, maybe off a jump. Not anymore, but before. And, uh, but it's also, you know, being vocal about the issues surrounding climate change. And, and so, yeah, I hope, uh, everybody walks away from this little ramble of mine here, just knowing that we're all guilty and trying not to blame each other, that it is a big problem. And there's, um, if an individual says I'm going to drive less or I'm going to go split boarding, um, that that's a small change that can inspire a bigger change, but the big change that we need is laws changing and that's what protective winners is is working on and and the the recent stuff that passed in congress a couple months ago the inflation reduction act uh, is something that like made us feel real good kind of like a video part like yeah we you know we didn't do it all of course we weren't the ones only responsible but it like we did stuff that helped that pass and and uh so it's satisfying and uh it's satisfying getting better at it you know putting on a suit and tie going to talk a politician and you hear how the dialogue goes. You know, it's not about 25 years in the future. Um, 
like things are going to be bad. It's kind of about like tomorrow. Like the politician wants to hear like how much money are we going to lose tomorrow? And uh, so kind of, you know, it's a, uh, it's like going to Alaska one time and then going like, I want to go back cause I think it can do it better. You know, it's a uh, kind of fun and uh, I enjoy um, putting the effort out and I see, you know, having a daughter, of course, you know, and, but uh, I mean, for everybody, you know, and just uh, even just for tomorrow, I want the climate to be better and, and it's not all doom and gloom, you know, some stuff's just uh, not having a coal plant in the middle of the city and having solar panels like, oh, that's much nicer or not having stinky cars sitting in traffic, you know, there's stuff that's just fun to think about, just like snowboards are fun to think about. And so, yeah, I uh, hope everybody, you know, puts thought into that and has those conversations with their relatives and, and uh, yeah, and that we can move forward in a positive direction. Well, thank you for your Dope. advocacy uh, and doing what you My do. We, we appreciate you. And uh, so, so well articulated in that. I, I love that, the, the like, the finger pointing. You know, I think about human nature, too, and it, it turns people off. But just doing your part where you can is, is inspiring to me when I yeah. hear that. So, And what we really need is uh, younger kids to start heading that direction, too. And, uh, you know, like advice that I'd have for a younger pro snowboarder is that's totally part of the job. You know, and uh, maybe the, your your job as a younger pro snowboarder could be, I want to win all the contests and be the best snowboarder ever. But if you're trying to sell a snowboard product, that that is totally part of the job. It's become like if the snow doesn't fall because the uh, snow levels are rising, then they're selling less snowboards. And, you know, and uh, so, yeah, hopefully we can start attracting the younger generation to, to uh, put more effort in that direction. All right, Josh. Well, we've been doing the damn thing. And uh, before we get out of here, we do have to ask you setups. We ask all of our guests their setup they ride. And I know you got a quiver, but maybe with your, if you could pick a daily driver of the board and bindings you ride and how you set them up. All right. Yeah. Uh, my setup used to be like back in my jumping days, it was a 63 inch, inch set back. So pretty centered. And I had negative something and uh, maybe negative six and positive 18. But uh, as I've got older, my stance has gradually gone back, farther back. And, I mean, some of my boards are even two inches, two and a half. I mean, even two and a half for sure. And uh, kind of a comment on my Solomon boards is to use the farthest back hole patterns. So it all sunk all the way back. And I like having a nimble little tail and a big long nose. And... Um, and my daily driver is probably a 63 Super 8, but um, maybe that gets a little different. You know, that gets a little annoying if you're on a crowded resort or something. I, I enjoy having a smaller board that doesn't go as fast because you just run into people if you got a big old board and hauling around. But um, with a nice clean side cut on it, that's kind of a standard. And uh, my stance is the Northwest Kung Fu fighting stance, I believe uh, it would be called. And I don't know... I kind of asked somebody from Ben the other day if they knew what that was, was, and they're like, no, I've never heard of it, but I thought it was a kind of a standard thing. But uh, what I know it as is uh, zero on the back foot and uh, 18 on the front foot. And I think it just came from back in the day. That was the only stance options he had. And um, so I have zero, which is a good old, and then 18 on the front, 22 inches wide. But uh, maybe that changes a little bit. If I get a bigger board, I kind of make it fit. Or especially if I get a smaller board, I make it, but it uh, probably doesn't go under 22, really. And, um, and then I got a little no back on the front. And I got the Solomon Shadow Fits that have kind of a soft heel cup and uh, a really low-profile heel cup, so there's uh, less heel drag on those. And, and I'm addicted to those. And, um, 
And then on the back, I have uh, the quantum binding with a cranked forward lean. It's a carbon fiber high back and uh, cranked up. And I run my toe strap over the top. Is that a question that's going to come up? Well, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my daughter runs her toe strap over the top. (laughs) (laughs) And um, let's see. But I do ride a lot of different boards. And um, What about boots? Boots, I ride the lo-fi, but I, I think... Selma doesn't make that. I think it's going. Uh, I think I got a pair of Echo boots waiting for me at home. Boa or lace? I'm gonna start breaking in. Uh, not Boa. They have a Boa. I think the the or no. I I know you the like Boa. laces though. Yeah, because I break Boas. Oh, like, he's a Boa breaker. Yeah, man. Bodie was telling us that those things don't break anymore. Maybe I just haven't tried them in since I broke ah, them 12, okay. 15 That's years ago. True. But uh, but it has a little Boa that uh has an ankle strap type uh. Interior, yes, internal. they pull your foot yeah. back. See, that's what I like, the hybrid. But, uh, but for split boarding, um, I like laces. And they, I mean, the breaking thing, you don't want to want to break somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, and I, I do have two boots. I, I run like a lo-fi, really low-profile boot. And then uh, for split board, for the resorts, and then for split boarding, I have uh, something. I think I even right now I have a wide boot. I think I have a nine and a half, but it's wide. It's just kind of something that has a little more room that you can wear for a week straight and um and get your foot in on a cold morning but uh all laces maybe there's a little boa for a little special uh heel internal thing but um but uh yep lower profile i definitely compare the boots in the line to find the lowest kind of footprint all right we're gonna do some thank yous what, what do you got all right my first thank you is to you guys Doing wow. such a great job Ooh. on the bomb hole, keeping me entertained while I'm <laughs> riding my bike around Switzerland and doing the dishes. And uh, and it's a little derby related. We've been uh, getting ready for the derby coming up here soon, the derby race. And we've been making trophies, and we added on a little uh, little uh, derby glove. We Look got at that. Hole down oh, wow. here. We got your logo. <laughs> And uh, I was hoping it gets put up there. So. Oh, yeah. Course. We'll put it on yeah. the set. Yeah. For the listeners, it's like a wooden, like, router-looking glove. It, this thing's incredible. How would you yeah. describe this thing, buds? That is a uh, the new Derby logo I'm taking it. Uh, no, it's kind of it's the classic trophy? logo. And it's come classic. and gone, but... Uh, I don't think it was there. The, it's got I a bomb hole I logo I didn't win a trophy, it. so I guess... Yeah, I the original uh, Derby trophies were, were gloves. It's the number one. Yep, and so the first place, second place, third place, where they're with the fingers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's kind of come and gone, and this year we're bringing it back, the Derby Gloves. And this one is special There's, with yeah. the bomb hole logo. Just to let you guys know you're number one. Wow, <laughs> thank you, Dirks. perfect set piece. We appreciate that. Yeah. It'll yeah. look good on the set. Yeah, thanks for doing what you do. Thank you. Do you, yeah. want, do you want to throw out any other thank yous before you wrap this thing up? Yeah, for sure, I do. Um, I'm very thankful for all my sponsors over the years, you know, making this, uh, keeping this dream alive and... And uh, making it work. Anybody Good. who cuts you a check for 20 years straight? Yeah, that's, totally. That's Thank you, Solomon, Patagonia, and uh, Patagonia for being who they are and uh, you know doing what they do and inspiring me to be a better person, better outdoor promoter. And uh, Smith and Tactics and the Shopping Bend, and uh, they're doing a lot to help out with the Derby. It's a big, big uh, load to carry when that when it happens in Bend, and it's nice having all the supportive sponsors. And uh, look around, see <laughs> check his body for logos. <laughs> um, and thank you to my family, my mom and dad for uh, Mike and Patrice, and uh, I already said Solomon, right? I don't know. I'm just looking yeah. at your logos. Oh yeah, yep. Um, and I said Smith and my yep. Smith helmets, and all my sponsors for putting up with me. I'm definitely a vocal, opinionated, and you know I, I say what I want with the product. And thanks for reacting and listening. And uh, 
and all my sponsors in the past. Crab Grab. Oh, yeah, and Crab Grab, too. <laughs> they already got an ad. We're sending an invoice over. Um, yep, Crab Grab. I love my gloves, and I, I just love their style. And um, and the and I love uh, being, like, part of the teams that I'm on. You know, like, being on the Solomon team, it's so nice just knowing that I'm, I'm part of the greater world of snowboarding and part of the best riders in the world. You know, it uh, really motivates me. And um, so my family, my friends, Fabian and Alana and Switzerland and America and Canada for letting me be born there. And uh, Mount Bachelor. <laughs> Mount Bachelor for uh, being an awesome, unique ski resort that uh, supports snowboarding, a true snowboard mountain. And let me see. Thank you I to mean, Canada for letting for me letting be born, me born there. there. That was, <laughs> That's my favorite that one my we've favorite, ever heard. Yeah, that was really, really good stuff. I mean, I definitely forgot people. Thanks to everybody who helped me out along the way and all the photographers and Trevor Graves and Robbie Morrow and Todd Richards for setting me in the right direction right at the start. You know, I don't think things would have been the same if I went and rode for a different company. You know, I wouldn't have had the same knowledge that I came out of it with. And uh, But all the sponsors that I ever rode for, you know, the ones that I left ruthlessly to, to go have fun with other people. And, uh, you know, they've all been so supportive and awesome. And uh, thank you to Mother Nature for providing snow. And... Sorry for everybody or anybody I forgot or forgot to mention, but I definitely appreciate people daily and appreciate this position that I'm in to be 25 years later, sitting here at the bomb hole, having fun talking to you guys. And, uh, yep. And a little bit of relief that, uh, that we're almost finished here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's fun uh, being a little stressed, but I was a little excited stressed to come in here and, and talk, but it was uh, very enjoyable. Thanks guys. Awesome. Well, I want to say thank you so much for everything you've done to the community of snowboarding, for the community of snowboarding with the Derby, uh, the style and progression and stewardship. You've pushed our sport in the right direction. Uh, Just thank you for being such a huge part of what makes snowboarding special. We really appreciate you, Josh. And uh, lastly, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners, everybody that tunes in, everybody at the bomb hole that helps you know i'm gonna give a shout out to everybody on the team because we got buds we got julian who edits the podcast we got jules we got danny we got rego who am i forgetting uh seth we got drake we got the whole team that makes it work and all of you guys that listen Thank you guys so much. I want to say thank you to Canada for letting me go on jib trips yeah, there. Totally. <laughs> I've had some great jib trips there. Love it. We appreciate you guys, uh, all the Patreon members, and thank we you. will see you next week over and out from the bomb hole.